A young woman, a looter, tried to explain what has been going on in this dreadfully troubled city. It's a way for people to vent their frustration, and then they're like targeting uh, like uh, Korean-owned businesses and white businesses. And yet, what we have seen seemed more a colorblind orgy of wrecking and taking what has happened to people. So help me God, I never seen parents teaching children to steal. If I had done that, my mom would beat the stuffings out of me if she had called me stealing. But these parents teaching their kids to steal, I can't understand it. But they ever take their kids to church, do they ever teach them to believe in Jesus? I don't believe this stuff, I just can't. Who could, who could believe this? Looters of every race and color, just like their victims. 22 years down the drain. I mean, can't people realize what they're doing is wrong? This is not the way to overcome racism. And merchants in neighborhoods of every color picked through the scraps the looters had left behind. And what could they say? There was a little nine or ten-year-old and her mother. They were walking out with baskets full of brushes and combs and stuff like that. And what did looters call this? They said, we're going shopping. A store overstocked for Mother's Day. Nothing left. Why? Do you know? I don't know. Why? Why Korean people? Why? And nearby, a boy answered. Everybody hates him. That's why they charge too much money. Everybody was doing it. Why? Hispanics, black. And in this lawless place, order broken down, people guard their stores with guns. They can't disarm us because nobody else is going to protect your business. Nobody. In black ghettos, some businesses tried this. Often, it didn't work. That's not right! That's not right what y'all doing! I came from the ghetto too! And a man who had overcome all the afflictions of a blighted inner city, who had built a store that was the work of his life, saw it all come down and asked why. You man, don't wait there! Why destroy my business? Why destroy my truck? Why steal my computer? I'm trying to make it! Could you understand that? Get y'all see it! I'm trying to make it! And now, it's gone. Keith Morrison, NBC News, Los Angeles. Hey, NBC News fans, thanks for... Wow, that was not from 2020. That was from 1992, the L.A. riots that took place in April 92. I was there. I was in Los Angeles. I actually drove through Los Angeles on the day it began. And uh, listen to that news report. Listen to the people being interviewed in that news report. What do you notice that's different from today? Yeah, they're critical of the looters. They're saying the looting's a bad thing. They're critical of the rioters and the ones burning down small businesses. That was seen as a bad thing. And somehow, 28 years later, we haven't learned a thing. In fact, we have regressed. Because... The coverage you heard on NBC News, this wasn't some right-wing news site. This wasn't a a right-wing news program. They didn't have websites then. But it was NBC News. Could you picture them covering this matter in such a fashion in 2020? I bet you couldn't. Hello, welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I am Todd Dandruff with TELUS. This is being broadcast live and recorded live. On April, or April, on May 30th, 2020, 
9.16 p.m. right now is the time. Before I get going, we have a lot of things to talk about tonight, as you might guess. Before I get going, I want to tell you we have a free roll that began at 9 o'clock. I thought I would start a bit earlier than I did, but it didn't happen. You still have nine minutes to get in there. It started at 9, the free roll. It's a $60 free roll plus a $10 bounty. Late registration ends at 9.25 Pacific Time. The money was donated by a variety of sources this week. I Am Greek gave $13. TheCompsGuy.com, which is a website, TheCompsGuy.com, T-H-E-C-O-M-P-S-Guy-G-U-Y.com, gave $21.21, which left me in a weird position because after the uh, $25 I added that came from the $60 that came from Reno, we were left with like, 59.21 59.21 as the pool, so I added 79 cents myself, which I was so embarrassed to even say, because I, I don't want to make it look like I'm giving a donation under a dollar, so I'm just rounding it up to 60 out of my own Jew, Jew wallet. And no, I, I don't think that's a generous gesture, 79 cents. I'm just telling you that's how it adds up. And Reno also gave $10 for the bounty on Trader Ruski. So if you knock out Trader Ruski, that's T-R-A-D-E-R-S-H-K-Y. I think it's how he plays on there, but something like that. If you knock him out, you get $10. And we have an additional $25 from Reno for next week. So thank you to Reno for that donation. Thank you to I Am Greek and thecompsky.com for your donations. This started at 9 o'clock. Late registration ends at 925. It's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Go to pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll, all lowercase. Pokerfraudalert.com slash freeroll, all lowercase, to understand how to qualify for the free money that you can win every week here on PokerFraudAlert.com. If you want to call the show this week, the phone numbers are the same as always, 775-372-8355, 775-FRAUD55 is the same number. You can call the Mount Charleston line, always. That's a separate line into the show. It's an old 70s rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston. It is a black phone, in case you're wondering. I I meant to post a picture of it, but I I haven't yet. But it's a black phone phone. Sitting on top of Mount Charleston, 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808 is the number. And that's a separate line into the show. You can also text the show at any time at the main phone number only, 775-372-8355. When I say anytime, I mean anytime. So when we're not on the air live, no problem, text it and you'll just get me. And I will respond to you, probably. There's a small chance I'll ignore you, but I'll probably respond. 775-372-8355. I may read your text on the air unless you ask me not to at the beginning of the text. The call to listen line is a number you can call to listen to the show at any time. If we're live, you'll hear the live show. If we're not live, you will hear a rerun being streamed as if it's live, which is chosen at random. And it does not require a data plan does not require a computer does not require a cell phone or a smartphone or an app nothing like that and it never freezes or buffers 605-313-0736 605-313-0736 is the number and there's also the alternate number 641-741-1095 bad news though if you have t-mobile it will cost you one cent a minute everybody else it's free t-mobile and only if he gives you a message beforehand but If you have T-Mobile, it'll probably tell you it's one cent a minute. There's nothing I can do about that. I'm working on somehow getting around that. But for the moment, we're stuck. I I put some time into this this past week, and I 
ran into some roadblocks, but it's not impossible to get around. It's just going to be difficult. So for the moment, if you have T-Mobile, you'll have to decide if it's worth the one cent a minute to use the call to listen line. Everybody else can use it to your heart's content. It won't charge you. I don't get that one cent a minute. I wish I did, but I don't get anything. It's T-Mobile being greedy. So uh, that's the call to listen line. And if you want these numbers repeated to you, you can just read them. I'm not going to repeat them, but just go to the radio tab on PokerFraudAlert.com, and they are all listed right there. Uh, it's very simple, very easy. I know they're not easy number to remember, but they're right there for you all the time. Don't make the mistake of calling the main show or the Mount Charleston numbers to get the call to listen line. We got that last week. We get that a lot of weeks. Be careful. Call the call to listen line numbers. If it doesn't begin with 605 641 or 712, then you're calling the wrong number. Then you're calling the show and it's going to be an embarrassing moment for you. Though I was nice and I edited out the, I edited out the last one that happened, uh, last week. So that individual wasn't embarrassed. It wasn't a very exciting call. It was a guy just saying, well, isn't this the listen line? No, it's the live show. Understandable mistake, but just be careful. And if you want to call into the show, you can, but be aware that I don't always take calls. Try to call in between segments. That's the highest chance of getting through. If I'm in the middle of a rant or a discussion with somebody else, then I'm unlikely to take the call. But I try to answer calls. I like getting calls into the show. At, at uh, 9.40 p.m. tonight, or thereabouts, we're going to have a guest on the show, and that's going to be our first topic. And we're going to talk all about the police brutality death that occurred in Minneapolis. And there's no doubt it was. I mean, for sure, that was a very, very bad thing that happened there. That was a death that should not have occurred. Uh, a innocent man who was uh, accused, he was committing a minor crime, uh, a minor check forgery crime or something, but obviously uh, he didn't expect to die as a result, nor should he have, and the police officer who did it was guilty. You can see right on video. The guy's guilty. There's no question about that, and if you think he wasn't, then you're a fool. But that's the easy part. That's the easy part, not of the situation. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to watch, and I understand why people are angry, especially black people, but that's the easy part to agree upon because it's hard not to agree. The much harder part is what to do about it from there, aside from charging the officers. That's easy, too. But what do we do to prevent that from happening again, or at least from happening again as often? And second, the rioting and looting that's been going on. What should we feel about that? How should we view that? Should we support it, or should we be against it? And that's a much more complex issue. So at 9.40 tonight, we're going to have Andrew Barber on as kind of a counterpoint. Now, I want to warn you, it's not going to be as much of a counterpoint as you think. If you know Andrew Barber, we had him once on the show, and he's pretty active on Twitter. He's a uh, pro poker player. He uh, had a deep run in the Colossus recently. And from reading my tweets and reading his tweets on the way we feel about uh, political and social matters, you would expect that we would not like one another. You would expect that uh, the two of us uh, probably have bad things to say about one another. In fact, we argue back and forth on Twitter sometimes. But believe it or not, and you probably know this if you heard his interview on the show uh, about two years ago, I think. Believe it or not, we get along and we pretty much always have. This is just someone who thinks differently about politics and about social matters than I do. But that doesn't mean we have to hate each other. So we've always gotten along. 
we've always shown each other respect. We're always friendly to one another when we see each other at the World Series or anywhere else. And uh, when he was at uh, the final table of the Colossus event recently, I was actually hoping he was going to win it. It wasn't one of these people I don't like and I'm hoping they don't win or someone I didn't care. I actually said, oh, I, I hope uh, Andrew takes it. So, uh, And if you remember when he was on the show, uh, we had a very pleasant conversation. It was me, him, and Cal Watt. And we're actually pleasantly surprised of uh, how well he came off on radio. In fact, a lot of people who listened who didn't like Andrew on Twitter said, you know, if he was the way he is on the show on Twitter, we'd like him a lot better. He was very likable on the show. But, but I've actually always liked him personally. It's just someone who I don't agree with a lot. But I'm going to have him on because I don't think it's always good to have an echo chamber. And uh, sometimes I am the one destroying the echo chamber. I will sometimes uh, go on people's Facebook uh, threads where I see they're posting a political opinion of which I disagree. And they all of their friends are going, yeah, 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 I agree. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm the one to show up and go, actually, and I present the counterpoint and gets people very angry. They People hate when there's like a bunch of people agreeing and the one person shows up and goes, actually, no. Here's the way it really is, <laughs> or, or here's how I feel. And uh, you can do it in a very polite and respectful manner, and people get so mad and, and try to demand the, the Facebook friend that they block you. And I have been blocked before for this, and, and I never do it in a degrading or derogatory way. I don't call people names. I, I always try to debate these items respectfully on Facebook when they come up, but uh, people are not very respectful towards me when they disagree. And uh, that's very unfortunate. And people shouldn't do that. You should be able, unless someone is attacking you, you should be able to discuss something with them without uh, name calling and personal attacks. But that's what happens. But uh, fortunately, with Andrew Barber, that's it's never degraded to that. Yeah, you can just disagree with someone, and you can also have it where you two can never convince one another and just understand that people are going to think differently about things. And you can think it's really obvious to you, but. To the other person, it may be obvious the other way, and it doesn't make them evil and bad and awful. It just makes someone makes them someone who sees a situation differently than you do. And not everything has an easy answer, and not every analysis of a situation can go one way and only one way. There are sometimes alternate ways to look at things, and even after looking at the alternate ways, you may stick to your original point of view, which happens with me often. You need to look at them. And I do that all the time. I I am someone who's on the political right, but I will read a lot of left-wing material and watch left-wing videos to understand where they're coming from. And sometimes it will make me think. Sometimes I say, oh, hey, I didn't think of that point. Okay, well, even if my mind is still not really changed that much, at least I, I understand where they're coming from, and I see some points they're making which actually aren't all that bad, even though it hasn't swung me to the other side, at least uh, maybe there's there's a few elements of it where I can see where they might be in the right or partially in the right. And sometimes I do all that and I come away feeling the exact way I did in the first place. I go, nope, this is ridiculous to me. I just can't understand. Even after digesting this material, I, I don't understand what they're talking about. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. But at least I listen. I listen to both sides. And I also can appreciate that others are not going to think like me. And I know a lot of you listeners to the show do not think like me. Some of you do. Sometimes I get texts from people saying, oh, thank you for saying this. Thank you for saying that. I totally agree with you. I, I get that from people. And then I also get people texting me saying, I disagree with you on all this. Or they'll, they'll sometimes say, well, I disagree with everything you said, but thank you for at least putting it in a respectful manner and in a logical manner and, uh, 
and not sounding extreme. So they, I'll get those messages too. So we, it's kind of mixed. The audience we have here is kind of mixed between right and left politically. And that's good. I'm, in fact, I'm glad we have as many people on the left listening that aren't put off by me not being on the left. That's great. That's great if you are on the left and still want to listen to me. This isn't a political show, which helps. But uh, tonight, as, as a top story, we are going to have a political discussion because of it's a, a, a very uh, tense time in the United States right now. This is a very big incident. We, we thought we already had our big incident in 2020, an ongoing incident, which isn't over, which is the coronavirus, of course. But uh, what do you know? The coronavirus finally took a backseat to another story. I didn't think I'd see that for a while. It actually took a backseat to another story. Like, I, I bet you're not thinking that much of the coronavirus right now, which is probably a change. But that's not a good thing because what's going on right now is very bad and very frustrating to everybody. No matter what side you are on with this, you are probably frustrated right now. You're probably pissed off right now. You're probably disgusted at a lot of things that have happened this week. You might be disgusted about different things than other people, but everybody is pissed off about something. There's something in this to bother everyone. And uh, we're going to cover all that tonight. And then we will go on to our usual uh, non-political content about poker and gambling. So I'm going to quickly go over the agenda, then we'll get on our co-hosts. Uh, in fact, let me just get the co-hosts now. There's no point to hold out on them here and make them wait. Besides, the longer we wait, the lower chance it is that we get Vintage One on. He just kind of vanishes. I still don't understand it, but like, if you don't grab him fast then you, you just don't get it, man. Uh, now, Trader Ruski, you don't have to grab fast. He, he's, always here until he falls a, he's always here until he falls asleep. Trader Ruski, hello. What's happening? I'm glad to have you here once again. You're the, the loyal co-host who, like, every week you're here, and I appreciate that. You, you don't have to be, but you are. So thank you for that. And uh, Vintage One, Vintage One, I, I like the fact that he's been uh, participating recently, and, and it seems like when we get him, we have him on for hours. We have him on for a long time we get him, but then sometimes we don't get him. Just mysteriously we can't reach him, and then we don't have him at all. It's, it's, it's like all or nothing with well, him. It's hard, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's hard for him because he's got kind of the thing set up in the office, and if he gets sucked into the wife and that type of thing. Ah, sucked into the wife. That's wow. why if he knows – well, it's, you know, if he you know they'll start watching <laughs> The Bachelor or something, and then he can't get away, but – if he, uh, you know, if he knows the time, I think that's what he's waiting on. So. By, by the way, I, I just texted him. I, I've so met, I, I've, been, I've been to Vintage One's house, and I've met his wife. He actually has an attractive wife. I'll give him that. And uh, so he, he did he well. He did well there, and uh, and he has a nice house. And I, I've, I've been there. I'm not going to tell you guys anything more, but uh, but I have. I've been in his car. He also has a nice car. He uh, he when we went to a Dodger game, he was insistent that we don't park the car in the general lot of Dodger Stadium because uh, his car is very important to him. See, I take the chance. I I actually have a, a car that uh, is expensive as well, but uh, I I just I take my chances. I'm too much of a cheap Jew to pay for the preferred parking unless I have to. I, I will if there's going to be like a massive line to get into the general lots. There's that, that Then I'm going to pay it. Otherwise, I will just do the general lot and walk and just – Hope nobody messes with my car, which I've run well with. Like, nobody's screwed with my car in Dodger Stadium so far. But uh, Vintage One, he does not wish to take the chance. Vintage One says, uh, I, I am going to keep my car safe in the preferred lot. So that's that's what we did. And uh, so let me try to reach him. I, when I say this, all I, I get to miss the Dodgers. That's kind of depressing. I, I try not to think about the fact that baseball should be going right now, but and is not. I also try not to think about the fact that the World Series of Poker should be going right now and is not. 
I should be there. I should, oh, that's right. I should actually be there. I should actually be there playing like the 08 or something like that. I, I kind of like put the schedule out of my head because I know it's just not happening. But uh, yeah, I would actually be there in Vegas now playing uh, World Series of Poker events, maybe winning a second bracelet. Uh, the only way this is a good thing is if I were to have a terrible year. Maybe this was going to be the year that I cash in nothing. I am not an animal. <laughs> <laughs> hello, up, hello, vintage one. Okay, so, so uh, come on, drop park in that general general pop, man. You got to walk too far. It's good exercise. It's fine. Oh man, come it's on. It's fine. You know what? I'm gonna before we get going here. I want to tell you about. Uh, one of the times more recently, I've ended up in this awful lot 15, which is way up on the hill. This is when everything else is full and they force you up there. And I, I ended up there once when I was on a very like early on date with my girlfriend who I've been with now for 11 years and have a kid with. Uh, but I, on an early date with her way before Benjamin was born and way before she was pregnant with him, we went there and were forced up to lot 15. And at least I was with a girl uh, kind of like early in the relationship, so we got to make the best of it. But but when I'm by myself or with other dudes or whatever or be- with Benjamin, uh, lot 15 is awful, and I have avoided it like the plague. But I got forced up there once. Uh, I think it was last year, either last year or the year before. And uh, it is so far, and it takes forever to get up there, and also forever to get out. And uh, so first, I, I was late to the game because of that huge line to get up there, and then you have to. There's such a long way to walk. And, and and it's up a hill going back. It's down a hill going there, but up a hill going back. Well, I was so obsessed with not getting stuck in the out-of-the-stadium traffic, which takes 90 minutes to get out of there if you, up on lot 15 because it's stuck there in the corner. When the game was over, I stood up and I sprinted the entire way, all the way across, all the way up the hill. And I wasn't the only one. I thought I'm going to be the only freak sprinting in the lot. No, there's I, I see others sprinting up to lot 15. They have the same thought I am. And, and I, I was tired by the end. I wasn't used to – I mean, back in the old days when I ran cross-country and track in high school, that would have been nothing. I used to run for 10 miles in those days. But uh, but there, uh, like last year or the year before, I wasn't used to that. But uh, it was good exercise. When I was done with the whole thing, I was, I, was, I was tired, and it wasn't fun. But I said, you know what? I needed the exercise. Not even that bad. Though I, I still don't want to end up there. In fact, well, I, what do you pay for that lot? Well, see, still like what twenty five bucks? Well, I, I do it in advance. So I pay twenty, so I save twenty dollars. I know this is going to sound like oh, twenty dollars, big deal. <laughs> but 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 here's the thing: is that it's it's fine except when I end up in that lot. Now, once I know I'm going to end up in that lot, or there's going to be a long wait to get in any other lot, then for sure I snap pay the twenty dollars, which I try to do. And they used to let you do. They used to let you upgrade once you're in there, and I've done that a few times. But but if if I can park in an okay general lot and do it quickly. The walk is fine for me, so that's uh, so I I do that, ex- and that time they just wouldn't let me. And the very last Dodger game I went to, the the playoff game, the first playoff game they lost for me in like over ten years. But last year I, I went to uh, a playoff game and against the Nationals, and uh, they were sending me back up there, and I was with Benjamin, and I was like, oh, oh no. Boy. I was like, "Oh no, this is gonna be awful." And Benjamin's not gonna want to run this way with me. I like, he's he's gonna complain about that. And he can't run as fast as I can. I thought, oh, this is awful. And we were late. And I was going, oh, my God, I'm just missing the game. And, I, and I'm going to be in this another hour of a line going up here. And I was just, I was so mad. And then I saw, if I drove to the right, there was another line of cars. And I go, you know what? Normally I wouldn't do this, but screw this. I'm not sitting in this line. I'm, I'm going to go to the right. So I went to the right. I said, wherever this takes me is better than lot 15. 
I thought it was probably taking me to a different general admission lot. Instead, it took me to a preferred lot. And I would have totally paid for it, but uh, the problem was if I said, hey, you know, I was really from the general admission here, here's your extra $20, they would kick me out. They would have said, no, 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 we're not letting anyone in. We're not letting further people in. So it wasn't that I didn't want to pay. It was that if I tried to pay them, they were going to kick me. So, so I snuck into the preferred lot. I paid for the general. I snuck into the preferred. And, and I told Benjamin, don't say anything. Like, say nothing about this. Just, just stay quiet when the guy when the roll, window rolls down. He says, yeah, no. He totally understood. He said, okay, we're saying nothing. And uh, so I, I pulled in there. I pulled into the lot. And a guy comes up to me. I'm thinking, please don't ask for my ticket. Please don't ask for my ticket. I roll down the window. And he says, yeah, you know, you can move up to that lot over there. You'll be a lot closer. Yeah, that's an even better lot. Just pull up there. I go, no, no, that's okay. I'll park here. He says, no, no, it's, it's a much better lot up there. I go, no, no, that's fine. I'll stay here. The guy could not understand why I didn't want the better lot <laughs> because I didn't want to be checked over there. Uh, and I said, can I just park here? He says, okay, but uh, I'm surprised you don't want that. And I said, uh, my son's just really restless. He doesn't want to sit in the car any longer. He says, okay, I understand. Park here. <laughs> so so we parked and uh, left and we got into the game and it was, it was a great story. And uh, believe me, I would have happily paid for that better lot, but they wouldn't let me. And I was not going to sit in line for another hour. I just wasn't. And well, fortunately, you didn't have to pay. Yeah, fortunately, they didn't have. But I, that wasn't the victory either. Like if they if they said, "Hey, uh, you didn't pay, but you didn't pay for this. Give us another twenty dollars." I would happily whip out the twenty and give it to them. It, it was all about the time and not missing the game. It was about just for getting sure. to that lot and getting to the game. So I was I wasn't trying to cheat the Dodgers. Okay. So anyway. Uh, it's, it's close to 940. Um, you guys can obviously be part of this discussion as well. I know that uh, where you live, uh, Vintage One, where you live, are you near the riots going on right now? Oh, man. I was driving back from my parents' house, and I was crossing. I was going down uh, Beverly Drive in Beverly Hills, and a police motorcycle went flying by me. I'm like, what the fuck's going on? And as I am crossing Santa Monica, I look west, and there's got to be – 3,000 people marching in down Santa Monica Boulevard. (laughs) And I guess they stopped at Rodeo and started looting Rodeo a little bit. Yeah, like if I saw that, I would be just like, okay, I'm going to turn around and see if there's another way I can go. No, totally. It it did shock me, and I was a a little nervous. And I drove a little faster and got out of there, but it was was, uh, shocking to see. Believe it or not, and this ties in with the Dodgers, I actually was the idiot who drove into L.A. during the riots from Santa Barbara <laughs> on, on, in 92, okay? Not today, but in, in 92, I had tickets for a Dodgers game, so my plan was to drive from Santa Barbara, where I lived, to go to the Dodgers and then drive to my parents' house and stay there for the weekend. And uh, I knew the riots were starting, but they hadn't gotten that big yet, so I thought, and the game had not been canceled. So I was not going to give that up. So I was driving, and then on the way there, uh, I got the news. Not only was the game canceled, but I was already in L.A. by that point, but the traffic just ground to a halt, and then I heard the riots were getting bad. And I was like, shit. Then I started hearing that the traffic was just not moving, and it was going to take like six hours to get anywhere. And so what I did is I pulled over. I was in Malibu, actually, when it stopped. So at least I was not in uh, south-central L.A. or anything. I was in Malibu, and I pulled over. And I got my Thomas Guide out of my trunk, which if you're not one of the younger listeners, you know what that is, where it's a, a book that was a map of wherever, uh, whatever county you lived in. So I had an L.A. County Thomas Guide, which was pretty much the early 90s version of a GPS, the manual GPS. Uh, and I was uh, saying, okay, 
how do I find a way from Malibu to where my parents live that does not go along main roads or the freeway? And I found one. I found one that was the, the craziest route you could think of through all these diff- different weird side streets, but it worked because people didn't have the Waze app guiding them around the traffic. I, I was using a Thomas guide and doing it manually. So I actually got from Malibu to my parents' house about uh, uh, 25, 30 miles south in about an hour and a half, which on that day was a tremendous uh, accomplishment because there, most people took like six hours to go 10 miles. And I talked to many personally who did. So I, I oh, found, I remember it. Yeah, it I was found, out of control. Uh, so I found a way around it. Also, I didn't pass any dangerous areas doing this. I kept, uh, I kept to the the west side of town and uh, and was able to avoid any bad areas that there might be something dangerous going on. So at least I accomplished that. That was my that was my best detour accomplishment in my life uh, up till then and since then. We're in '92, getting uh, from Malibu to my parents' house in about an hour and a half as the riots had stopped the traffic everywhere. So anyway, we, we've got this all going on again. That's why I played the, the 92 version of the L.A. riots to start the show. If you listened, you would think it might be from today, except uh, the media was very anti-looting and rioting, and so were the people they were interviewing, which is not like today. So. We didn't see the, the looting in Beverly Hills on a yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, but they uh, shut that down uh, fast. Beverly Hills doesn't fuck around. <laughs> they tear gas these fuckers. They got them out fast. Beverly Hills is on yeah, lockdown now. But one of those stores, they just, we're going to see 100 Huggy Bears running around tomorrow on the news. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, I was trying to keep <laughs> Oh, yeah, they busted on, on Fairfax into that anime store well i saw in in uh in chicago exactly. they they nailed a, a nike store i mean they smashed the window and just people just streamed in and came out and i said okay well at least everybody destroying the city of chicago will, will have nice shoes on while they're doing it that's uh that's the plus of the whole thing so here will be the rest of our agenda after we have andrew barber on and have a lengthy discussion about what's going on with the riots and what happened with that police brutality incident and all that stuff we're going to discuss at length After that, we do have other topics to discuss. Here they are. First of all, we are going to have a Christopher Mitchell update. There's a major development that has occurred between him and A. Hoosier A. It won't take a long time, but it's something you're going to want to know. Bill Perkins. Remember we brought that up and it happened just before last week's show. We have a big update with that. We now know who he was accusing of cheating him. We know a lot more of the story. I hate to disappoint you, it's not as big as the Apostle story like he claimed it was, but you're still going to want to know what is the situation with that. And he appeared on Dat Poker Podcast and explained some more. We're going to play some clips of that. Chicago Joey went to bat for that player who got stiffed in the bet online bad beat jackpot, the guy who should have won more than 50K, a low-limit player there who that was very big money to. We have an update on that. I will tell you if there was a happy ending. There are some accusations about a World Series of Poker main event bracelet winner from the 2010s that have been floating around in the background for more than five years, but nobody has covered them. Very serious accusations. In fact, accusations that have to do with his personal life and not poker. But these accusations have come out somewhat on Twitter, and now we're going to be the first poker media to discuss it. That segment will be kind of in the middle of the show, but I think you're going to want to hear this, and you're probably curious 
who it might be. Nevada casinos are going to reopen on June 4th. That is the date that the state has set for the first possible opening date. A lot of them are getting ready to do so. We will discuss what that's going to be like and whether you should go down there. I have a small Vanessa Selps update. Not a major thing, but just a little interesting thing I noticed in a Poker News article that was mostly about her and what she is doing these days. Stone's Gambling Hall, home of the Mike Possel scandal, is going to reopen soon. I will let you know when and what that's going to be like, according to an insider who let me know. We're also going to have some coronavirus topics, not as much as we've had in previous weeks, but we'll talk a little bit about that. And the final two topics, we'll talk about a big giveaway on Twitter by the D in Las Vegas that was just spontaneously given away there, or at least uh, not spontaneously, but it was done abruptly without anyone knowing it was coming. Uh, first come, first serve type of contest that was completed in about two hours. And Galfond has finished another match. He is done playing Action Freak. I will let you know who ended up winning overall. So that is our agenda tonight. We're going to get on Andrew Barber, and I will warn you, even though Andrew Barber, I expected him at first that he was going to be someone who's going to completely oppose me and all my viewpoints about this, but there's, there's one area where we agree, and that is actually about the riot, and he doesn't think it's productive either. So we're, we're not going to have a, a pro-rioter on, but I, I did want to at least have someone who can provide a, a somewhat of a counterpoint here, and, and we're going to call him up on, on Skype. Hello? Andrew Barber, hello. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. Hi, Todd. How are you? Well, um, I, I'm okay for right now. Fortunately, I'm not that close to uh, any rioting, which I know Vintage Same. One can't say. Oh, you're not that close either? No, 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 no I'm not. Okay. I, are, are you, uh, where are you these days? I'm in Santa Cruz, which is uh, the South Bay. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a South, where I grew up in, in uh, southern uh, L.A. County was called the South Bay. So I used to hear the South oh, really? Bay talked about, and then I, I realized that some people saying the South Bay are referring to things like Santa Cruz. It was very confusing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, sh- I should say Bay Area, but I was trying to be like a little bit more specific. Yeah, well, in the Bay Area, you say the South Bay, they they know what you're talking about. Just over exactly, here, exactly. over here in, in Los Angeles, they think you're talking about like Torrance or Redondo Beach. So, gotcha. so okay. Anyway, uh, welcome to the show. We're heavy on here. I think for the second time ever. Correct. And uh, the way Andrew, the way this came about was he was saying that uh, I should have someone call in uh, poker fraud alert who who doesn't agree with uh, some of what I've tweeted uh, yesterday and today about the whole situation, and I said. Okay, you can. <laughs> you can you can come on. So he's he said, "Okay, I'll do it." And I said, "Okay, I'll I'll have him on and uh, at least with Andrew I know what to expect. I'm not going to have some some maniac shouting obscenities at me for not agreeing with him. I know we're going to get a No, that's not a that's not a person worth having or even speaking to. Right. So 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 I said, "Okay, good. I can I can have someone on here who who doesn't agree with me but can do so in a respectful manner." So uh so I'm going to give my perspective on this and then we can uh Ask Andrew if he disagrees. Then, of course, uh, our two co-hosts, uh, Trey Ruski and Vintage One, can chime in on how they feel. But, but first, as I said a little earlier in the show, I I don't like to see. I didn't like to see that video. And I think just about every American, except for maybe some white supremacists or other people who are just completely delusional, I think everybody, for the most part in America, watched that video of that man being killed by that officer with putting his knee on the back of his neck and just sitting there when the guy clearly can't breathe and says he can't breathe and is calling for his mom, who's not even alive anymore. 
I, it, it's very clear at that point you don't just sit there with the guy, your knee on the guy's neck and not caring. And then even after he dies under you and you don't realize it and he goes silent, you just sit there with your knee on his neck with, a, with a, an arrogant look on your face. That whole thing is very, very disturbing to watch. Uh, this officer is, is a perfect example of a police officer who should not have a badge. This is someone who had other numerous other uh, disciplinary issues and complaints about him. Now, of course, there are bogus complaints that are made against police officers where the police officer was in the right, but this guy had like 18 complaints against him, of which some were closed with... Uh, disciplinary action or or some action taken where it was concluded that he was not in the right this was someone with a bad disciplinary record as well this is someone who should have not been a police officer long ago and this shouldn't have even happened so um i i i provide no defense for the police officer here and uh, uh i want everybody to understand here that what i saw there it makes me is unhappy to see this as those who are uh, unhappy and saying that they support all the riots and looting as a result, or, or the ones that seem to have a much more extreme opinion about uh, the fallout from this and why it's okay. I, I have the same opinion from watching this, and I think most Americans do. So there's there's not much debate about this. And uh, in fact, I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any from any like even semi credible or semi logical sources. That uh, I, I have, like, it's not like the Ferguson thing that happened six years ago, where there was a lot of debate as to whether or not that w- that was or was not a, a reasonable uh, shooting of of, uh, of Michael Brown. And uh, Michael Brown also, who was the one shot in that case, was also not a sympathetic character once some uh, information came out. This one's very different. This one, there's, there's, I'm not seeing. Uh, uh, anyone saying, "Oh, this this George Floyd guy deserved it," or, or he had just committed a major crime, a major violent crime, and and uh, um, and, and so of course this is going to happen. We, we haven't seen that here. This is this is a clear cut s- scenario. So at least we don't have that. At least we, we have agreement, and that's the sad thing is that this should not be uh, translating to what we're seeing now because people are in agreement that this was awful. And uh, while the city of Minneapolis did not handle it well, and they uh, they were too slow, they, they should have... Oh, what, what is that in the background there? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm out for a walk. <laughs> okay. I apologize. I, I was about to blame Trader Ruski. He always makes noise in the back. I was about to say this is his fault. And uh, no, he's Probably innocent. My, my bad. He's innocent here. Okay. Uh, I did I did look down. I was on mute. <laughs> Trader Ruski's like, uh-oh, what am I doing now? Uh, but uh, uh, the city of Minneapolis... Uh, they screwed this up in that they didn't learn from seeing what happens. You look at this and you look at that video and go, you should have said immediately if you're in charge in Minneapolis, oh no, this is going to look really bad for our police force in our city. People are going to be really pissed off. This obviously has a racial element to it because uh, it it was a black man killed by a white officer. You need to look at that and say, okay, this has the potential to turn into a horrible aftermath we need to proceed from there with that in mind. And they did not. They uh, they were kind of slow. And when I say, I say kind of slow because it's, this occurred on Monday. So it's not like this happened a month ago and they've done nothing. This occurred on Monday. But still, given how bad it looked and what was likely to occur from it, and given that people were probably already in a bad mood because of uh, the coronavirus that's been uh, leaving everyone on edge for the last few months, uh, at that point, you, you, you really have to take a better position here, uh, a quick, you have to swiftly condemn it. You have to swiftly charge the officers with something and arrest them. From viewing that video, it's it's very easy to arrest them for something, even if you can't charge them with murder yet because you're trying to uh, 
Uh, you, you have to get forensics reports. And everything. You, you have to quickly take action and make a clear action's being taken so there's not the – people can't say, oh, it looks like the cops are getting away, away with it. You, you arrest all four cops. You charge them with something, especially the main guy who did it. And then, and then you go for, and then you you put out there where you condemn it, and you say we are uh, investigating what further charges, all the way up to possibly murder. Uh, what we're going to look at what the evidence supports there, and, and we're going to look at this very seriously. And that really lowers the chance that something like this is going to happen. Instead, they drag oh, their for sure. You treat it as if it was you, me, and Traderuski doing it on the street. We get arrested immediately. Yeah. So, so and you, that's exactly how it needed to be handled. So, so they, so they dragged their feet with this, and that was a huge mistake, and uh, and that can't be forgotten here. That's that's a a huge mistake, and that's why people were getting really pissed off. And uh, yeah, they got pissed off. Like the, all the trouble, the aftermath, it started two days later. So yes, they didn't. It, a lot of time wasn't waited before people freaked out. But it it didn't take a genius if you're in charge of Minneapolis to foresee this. The, the, the situation, it was obvious that there was going to be a big problem if they didn't uh, uh, swiftly handle this one, and they did not, and that was that was a big problem. So, uh, now these things, I don't think anyone's going to debate this here, that uh, <laughs> that this wasn't handled well by Minneapolis and that, that this was uh, this whole thing started up. I think I think all of that is, is pretty obvious, and most Americans would agree these are not uh, controversial takes. Where we start to get into things that are... are uh, which become more controversial and, and to be honest, less straightforward and less obvious, and and where the, it, it really depends upon how you see the situation, and how, and and also how you see all the police brutality as a whole that that occurs in this country and why you think it occurs, and that that's the, so uh, there's various things that come up for this. First of all, is there a racial element to it? Well, there there is a racial element uh, in that it was a black man who was killed by a white officer. And that uh, there have been accusations for a very long time, for dec- many decades, that uh, that police officers treat black suspects differently than they treat white suspects. So there's been there's been that immediately comes into it. Even if this didn't happen because the guy was black, which people forget sometimes, this uh, there was a very similar occurrence that occurred in Southern California that was not talked about much outside of Southern California to a man named Kelly Thomas in 2011. Kelly Thomas was a homeless man who was wandering around a parking lot who was kind of like looking at cars. He may have been thinking of breaking into the cars. He hadn't done anything yet. He's kind of loitering around a parking lot of a bar and looking at cars. Hadn't actually done anything illegal yet, but he might have been on the way to it. Uh, it's, it's, we'll, we'll never know. But uh, they, they, the restaurant called the police which that part I thought was fine. They got criticism for this, but I th- if you see a guy loitering around, a homeless man loitering around looking in cars, uh, yeah, calling the police is fine. Where it wasn't fine is the police came. Uh, Kelly Thomas, who was a white man, was was kind of out of it, and uh, I don't know why, but uh, maybe he was mentally ill, maybe he was on drugs, whatever it was. He was kind of out of it. He didn't understand that well. They're just their instructions to lie down, and they just um, they attacked him. And something very similar happened. We're in the process of arresting him. They were uh, way too forceful, and he kept saying he couldn't breathe, and he died. Very similar. Google Kelly Thomas. You'll see it was very similar. Reason yeah, he was calling for his dad, too. Yeah. Reason you didn't hear about it, if he didn't live in Southern California, is that he was white. So, uh, so, so the same thing could have happened here, is that this may not have been a case of racism. It could just look like it, because... Uh, because the person who did it was white and the uh, victim was black. Now, does that mean that 
it's fine for the officer? No, obviously not. They, you can have poli- you can have police brutality without racism, and it can still be murder. So that's uh, but that that's that can be overlooked. Now, is it possible that racism had to do with this? Yeah, it's possible. It's possible that uh, this officer was racist. It's possible that he felt he needs to use uh, excessive force on black suspects more than white suspects. It's possible that he that uh, he just. Uh, didn't like black people, so if a black person's uh, saying he can't breathe and is struggling, he's getting some sick enjoyment out of it and just sits there, and, may- and maybe with a white guy he would take his knee off. We don't know. We-, we don't have evidence either way, so I'm not saying it wasn't racist, but there's no evidence it was. It's not like uh, something's been unearthed that this guy was a, a racist or has racist social media posts and uh, or talked about how he wants to kill a black guy someday and on the job. Like If we saw that, then we'd know for sure it was racist. Here, it's, 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 it's something that's possible but not totally clear, which people have to understand as well. Uh, but but obviously the optics of it are very very bad and uh, uh, and and it's understandable why the black community is is angry about this and it's it's understandable why they are especially disgusted to see this. While everybody can be disgusted, if you are a black person and you see a video like this, uh, it's going to feel much worse. And I understand that. And uh, and and you have to understand that. When I say you, I mean like the listener, whoever you are. If you're, if you're not black yourself, you do have to understand that they view this video even differently than the rest of us. And, and that has to be understood as well. But uh, but that's already where we start to have – but then you look at like police brutality in general. How much is this just bad police officers and how much of this is really from racism and how how prevalent is police brutality? Is it just that we hear about it because it's a country of 330 million people with thousands of police departments and people all have video phones now so they uh, they can take videos of it? So with that many cops out there – with that many arrests that take place all the time in a country of this size, that uh, you're, you're going to see this every so often, especially in a country like ours with a lot of violence by first world country standards. So are we gonna, eventually going to see this? Uh, Where overall it's really a tiny percentage, but but uh, we happen to see it. But, but every time we see one, it, lo- it kind of makes it look like this is commonplace. Or is it possible this is going on a lot more than we think, but a lot of times it just isn't on video? So, so there's uh, there's different views on that that uh, that that are already separating people, and then there's the biggest question here, and and I want to stress this is not the biggest thing to be thinking about, but it's the biggest question. So I have people saying you can't talk about the riots and the looting because that's minor compared to the issue of the fact that a man was murdered, and I say well no, you can talk about both. You can you can be very mad about the, uh, the man being murdered, and but you can also say the rioting and the looting is wrong and it's causing. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of bad things to happen. A lot of trouble. A lot of people's lives are being ruined by it. You, you can so so the the rioting and the looting is where there's the biggest disagreement in uh, in this country right now regarding this entire situation. That's where there start to be there starts to be a lot of debate, a lot of disagreement, a lot of a lot of anger at each other rather than anger at the cops or anger at the system. There's a lot of people angry at each other who are debating this matter and. Uh, so I'm going to give my opinion, and I'm going to ask. Uh, I, I'm going to. Well, I'm going to rather than just give my opinion, I'm going to read a series of tweets I put out, which I know that Andrew saw. But I'm going to read a series of tweets I put out, and and then uh, we we can discuss what I had to say. Because I put a, a series of seven uh, a seven part tweet, and uh, that's. Uh, now I got to find my own tweet for some reason. For some reason, it's good. Twitter is so weird. You go back and try to find things sometimes, and it's it's even sometimes hard to uh, find what you wrote here. Okay, I found it. This is what I wrote 
yesterday at about uh, 10.45 p.m. I was a young adult when the 1992 L.A. riots occurred. Many similarities to the situation. Remember gang member Football Williams, who beat a man almost to death for fun during those riots? Most violent demonstrators are like him, with no serious ideology or societal goal. Now, I'll stop there for a second. For those of you that don't know, Damien Football Williams was a 19-year-old gang member. He was actually the same age as me at the time. I think like a year younger than me, but very close to my age at the time. I was 20. And he was a gang member, and he was really just out there to cause trouble. He was not there to protest against the, the treatment of black people or the fact that uh, uh, the, the cops who, who beat Rodney King uh, got judged not guilty in a court of law and got off for it. Like, he wasn't out there for that. He was out there because he was a gang member. He already had a lengthy criminal record by 19 for serious crimes. Uh, and, and by the way, when he got out of jail for this, where he almost beat a man to death, uh, he eventually murdered somebody else. And, uh, with a brick, let's not forget. Yeah, the, the brick was uh, during this, these riots. Uh, he, right. he, he ended up uh, uh, murdering somebody else, and, uh, and I, I think he ultimately got killed himself, uh, Football Williams. But uh, anyway, he, he was the most uh, memorable criminal of the 92 L.A. riots between the fact that he pulled a white man out of a truck passing by named Reginald Denny and hit him with a brick and almost killed him. And they really, you know, really beat him. He and three other guys. And also because he has a memorable nickname. He was called Football because he used to play uh, football back in high school. So uh, this was not someone who was out there for social justice. This this was a guy who was there just to cause mayhem. He was there because the riots were taking place. He was a gang member. He liked committing crimes. He was a bad guy. We, we learned, you know, we even saw after this he was a bad guy. He murdered someone after this. Th- this guy was a piece of shit and he was just out there because riots were happening. And he said, oh, cool. Riots, okay, I, I, I can beat people up, I can, I can uh, destroy things, I can cause mayhem, and nothing's going to happen to me. Perfect. This is my dream. So that's why he and his friends were out there in 92. And, and he said so. He admitted it. He didn't say, oh, I'm out here because I'm mad about uh, Rodney King. When they, uh, when they arrested him for this, he admitted that he was caught up in the moment. That's all. That he didn't say, I did this for social justice, I did this to send a message to white people. No, I, was just, I, got, I, I was just out there, I got caught up in the moment of seeing everybody rioting. So he went, he went out there to cause trouble, and that can't be forgotten. That was 28 years ago, but the rioters today, in my opinion, a lot of them are like him. Maybe not as bad as him, most of them, but uh, a lot of them are there just to cause trouble. They don't care too much about this whole thing. Many people, I went on to say in my tweet, many people today didn't learn from that. They are erroneously confusing the greedy looters whose motivation is simply to steal and criminal arsonists who just enjoy destroying things and causing mayhem with actual freedom fighters demonstrating for change. In fact, many of these delusional folks, and when I say delusional folks, I mean people on Twitter, white people on Twitter who are making excuses for them, uh, refuse to acknowledge that there's any element of greed or destroy things for fun to this entire mess. They're casting every one of these criminals as good people who are just oppressed and are fighting back in their own way. Amazingly, rather than donating to the many worthy charities which help the downtrodden, we have Hollywood stars and top poker pros donating big money to the reprehensible Minnesota Freedom Fund, which actually pays bail and legal expenses of those destroying the city, which, by the way, is true. The Minnesota Freedom Fund, you can look it up. They admit it right there if you, uh, if you look at their website. This is what they're doing. The, 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 this fund here, it's, it, a lot of people are, are sending this out on social media, this Minnesota Freedom Fund saying donate, and they 
are confusing people by saying justice for George Floyd. That's not what this fund is about. This fund is actually for those who have been arrested while protesting. And when I say protesting, I don't mean this is only defending those who were arrested for uh, um, uh, protesting and who somehow got caught up and arrested when they hadn't done anything wrong. I mean, anybody who was arrested as a result of rioting and looting here or protesting, anyone, even bad criminals uh, who, who have done things here, uh, this money goes to defending them. And it, so Hollywood stars donated this. Uh, Isaac Haxton, a rich poker pro, he don't, he put this out here. He, he's not involved with it, but he, he's put out that he donated, uh, I think, $1,000 to it. And he put it out on his Twitter encouraging others to donate to it. He put a hashtag justice for, for George Floyd. He didn't explain further what this is. And that a number of poker pros, including uh, Donnie Stern, uh, Jesse Martin... And, and some others, I'm forgetting who they were, but several poker pros put screenshots of their donations of anywhere between $400 and uh, $2,000. So that's, I, I think that's, of all things to donate to, I think that's a, a horrible cause to be donating to. Uh, then I went on to say, rooting and rioting and looting is never the answer. It does not bring change. It brings despair to others, including the city itself, which ends up as a smoldering heap. It depresses the poor even further. It encourages mass violence and theft as a response to dissatisfaction with society. The real solution comes not from identity or race-based politics, but from common sense. Make it easier to fire bad cops with a bad disciplinary record. Most of the bad cops on the news already have a history of trouble. I'm talking about all of them, not just in this case. Uh, most, most of them should have lost their badge ages ago. So when you, when you see these stories of these awful cops who do bad things, and it's pretty clear that these are awful cops who've done bad things, oh, what do you know? It turns out that there's like a, a long list of other accusations against them from the past, which somehow they uh, were able to keep their badge despite that. Like a lot of credible-looking ones, too. So there's, it, it always seems like the cops who do the worst things are ones that you could have predicted it from looking at their record. And I concluded with, America is outraged by the incident, and almost everyone is of agreement that the death scene on camera was police brutality. You don't need to burn down a city to get people's attention. You already have it. Don't support rioting and looting to show how sensitive you are. And this is aimed to, sens- to show how sensitive you are. This is not aimed at, at the black people supporting it, which I don't think they should be doing either. I'm a- aiming this at these suburban white people who are supporting the rioting and looting. A lot of them are doing this because they think this makes them more understanding, more sensitive, more uh, empathetic, that if if you come out and say, oh, yeah, of course, these people have been oppressed, of course this is what they do. I support it. Uh, good for them. Good for them for fighting back. It's, then you can feel better about being a, a privileged white person. And, it's, and, and then the, they can go to sleep and, and put their head on the pillow and say, okay, well, I'm, I'm supporting the, the, the oppressed black people rising up against the white, white power structure. I, I put out on Twitter, I support this. So... I'm a good person, and and that's the way some white people think, and that's you're doing that for yourself. You're not doing this for them. You're, you may think you're doing this for them. You're doing it for yourself to make yourself feel better that you think you're on the right side. You think you're on the side of the oppressed, and that uh, alleviates the white guilt you have. But that's that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. You should be on the correct side based upon who's right, not based upon what makes yourself feel better. And And I... I don't like when I see people doing that. or And in fact, some of them get mad. The ones who, who get the angriest on social media I've seen are other white people. Are other white people who have, who are successful and who don't uh, – who 
have very good lives, and they are the one getting the the ones getting the angriest. If you say otherwise, if you put out the tweets like I did, some of them get very angry. So that, that's how I feel about it. And as you can see, I'm not coming out saying, oh, the police are great. The police never make mistakes. Uh, no reform necessary. Uh, this was just an outlier. Uh, let's just uh, let's just accept the fact that this occurs every so often because there's so many police officers. Wonder if you, we're going to have a few bad apples. Everything's fine. Let's just go forward. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we, we need reform. Yes, we we need to have a way to get rid of these bad cops before they do things like this is what I am saying. Not not just to black people, to all to all people. So this way it doesn't happen to people like this Kelly Thomas nine years ago. This way. We don't have people of any race dying at the hands of the police when they don't need to, while at the same time not saying that all police are racist and awful, all police like to brutalize people, all police are terrible, or we need to stop police from being able to do their jobs as, as, as efficiently because there's too much brutality. I think if you get the, if you look and get rid of the bad cops, the ones who have the bad records, make it much easier to, to dump them and fire them and stop giving them second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances for, for when they screw up then you'll see a lot less of this and you'll see a lot more good policing where when force is used, it will be justified and you won't see things like this. You'll still see some of it. It's, gonna, it's inevitable that this type of thing will happen occasionally because with that many cops out there, with that many incidents, occasionally there will be something bad that occurs. It's just a, a numbers game. It's an unfortunate numbers game, but it's a numbers game. But that's, that, I feel, is the solution as a viable solution. It's one they can come up with a plan with. It's something that's concrete, not abstract. It doesn't require policing people's thoughts. It, it's, it's, it's taking an action that's based upon hard data, hard stats, hard numbers, hard incidents, where you can really do it. And that's, that's how I feel. Now, Andrew, let me ask you here, since I've had you on for a while while I've rambled. Uh, what, what do you disagree? Tell me some things you disagree with of, of the statements I've just made here. Well, there, there was a lot there. Okay, um, we'll but, pick something. But I, I, I will tell you that that we are in alignment on a lot of the stuff. Uh, I think that I appreciate that you recognize that this police officer, uh, like like many other police officers out there, and we could talk about the numbers. Um, you know, was you know brutalized and killed this 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 man uh, unnecessarily, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that. With all of the cases there have been of police officers, uh, you know, killing people, I think that what we needed, and this is tends to be the case, you know, with revolutions throughout history, you needed like the perfect, the perfect setting, the perfect timing. And I actually think like coronavirus combined with the fact that this guy's behavior is totally indefensible is the, the you know, the perfect alignment of the stars that you're not going to feel like you said, no one, no one is defending him. Uh, so his his behavior is indefensible, and I think that you know, given the his victim, I think his victim is is like you said, like some of the the previous victims have been less than sympathetic, which is probably not uh, a, you know the best argument. Um, but for whatever reason, it fell on deaf ears. You know, we've had dozens and dozens of you know black men that have been killed by police officers, but this one seems to resonate. This one feels different for some reason. Um, so, so yeah. And then I, I do, I think that you made a, an astute point that, uh, it's kind of like, it makes you think of shark attacks. I think shark attacks get a lot of coverage in the media and there's, you know, there's maybe a couple, couple dozen. I would, someone would have to check me on the numbers here, but I think we have something like a, a dozen or two dozen a year. It might not even be that big a problem, but they get so much coverage. 
And I think that the, uh, you know, deaths due to police officers uh, is not the, the scale of the problem is not proportional to the amount of coverage it gets. Uh, and I think that influences uh, our thinking on this issue. But it's, it, you know, any deaths are, are terrible. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you had some uh, some good solutions. I think that the, the the easiest solution is that you have some national system that tracks, uh, you know, uh, grievances filed against police officers. I think this stuff is actually easy to predict. I've seen some research on it that, you know, you can follow a police officer's career and you can predict the ones that are going to have trouble because of the number of uh, complaints that have been filed against them. Yeah, I agree. Early in their careers. Uh yeah, and then let's just get to the, uh, you know, the the crux of the matter, which are these riots, the, the riots and looting. And I'll just tell you right off the bat, like I do not condone the the looting, but what I do is I I think I understand. I think it's really important to understand when people resort to, you know, desperate actions. Uh, I think that, you know, some of these people just feel like the system has failed them over and over and over again. And that's got to be incredibly frustrating. I, I will never experience in my life the shit that some of these people have to put up with, whether it be having to do with race or socioeconomics. And I think you make an important distinction that, you know, some of this stuff is racial and some of this stuff is definitely not racial. It's about class. Uh, you know, I think poor whites are struggling just as much as, as poor blacks in a, in a variety of ways. So I think, yeah, I think some of it's socioeconomics. I think the coronavirus doesn't help things. And so there's this kindling that was just waiting for a match, and this is the match. So I, I totally understand why people would resort to such terrible behavior, and it is. I mean, I think looting is looting is awful. These cities are going to be destroyed. It's going to take forever to fix. Um, but I, I sometimes understand when people are backed up against the wall, how they may resort to, you know, committing criminal acts. Like when you mentioned the, that that guy football football Williams. Um, you know, I think that when he was asked about it, he said he got caught up in it. I think that that supports the theory of the psychology of the mob that people just kind of get caught up in, in the energy and they kind of lose track of, you know, what they're thinking or their, their faculties. Well, see that, that came up today. The reason it came up big time today is, is this really weird element to this that uh, nobody expected and it, it's still being looked into. And, and I guess in the next few days, we'll probably know more about this, but there's this, Weird element, which which may actually be true, like not even like a, a conspiracy element, but like a weird element that that may actually have some truth to it. That uh, there is some kind of situation where people came from out of state to purposely try to rile everyone up to, to cause these riots. That people came in, not even black people. Supposedly white people came in from some other state and drove in and, and broke windows and, and tried to rile everyone up and then get the crowd to uh, follow along, and and it worked. And that's that's what's being alleged, and, and supposedly eighty percent of everybody arrested during these riots was from out of state, which was very shocking. I, I read this; maybe it's not true, but I read that that's that's yeah. I, that was I, the numbers. I've, seen, I've seen very recent data that doesn't support this. That that was a that was a bogus claim. Oh, it was okay. Um, yeah, you never know. What yeah, yeah. Saying. So, yeah, no, I think that there's. I think this is happening at the local level. So I think it was easy to come up with an excuse that these are outsiders, um, you know, with nefarious intentions. No, I think this, you know, the Occam's razor, this is the simplest theory. It's just people at home who are pissed, who, who you know, lost their ability to make good decisions, and, you know, got caught up in the moment, 
and did some shitty stuff. And, and I, you know, I, I don't want to forgive. I don't think anyone who says that, that looting is completely acceptable is, is being disingenuous, you know, or they, or they're deceiving themselves uh, because it's, I think it's unforgivable. I think that having some sympathy for people who are rioting, who feel like they can't operate within the system. I mean, I was just talking to, to Ryan fee and I think Ryan fee has convinced himself that if black people just use really good strategies and use and, and follow due process, that they will overturn, you know, the, uh, the years of, of racism and oppression that they that that they've experienced, and I just think that that's really naive. I think some people are just fucked due to power structures. Well, I see. I don't think they're fu- see. I disagree. I don't think they're fucked. I do agree that they have a lot more to overcome. You you do have to uh, like first of all, one of the biggest things that uh, people overlook about uh, where the disadvantage is is just the your the family you're part of if you're if you grow up in a family that uh number one is away from where a lot of crime violent crimes occurring and a lot of uh, the gang activity and stuff then the the chance you'll get led astray by other kids who are bad is is lower and and second if your family uh, stresses education and doesn't let you goof off and make sure that you know kind of your parents really put you on a a path towards uh education and a career and if you try to deviate from it then they they try to force you back on it uh the, your chance of being successful at that point uh, no matter what color you are is uh, is much higher than if you're in a family where that's not and if you're growing growing up in an area where there's a lot of uh, other things that can lead you astray so there you do have additional challenges and a different uh, more opportunity to have pitfalls that uh than you you would in in the in the suburbs and uh, of course, a lot more black people live in, under those conditions than, than white people do. Uh, but, but as, as far as but they can, like there, there have been, and there are there are stories of people who who grew up in very very bad uh, circumstances. They grew up in the ghetto. They grew up where there's a lot a lot of gangs and a lot of crime. And their parents were awful, and they they still overcame it and became very successful. But I I know it I know it is harder. I know so it's not impossible. Uh, it's not impossible, but but the, let's not let's not look at the outliers and say that everyone can be an outlier. I mean, the, the numbers are just they're, they're slanted against you know people coming who have run bad in a variety of ways. That run bad where they're born, to whom they're born to, the quality of the schools they have. You know, the maybe they only have one parent, they have no money. I mean, it's just you can you can you know maybe run bad in one way. Maybe your parents get divorced or something like that. Or, or some tragedy befalls you, but when you run bad in every possible way, it's tough to come back from that. And I think, I think that if you uh, are are white, if you are affluent, if you are educated, if you have above average IQ, you should wrestle every day with the fact that you have an advantage that someone else doesn't have. Well, yeah, I but think that, that should be on everybody's mind all the time. Well, the thing is, though, everybody has that. Like, even those who who, who do have this advantage you describe, uh, there, there's people who have even more more of an advantage. You know, children of celebrities or, or royalty or, they, or 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 athletes who have a tremendous uh, ability that, uh, prov- provided they don't screw up, are destined to, to make a huge money and be really famous just because of the ability they were born with that others don't have. Uh, so there's there's people above of you, and like, I, I don't. Uh, while I don't, I don't feel. 
like resentful towards those people. I'm not resentful towards uh, um, baseball players who who can make thirty million dollars a year because they can play baseball a lot better than me because they were born with ability I didn't I don't have. Uh, because, uh, like, like er, er, I realize that everybody is born into different circumstances. Everybody, I, I know everybody's not born into equal circumstances, and that some, for some people it's harder than others. And I, I will acknowledge that I was overall, I, I was born in, in de- definitely the upper echelon of, of circumstances of of, uh, of of my likelihood to to succeed and to. But but uh, I, I the thing is, since it's impossible for everybody to be born into equal circumstances, I, I don't. I'm not one who ever believes you should feel guilty. You should you should acknowledge it. You shouldn't just deny it and just say, okay, well, someone uh, who's born who's black and poor in the ghetto with with one parent who uh, who also isn't very uh, very responsible has the same chances as, as someone who's born rich to two great parents. Uh, in, in the suburbs, I, I'm not going to say they have an equal chance of success. They don't. And the, the baby born in, in the ghetto there in that example has a much lesser chance, and it's it's unfair to him. It sucks. But that's uh, there, there's a lot of things. There's people born with terrible health problems. They're, 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 they're probably not going to live past 25. Uh, there's, so there's a lot of different ways uh, you can just run bad at birth that uh, some are socioeconomic, some are not. Uh, there's there's so many different ways people can be born unequal. Even in looks, some people are, are are born really attractive, and that that really helps them in life. Some people are born ugly, and they're they're rest live with that their whole life that they're not very attractive, and uh, and and that that hurts them in other ways. So like there's there's I, I'm not trying to equalize all these. I just I just feel like there's so many different advantages and disadvantages you can have, and some people will be born into a better situation, some people in a worse situation. I'm not one who just feels that people should feel guilty about it. I, I do think you can be understanding and acknowledge it, but but yeah, I, I'm not advocating for feeling guilt. I think white guilt is not is doesn't do anyone any favors. Like it's it's not uh, it doesn't help you to achieve any goal. So I don't think you should spend time on it. I just I, I think that acknowledgement is a good start, and then maybe a little a step ahead of that might be something like, uh, you know, when you have the posi- you know when you you're in a position in which you can advocate for change that allows for more rates of social mobility. So the people, you know, who have run bad in birth have an opportunity to climb the social ladder a little bit more. I think that's, that's something that we could all be doing. That's, that seems like the, the, the reasonable play because socioeconomics are something that we can change. Whereas like, I can't change someone's appearance. Who's, you know, uh, you, you, some people are blessed with good looks. Um, some people are born with that athletic ability. This is stuff that, like, you know, genetic lottery stuff that we can't change. But we can definitely help people with, with regard to socioeconomics or education or support programs. And that's that's the stuff that I think that, uh, you know, that we could concern ourselves with. Okay. so Rather than white white guilt and, and being woke. No, and I agree with that. Signal, that's... Virtual signal. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're not. I'm, I'm glad you're not on board with all that stuff. There's, I I get the people I argue with the most on on social media about these things, and and even on my own forum, are are, are people who are are just white people like me, often like middle aged white people like me who, who live in the suburbs, and and there's a, a lot of similarities in our demographic, but. Uh, but I, I feel some of them are just trying to – they're either expressing white guilt or they're trying to, to take certain positions to alleviate their own guilt, and they think that, that, that helps it. But it doesn't really help anything. Like if they argue with me on social media or on a forum, that doesn't change anything. It doesn't uh, – that can make themselves feel good, but it, it, that causes no change, that, that does no good other than make them feel better when they uh, go to sleep at night. Uh, so I, I'm glad you, you feel that way. Uh, but like with going back to these riots here – 
I think we're, one place that we have a disagreement is that I think that a lot of the rioters here are ones the ones who are actually committing rioting, not just protesting. The people who are protesting, who, who legitimately uh, like are very unhappy with what's going on, and they they want to protest, they want to see a change. That that's fine. I'm talking about the people who are doing things, uh, causing some kind of mayhem that they shouldn't be. That where they, where they deviate from peaceful protest, either destroying things. Or, or attacking people, or burning things, or looting. I, I think those people who are doing it are not mostly not the ones who are there to actually make a point. They are there because they either want to have fun causing trouble, or they are, or or, or maybe they are just out there and then trouble starts and they go, oh sweet, this is fun. They, they like, they, oh everyone's doing it. I want to do it too. And they, they, I, I, I do believe there's a crowd mentality. I do believe in, in human beings. Of all colors, if if there's something bad that's going on and the crowd is doing it, it's much easier to get involved with doing than if everybody around you is behaving normally. I've even seen this in an office setting, and uh, where, where you're in an office and everybody there is acting up, and all of a sudden you have people who normally aren't problem employees who start becoming problem employees because they're seeing everyone else act badly, and then you have the reverse where this isn't tolerated at all, and then everybody's you know in line except for the very bad actors, and then they're they're fired very quickly. So. I think so. There's definitely a crowd mentality when when you start seeing people behaving badly, and it starts kind of infecting the crowd. That it, it people are more likely to do it, even ones who otherwise wouldn't have. But I think the ones who are uh, most likely to do that, and even most likely to instigate, are ones who are there not for good reasons. They're ones who are there just because they're out there because people are out there causing trouble. Like like Football Williams. He wasn't out there to protest. He was out there because uh, there's there a riot going on and he was a gang member and he, he was he, he he just wanted to be part of it. He just he just uh it seems like something he, he wants to do. He wants to be part of the whole thing. And so so I I think a lot of that a lot of the rioting is actually happening by those maybe there are instigators who are doing it on purpose to try to get the crowd riled up either for fun or for some kind of ideology. I've seen on both sides. I've seen I've seen people on the left saying these are white, white supremacists or other right-wingers that are trying to uh, make black people look bad and, and are doing this for that reason. And I've seen accusations from the right that this is Antifa and others on the left who, who are trying to do this because they want to see a, a, a riot like this. They want to see change, and they feel that's the only way they can do it. So the only way they can do it is by uh, riling up the black people. So like white Antifa on the left is doing it. I've seen accusations on both sides. I don't know which one's right. I don't know if either's right. It could just be people, agitators, who are doing it uh, uh, just just for fun. They want to they see if they can start a riot up, and then and they are. They say, hey, I wonder if we smash these windows, we will loot the store. Smash, smash, smash. Oh, look at this. They're all going in. Aha, this is so funny. Like It, it could be people like that. So... Uh, We'll have to find out. I, I don't even have an opinion on this this one because I don't know who's doing it. I don't know who, who agitated this. There could be, all the explanations are, are plausible. Actually, I don't even think any of these are far fetched. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Really, my, my my default, my prior is that is that both stories are bullshit. It seems like the fact that they're symmetric and the fact that both sides are so good at crafting these narratives that are so elaborate that the other side is is you know capable of of plotting like i just saw a flyer uh you know that uh everyone everyone on the right is always blaming george soros for like funding protesters on the left and it's like so funny to me like how does this actually work does he is he mailing checks out is he sending buses to these people it's just crazy to me that that's the that's the story that seems the most believable when i i feel like the most believable story is that People get upset, they go outside, they're part of a mob, and they start doing stupid things. 
Yeah, well, that feels like the easiest story to believe. Well, it could be, and that's why that's what I believed the whole time until I started hearing this stuff today. Um, I, I don't think George Soros is involved. I don't think like the, it's a, I don't think it's like a closely organized thing. I could see where some group of people, some relatively small group of people, on either side for for the, for their own ideology, thought that starting a riot here w- would be helpful and it would benefit their, what their goal is. And and so I don't mean like a, a super organized thing that no one knew about and then they pulled off. I mean like just if some idiots got together and and said uh, let's go do this and uh, and and came down with a lot of friends and 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 started this. It is it is very possible that this is all BS and it really is just just big groups of people. You're going to have a certain percentage that don't behave well, and then they did this, and then people started uh, the, the crowd started going along with it. Uh, but but I still think even the ones going along with it, much like this Damian Williams in '92, who had a, already a lengthy criminal history and, and was a member of a gang, um, I don't think I bet if you look at if you if you could look at all the rioters and see their history, you would see these are not people with these aren't that many normal law-abiding citizens who just got caught up in the moment or, or people who were uh, dedicated to social justice causes. I bet you will see a lot of people with criminal records. Who just like to cause trouble? Who this was an opportunity to cause trouble, and then with with the looting, it's kind of a mixture of them and also just greedy people who aren't normally criminals. But here's an opportunity. Here's here's a target where you can just walk into and take what you want and walk out. And when you, when do you ever get the chance to do that? And and so some of them may even rationalize. Look, I'm I'm poor. I think the system screwed me, and uh, this is my chance to get some back. And and Target's going to have their insurance covering it. They're a huge corporation. They can afford it. I can't afford it, so I'm I'm going to walk in and yeah, I'm going to take a lot of things I don't necessarily need. I'm not taking things to feed my kids. I'm taking a big. I'm taking TVs and other stuff that uh, whatever I get my hands on. But I deserve this. I, I and if even if I don't deserve this, I, I feel like I want to take it and. I want to have these things, and they're not going to suffer too much. They're a big corporations, so f them. So I, I, there's some of those people who uh, they feel the benefits outweigh any kind of moral objection they have to it. Uh, I think very few looters are in there thinking, "Ah, okay, this is going to show them for for killing George Floyd." Ah, the, uh, we're getting in the back now. I don't think they're thinking that. I think they're thinking, "Okay, free uh, free stuffs. We don't get to do this very often with no consequence." Sweet. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree with you. I, I again, I don't think that anyone is is defending that. I think that you pretty much laid out a reasonable explanation that you have either criminals who, you know, engage in criminal behavior, um, you know, and that's probably, you know, a really small percentage. And then I think you, you have like the opportunists. I think that you have, and I, and I don't think this is like a trivial percentage of people in the country that when walking upon a store that has had the, you know, the windows broken and no police presence and you can just walk in and take stuff and walk out. I don't think it's a small number of people that are going to walk away with stuff there. I actually think that's pretty universal. I think you're going to have a lot of people who are just going to take stuff. They'll find some way to justify it in their mind. And I don't think it'll be for social justice reasons. It'll be, this is my time. This is a windfall for me. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and they see others doing it. So they've been granted permission implicitly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think, I think I want to stress that I don't, I don't forgive this stuff. I don't condone it. But I understand it. I understand the human nature that creates these terrible situations, the mob mentality. Okay, now what do you think? Uh, what do you think about this here? Because this this is something I haven't expressed that much. I've expressed it a little bit, but this is something I haven't expressed that much. I posted on my forum earlier, but uh, and on Twitter, I, have, I don't know if I've said this yet. And if I have, I haven't really said it uh, that much. I felt that when these things start, 
not not once they're going totally out of control, then it becomes more difficult. If you've got thousands of people doing this, or just really big angry mobs, it's 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 hard to take control at that point without really turning into a mess. But but in the earlier stages, which like the target looting was, the target looting was was one of the earlier things that was happening. Uh, that that if you get in there and shut it down fast and arrest people and uh, and, and even use force if any of them try to uh, tr- try to cause harm to the police trying to arrest them. I don't just mean go in and shoot everybody. I mean that uh, um, that that if you bring when you like the target root, looting was starting, you bring the a lot of police there and and you enter and you make the announcement and you. you have them in riot gear and have tear gas and, and and of course they have to have their weapons on them and they make an announcement that we want everybody to give themselves up peacefully that you're all being arrested for 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 looting we want everybody to give up pe- themselves peacefully everybody needs to lie on the ground now and we will peacefully arrest everybody that if there's an attempt to resist or cause harm to the officers we are going to have to use force and if it, and the if, if the harm you try to cause uh, is, is going to be uh, dangerous. We may have to use deadly force. So we really want everybody to lie down. We are going to arrest you all for doing this. That I, these aren't Islamic terrorists who are dedicating themselves to a cause and are willing to die for it. These are people in there to get free things. They're not looking to die that day. They're not looking to have a fight for their lives so they can have the right to steal. And they're not they're not in there for a social justice reason that they're so hopping mad that they'll attack the police if the police try to arrest them. These are people that are there for for opportunity. Uh, and, and these are people – like I think most of these rioters, even the ones who have a criminal record, they are not looking to die or, or get in a fight that's going to kill them. They are, they are – they're doing it because they feel today I can get away with it. And if this is cut off and, and they just arrest these people and use force just like any other day. If you attack the police any other day, they will use whatever force is necessary to stop you from, from um, something moderate all the way up to deadly if, if you become a, a threat to them. And – there, there's not a lot of controversy when that happens. When you see a video of someone who's really trying to attack the police, and something bad happens to them, you go, "Okay, well, that's you know, it's too bad this person did that. They should they should have known. You don't you don't just run up on a police officer and attack him, or if he's trying to arrest you, you don't uh, you don't resist and, and try to grab his gun, or you don't try to hurt him, you don't try to kill him. If you do that, you die yourself. Then that's that's your own stupidity. So I, it should be treated the same way before it gets out of control with with thousands of people out there uh, to, who could overwhelm the police if they wanted to. Uh, when, when it's a smaller number of people, I think if they immediately show uh, do this and ha- to, to the few that don't comply, show force to them, and you have the body cams, you, ha- you can prove it if necessary, so it not, doesn't look like a second uh, George Floyd right on the heel of the first one, uh, then it shuts it down. I feel that because of this mob mentality, because people believe it's permissive, but because people believe you can do this and get away with it right now, that the more that spreads around, the more people are encouraged to do it. One, because they don't feel a consequence, and two, as you said, there's the implicit permission from seeing others do it, whereas if it's shut down right away, then it stops. And I, I've compared it to a fire, which not not, not because the, 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 the cities are on fire now, but because just think of a, a normal fire. If, you, if there's a, a neighborhood and a house is burning, if you just stand there and do nothing, then the whole neighborhood's going to burn down. The, the, the flames are going to spread and all the houses are going to burn down. And if, if you come over and extinguish the fire before even that house burns down, and maybe one room burns down in the house, then there's going to be very little damage. It's ama- so the, I, I see these riots as like a fire, in that it's going to keep spreading, spreading, spreading until control is taken and it's extinguished. And, and I think there's unfortunately a belief that they're, they're kind of treated more like you would treat 
uh, terrorists that are willing to give their life for the cause of like, do we really want to go in and stop people from looting and then end up in a firefight where uh, where we have to shoot people and a lot of people end up dead? We don't want that. It's going to look terrible. It'll incite everybody even more. Let's just let them loot. But I don't think that's going to happen. I'm sure that's not going to happen. People are not there to die. People are not there to risk their lives doing it. They're there because there's no risk. And once they think there is, they're going to stop. That's the same reason they're not looting on any other day because they think if they try, there's going to be bad results. The people are there to loot. People are there to riot because they think they can get away with it. And I think that's that's the way to stop these. And I thought that was learned from the 92 situation where they also took the approach of let's just not stop this because it's going to make it worse. How do you feel about that? I mean, I, I just would look at the incentives and the costs and benefits. I don't know what incentives a police force has to you know, be Target's private mercenary army. They really have no incentive to come in there and and potentially make things worse. Uh, and when I say make things worse, I mean, like, you're, you're pr- essentially proposing a game of, of chicken. You know, you have the, the looters on one side driving towards, you know, the police on the other side, and you're trying, you're saying that the police should just continue straight ahead and refuse to swerve and hoping that, that, that the looters will, will swerve. I just think that, you know, police in a crowded building with lots of people, you have one bullet go off and then that can lead to many more being fired. It just, it seems to me like a terrible, terrible cost benefit situation. And, and I understand you're saying like there's this contagion theory of crime that if a target gets looted in Minneapolis, well, then a target gets looted in St. Paul, and then a target gets looted in Madison and it just, you know, infects the entire country. But the problem is there's no reason for the Minneapolis PD to, uh, try to put out the fire in Minneapolis just to save police departments around the country. They well, that's not what I'm saying, though. From- I, I'm, say, I'm saying you're not – forget the rest of the country. I'm saying even if this whole thing was contained to Minneapolis, like like the L.A. riots were contained to L.A. Uh, back then, I'm saying save your own city. The re- I think the reason it escalated to what it did from looting Target all the way up to all these buildings burning and all the small businesses looted and burning and it got much worse than just the target which was earlier on and i think if they shut this down at target if if instead of the message was everybody can go to target take what they want the police do nothing everybody can vandalize things the police do nothing unless if the if the videos were of the police arresting everybody who did this and the police clamping down on the early phase of this everybody who thought they could do this and get away with they go oh well Better not do this. We don't, want to, we don't want to go to jail. We don't want the police to possibly shoot us or tear gas us. This is this isn't uh, this isn't appealing to me anymore. I don't I don't want to do it. I think it's a, a very different message. I think that that's why I talk about the fire. I don't mean the fire spreading to other cities. I mean within the same city. I think if you don't contain this, people believe okay, today is one of these weird days where you can just commit all these type of crimes and get away with it, and then everyone who wants to does. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm I'm just uh, concerned about how how badly that could go, even if it's a low probability. I don't even know if I want to accept a low probability of a handful of people being shot, and I just don't know what the costs are to the city of letting the looting happen at Target or whatever, or that letting this you know burn for a couple of days. Uh, and I I just don't know if there's anything that the the police could do peacefully, you know, that would prevent the uh, you know additional looting without, without having some casualties well that's i think i about. see i think they could but see i think they could and also at some point it's justified too i think there's a whole the whole thinking has to be changed to where you don't ever suspend enforcement of the law 
because uh, of, of some incident that has gone on beforehand. They, like you don't, you don't. Well, today uh, burning things down and and looting is going to be okay to where you can do it and get away with it. And uh, every other day you can't, or for this week you can, other weeks you can't. Uh, you can't do that. And and if if people believe you can't do that, then they'll stop. Like there's there's a lot of I see so often that uh, people will do things because they feel that there's not going to be a consequence. And, and there aren't that many people who go forward and do something knowing a consequence is going to come down on them. There's a few, but there's really not many. And, and, and uh, in the U.S., that's especially what I see, that uh, these things tend to get out of control. And, and I've, I've also looked at other places where there have been potential riots that don't and then you'll see some video of the police being very heavy-handed but you know what doesn't happen there a riot <laughs> you at worst you have a few uh, police who are over aggressive which I'm, I'm not defending them being over aggressive uh I, I i like i've seen some videos where people are being arrested when they shouldn't be and like they're there's there's one like in las vegas that was posted of a uh, some some girl who's just shouting obscenities at the police because they were arresting somebody else. I don't. The, the first person they were arresting, I don't know if they d- did anything to deserve it or not because the video starts after that. But there's a girl who's probably a friend of hers, the one who got arrested. Some like very small white girl who looked like about a hundred pounds, wearing like a yellow sweater, and she's just screaming "fuck you, fuck this," is screaming at the police, but hasn't done anything threatening. And they grabbed her and arrested her, and then her boyfriend. Uh, I guess I guess he's a loyal boyfriend because he went in to try to like fight the cops trying to arrest her. So of course they grabbed him and arrested him too. But uh, the girl, like I posted kind of jokingly on Twitter, uh, this arrest doesn't seem appropriate yet. But in the cops' defense, she seems awful. She did kind of seem awful, but I did see. Okay, well they shouldn't have arrested her. They, they if she wants to just yell f this f that, then let her. And if she does anything to actually break the law then arrest her but uh so I, i've seen things like that nothing like really outrageous but I've, I've seen things where people are getting arrested who probably shouldn't be and uh but but if it, i would rather see like a little extra aggression with that that keeps riots from happening than over permissiveness if we're going to have to go one way or the other uh i i i think if i were to be the one directing the police of what they should do i would say don't arrest anybody for speech no matter how obnoxious they are but as as soon as they start as soon as you start seeing people do things that are against the law uh then arrest them uh, and I, especially anything physical that's against the law throwing things or uh or or or, or, or approaching people i i also don't agree with the and this this goes along with other things i've seen in recent years I hate the blocking of freeways. I hate the blocking of roads. That's I don't believe that's what peaceful assembly is about. I I, I think that's uh, first of all it's dangerous because people you don't know why people are traveling. They could be uh, they could be trying to rush to the hospital. There could be an ambulance rushing someone to the hospital. You don't know. You you you've just decided your cause is more important. Screw everybody on the road. Screw them if they're stuck for six hours behind you because you're not letting anyone pass by. You're penalizing innocent motor, motorists for this. Um, you know, what, what, what if your dad has a heart attack and, and, and you, and instead of waiting for an ambulance, you throw, you throw him in your car and you try to zoom to the hospital and then you, you end up in this, uh, this jam. Well, tough luck on you. He's going to die. Like, you know, the, and the people, you may say, well, that's unlikely. The people blocking roads, they don't have the right to do it. So I hate, I hate people that do that. I think that's another one where they should just go over, grab those, first demand that they lie down or get out. First demand, get off the road. If they don't say okay, you're going to be arrested, and anyone who shows who anyone who tries to resist arrest is going to meet force. So you don't want to do that. 
and and then and then do it. And uh, uh, because we're seeing more and more people blocking roads, and I, and I saw for example, I saw a, a video today. I don't know if you saw this video. The did you see the NYPD SUV that kind yes. of pushed the people yeah. down? So I'll tell you what I think about it. You can tell me what you think. That, to describe to the audience what what happened here is there was a, a street somewhere in New York, an NYPD vehicle was traveling on a road that was the normal road, and they were moving at a. I, I don't know, not super fast, but they were at least moving. It wasn't a blocked road. But they got to a certain point where there's a lot of protesters, and, and there's a group of protesters actually like banded together holding a banner and blocked the police officer from continuing. So the police officer stopped, and uh, was they. And also, you don't know where they're going. They may be trying to go there to prevent a crime. Like This, this is not just a regular, uh, a regular citizen. This is a police car that's trying to get somewhere. So they're blocking the police car, not letting it uh, continue. And then uh, people started throwing things at it. Uh, first, it looked like maybe paper cups or something that didn't look that dangerous. But then I started seeing ru- big rubber cones being thrown at it. And, and, and then I started seeing them being thrown from other directions. So finally, the, the officers decided, we're not waiting around to see what happens next. And they moved forward. They, 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 they moved the car forward, which knocked everybody down. I don't think anybody got hurt or not hurt more than minor injuries. Uh, because it looked like everyone stood up and moved out of the way, but it was basically a message like uh, they, they knocked he knocked them down first, and then uh, everyone freaks out that they're going to barrel through them and kill them, and everybody get up gets up and moves, and then the the cops go through. And it turned out there were two cars doing this: one that was originally stopped, and another one that had pulled up on this situation with its with the siren on uh, about fifteen seconds later. So they both kind of barreled through, but it, it was more it wasn't like a barreling through, like running people over. It's kind of like a pushing everyone down. And then stopping. So there's some there's some people who are saying that these cops should be charged with attempted murder. How could they do this? You know, who knows what could have happened from that. When I saw this, I said, I said, good. I said, here a crowd stops a moving police vehicle. Says you're not getting through. I don't care where you're going or what you're doing or what emergency you're getting to. F you. We're we're stopping you. You're not going to continue on this road because we say so. Because we feel like protesting and stopping you. We're stopping your free free movement, even though you're a police officer. And while you're stopped there, we're gonna we're, our crowd's gonna throw things at you, and you're just gonna take it. You're just gonna take it. Tough luck on you, because haha, you can't do anything about it, or or, or you're violating some protocol. Uh, so, so you're just gonna sit here and take it, and, and hope that what we're throwing at you isn't dangerous enough to to go through the windshield and, and hurt you or kill you. You're just gonna you're just gonna sit here and take it. So so I don't at the, at that point the police don't have much choice. I think what are they gonna do? They, they they can wait and see if anything bad happens to them with things crashing through. Or they can do something to force their way through. And I thought this was fine. I thought they, they don't have to just sit there like sitting ducks and wait to see what happens next. And my, my, I, I don't know where these people learn this behavior. Do, do your parents not teach you? You don't attack police officers. You don't block police cars and throw things at them. Like that's, that's not protest. That's, that's violence. And if you, it, I have no sympathy for anyone who tries to intentionally get violent with police. If they do, whatever happens to them at that point, I'm not saying the police shoot them dead, but if, in the process of, of you being violent with the police, if the police have to do something in response and you get hurt or killed, I don't have the slightest sympathy for you. Tough luck. You should have known not to do that. That's an idiotic thing to do, and that does not help society. So, so how, how do you feel about this? Um, I think that it's very difficult to be a police officer dealing with protesters. I, I, I understand like that's a, that's a difficult position to be in. It almost feels analogous to you know, being a guy and having a uh, an altercation with a woman where the woman is hitting you and you know you cannot hit back because of the disparity in power and i think the police are just held to a higher standard than the protesters that might be throwing 
rubber cones or whatever like that. I, I just think, I don't, and also, you know, going back to your, uh, you know, idea on, on target and kind of showing extreme force uh, early on as a way of preventing, uh, you know, further criminal activity. I just think you have to appreciate how difficult the decisions are for police individually and the police force as a whole as far as what's going to be good for optics. I mean, I, I think the, the optimization problem is an incredibly complex one on, on how much force you can use before, uh, you know, the, the costs of doing so are too high, the possibility of lawsuits. I think that police are generally going to have their hands tied behind their back and what they can do. Well, a lot and of times they do. A lot of times they do by the sit by by superiors. A lot of times this is dictated by the city above them. Some people don't know that either. Sometimes people people think that uh, oh the police are always deciding on the, their own what to do as far as policy in these situations. Usually that's coming from above and they don't have a choice and they have to follow along. Uh, like the, the ones not entering Target, it wasn't cops saying oh we think we're not going to enter Target here. They were they were told from above don't enter Target. Right. So right. Uh, and and that has to be understood. So I, I I know that I know and I I will admit that everything we're discussing here is not a simple situation and not a simple answer. And I'm not of saying not. I'm not saying it's so obvious what I'm doing is going to work 100 percent and and what they're doing is going to work zero percent and uh, and and how could they not see the super obvious solution here? I. I agree this is a complicated matter. I agree that uh, deciding how much force to use early on is, as you said, kind of an optimization problem. I just don't think they're making the right choices. I think that uh, every, everything has a potential downside. There's no, there's nothing you can do in this that's going to uh, have all upside, no downside. Everything has a risk of you, you do too much and uh, and and it can have bad optics or and, and make everyone even more outraged. You do too little – the, then everybody thinks they can do what they want to get away with it, and, and all kinds of terrible things happen. So, so it's a uh, it's a it's a very tough line to straddle there, and I understand that. And, and I know if I had the best if I had the best to describe our differences, I think that you are a very principled individual, and obviously, you know, a, a very smart person. And I think that you, uh, because you're principled and because you're smart, you'd like to see stupid people be, be punished either you know, uh, by the incentive structure or, you know, through policing or what have you, uh, that that will keep, uh, keep the order. And I think that I maybe am operating from a place with like a little bit more compassion for people who are, you know, less intelligent and maybe make bad decisions. And I think that I'd like to err on the side of less policing rather than more. Uh, and, and that maybe that's what success looks like for me is that, that we, you know, have police using uh, less less force, and that community policing, you know, looks like uh, a little bit more uh, kind of neighborhood watch type programs rather than uh, you know uh, SWAT teams descending on your on your cities. Well, I, again, this is a complicated issue. It's not so much about stupid people, by the way. I know about I, I I know some some of the criminals are actually not stupid. Some of them are smart and they're just bad. There's yeah, bad people. Ra- <laughs> yeah, but that's rare though. I mean, like the, the average IQ in prisons is like seventy or something. I mean, it's really really low. I mean, yes, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of stupid criminals out there, and and that's it's, it's funny because people see the, like they see on TV and in the movies where all the criminals are really smart, except for the henchmen, they're stupid, but like all, all the, most of the, the main criminals you see portrayed on TV in fictional dramas are like very, very smart and cunning. 
and and then you see the reality of, of what a lot of the criminals are like. You go, I can't believe they made these dumb mistakes. So, uh, that, well, it could be it could be the case that the smart ones aren't getting caught. Yeah, well, that, there's that too. Walking among us, but I was saying there are there are. I mean, we deal with uh, on this show. I know this is a different type of crime. It's white collar crime, but but like with the uh, with a lot of the scammers we talk about on this show, so, some of them uh, they can't. These are smart people that just are cho- are choosing to be unethical and scam people, or or they do it totally. at, at a desperation for a bankroll that they want to play poker. So they, the the choice comes between: uh, do I continue? Uh, do I go back and get a real job, or and or quit poker, or, or do I scam people? To keep in action and they choose the latter so uh and we talk about that all the time it, it's it's not so much about stupid or smart i just i just feel that uh people who are are doing bad things especially ones that have far-reaching consequences to society uh you have to take control of that and that uh the more people feel they can get away with and as i said i've seen it i've seen it in so many different ways i've seen it in classrooms when i was in school i see it in office environments and i i i've seen it in environments that have nothing to do with crime where just the, the more permissive it is the worse people start to behave uh when it, it's like a combination of permissive and people behaving badly if it's permissive but everybody there is is uh is good then sometimes that can be even better because people can feel there's like leeway to do their job without uh, micromanagement or, or being harassed by your boss. But if you have an office where you do have people that are going to not behave well and there's no control taken of them, then it turns into a disaster. And I've, I've worked in places like that where I've seen it occur. And I've even seen where they finally take control and fire the bad apples and all of a sudden everyone else fa- falls back into line, especially the ones who are thinking, hmm, you know, I don't want to get fired. And <laughs> I just saw two people get fired who are the worst offenders here. I better stop doing these things that these that these guys are doing and, and everybody falls back in line. It's like I've I've seen things like that work and I've even seen in uh from a crime and punishment standpoint to where it works. That's why like places like Times Square are, are now nice places to walk around in. I don't know about tonight, but uh but prior to all this, uh, at least through the end of 2019, you could go to Times Square and walk around and it was great, but if you listen to old uh uh, comedy bits or uh, or watch old TV shows from the 80s about Times Square that's like always cited as an example of a place you never want to go. And the difference was in the 90s, they, they clamped down on all the crime there and just said, we're going to clean this up and we're going to put a huge police presence and we're going to clamp down on anyone who's uh, who, who's committing crime over here. We're going to make this a, a, a nice area again. Which it hadn't been for decades, and uh, and and it worked. Yeah, to be to be to be fair, I I mean I I understand that. Like I've heard this this theory before, and and I should say like it's a it's not completely clear. So so I'm an economist. I study uh, you know crime and education are my my main interests, and crime had this radical decline all around the country. You know from the late 70s to to present, it's actually remarkable how much crime has dropped. Well, it would actually decline. That's it was, not to- totally true. If you look at the stats. It, it increased all the way through the early 90s. And 1990 was the very peak. And then there's this. Then it then it started to fall. And people didn't notice in the early 90s because it was still near the peak. So even though it had fallen, people were like, uh, it was still very high. But but it, it took a little while to notice that. Wow, you started looking at the stats, and there was like 23 straight years starting from the early 90s that every single year the crime, the violent crime around the entire country, even the, even the worst cities, every single one of them had had declined violent crime. And uh, so I, I think that's what you're referring to. I think you just got the years long. Yeah, long if you look yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the I got the years mixed up. But yeah, there was the, there was the uh, legalization of abortion theory. Yeah, I've after seen Roe that, yeah. v. Wade, that you have all these people, all these potential criminals that weren't born. You know, there's debate about the the validity of that. But we have we have like mass incarceration during this time period, and you have something like you know two million people put into prison. So you know, we've basically just transferred everyone who. You know, potentially might cause a crime into prison. Uh, you know, for 
uh, you know, for a long period of time. So, I mean, that's that's partially responsible. But but I, I think I, I want to get back to this, uh, you know, since we're talking about uh, prisons, uh, I think you mischaracterized the, the Minnesota uh, Freedom Fund earlier. I think you, you believed that there, uh, and I may, be, I may have misheard you, but I believe you thought that this was being used for defense for these people. This is actually just a bail fund. Oh. They're just posting bail. Okay, well, still, I, 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 that doesn't change my mind about it, though. It's a, I guess it's a little bit better, but it's, it's still, to me, it's, oh, it's, it's just a lot as bad. Better. It's a lot better because, I mean, it's, I mean this is the – so, I mean – uh, I think this is this is something that I that I uh, find to be an important cause because I think bail reform is like one of the most significant issues and some of the lowest hanging fruit that we could tackle uh, in the U.S. But basically, there's a lot of people who, because of court backlogs, are stuck in in jail, uh, you know, from the point the point of time they're arrested until trial, and sometimes you know that's you know as long as you know a couple of years or something like that. And it's people who can't post the bail of like 5k or 10k. And so basically, because people are poor, you know, they're stuck in jail before they're even tried. And then this forces them to accept guilty pleas so they can get the hell out of jail, even if they're not guilty. And so the existence of these bail funds has popped up in the last few years. And it actually makes sense as a a charity. I know that means it sounds like based on your opinion that you would never see such a thing as a charity. But I think that keeping people in prison just because they're poor, you know, regardless of their of their guilt, uh, I think is is really unfortunate. So I see this as being actually one of the better charities you can give to, because the money is recycled, and people are showing up for court like ninety five percent of the time when bail's posted for them. So it's it's clear to me that the bail is not uh, ensuring that people go to court because even when people don't put up their own money, they're still showing up to court. Okay, well, I know we're getting a little a little bit away from uh, the main topic, but I do want to respond to this. Well, I mean, uh, you had an axe to grind, so I, I wanted to. Well, no, I no, it's, to it's, like, I no, I'm glad. To this. I'm glad you you corrected this. If I was wrong about this, if it's just bail, then then it, maybe it is, and I and I was I thought it was bail and and legal defense, but for, to me, it's not that much different, and I'll tell you why. I am actually very against the bail reform, and it's funny. The first time I heard about it, I, I considered it, and at first, for a brief moment, thought. Oh wait, this is a good idea. Why? Why is it fair that somebody who has the money to post bail can can get out of jail and wait for trial at home, while the poorer people who can't afford to post bail or or get bail bonds, bondsmen to do it for them, they are stuck in jail during the time they're waiting for the trial. And uh, how is that fair? And I thought for a second, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. And then I slapped myself and said, wait, 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 what am I thinking here? The problem is here if there is no bail as as some. Uh, cities have done. In fact, LA is doing it now. They started since the coronavirus uh, threat started. They, they changed it to a no-bail system. And I know New York City was doing this in 2019, of course, before the coronavirus was an issue at all. And and there's been a lot of horror stories out of New York where the problem is that where, where this leaves a, a huge vulnerability, where I feel that uh, any gains from it are lost by the vulnerability it brings, is that you arrest someone for something and they get kicked right back out of jail, and and so then they can go right back out and commit the crime. So uh, a, a certain percentage of people will go right back out and, and do the same thing and have. And there's been some very bad crimes committed by people who would have other been, otherwise been in jail during this time, who very likely were guilty of what they had done in the first place. And instead, they had this period where they get kind of a break from jail. So you're if you look at it differently... You're arrested for something, and let's say you're, you you committed a major crime, 
or at least a semi-major crime, and and it's and you're guilty, and there's a very very high chance you're going to not see the outside of a jail cell. First, you're going to be in jail, and then you're you're not going to make bail, and then when it goes to the trial, you're going to be uh, judged guilty because you are, and you're going to get a decent uh, length pre- prison sentence for what you did. Now, under the new system, you have this little break where you're arrested, but then they kick you back loose for some time. So even if you do, if even if you have the plan to show up in court, in the meantime. You may go back out and commit the same crimes, especially if it's a pretty bad crime. You may be, especially if you're kind of feeling like you're, you're screwed anyway, and, and you're going to get uh, you're, like there, there was a, there was one where there was a a woman who was uh, released, who was arrested in New York for targeting Orthodox Jews and was beating up Orthodox Jewish women, and so she did. And she beat them very badly. Was arrested in New York, kicked her back out because of uh, no bail. Back out on the streets. Guess what? She went right back to do, beating up Jewish women. Went right back to do it, and and that and that's the problem here. And so so that's that. If if there is no incentive not to, uh, uh, when when these people get out and they violate the conditions of bail, then there is a, uh, a there there is a consequence there. And and those who can't afford the the bail to guarantee is kind of like collateral for the for the consequence of being bailed bailed out. Uh, they, uh, these people, if they are released, they don't have the incentive not to commit crimes again. And there, there have been ones that have done it, have committed very bad crimes. So for that reason, I just, and, and I've heard stories here in in LA this year of people who, uh, their, their homes are broken into and the police even tell them, I just want to let you know, uh, even though we have good evidence of who did it. And and we're going to go arrest them. Uh, they're going to be right back out. So so watch out. <laughs> they they warn them. Hey, they're going to be right back out of jail. And uh, and and we've seen a lot of these people reoffend or come back and confront the people who called the police on them. Like they're they're actually warned about this. And that's a horrible system to me. I can't. Uh, and and yeah, there's no perfect solution here. I, I see what the problem was, and that's why for a second I thought maybe that's a good idea. And then I thought, wait a minute, it just doesn't make sense to me that that basically people with with no bail can just be released and then they have a window between when they go to prison for it that they can commit more crimes and have. Not all of them, but every time one of those people commits a major crime, it's a tragedy. Right, but you're missing an important feature of the bail system is that bail is set based upon the crime you've committed and your priors and your flight risk. So like, it's not like everyone is getting a 5K bail. Like, For, for, for non-filing offenders... These are the cases I'm concerned about where you shouldn't have to be stuck in jail for, you know, many months or years awaiting trial when there's a backlog. No, I That's, agree on I'm that. Not, I, I'm, not, I'm not defending the violent criminals, which I think that you're maybe you, uh, kind of strawmanning me here, like saying I, I, I want to free the violent criminals. Well, I'm not saying you do. I'm, 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 I'm talking about the actual system. I, I'm not, I don't know your position on it. I'm talking about my, my position and what I've seen happen. I don't know how you feel about them. I'm not strawman. I'm not. I, th- I think we should be res- reserving cells in, in jails and prisons. For the the violent offenders, and I think nonviolent people should be left to, to go about their uh, their lives until trial, and, and then they can then face trial without the the stress of being kept in jail or having to be forced to, to accept a guilty verdict when they're not when they're not guilty, or they can't have a, uh, a you know a lead, proper legal defense. And then the other thing is, it seems like you're saying that this this bail issue of people being stuck in in jail until their trial is a feature, not a bug. Well, it, it is somewhat. The people it, who are who could. No, but you're saying the people who could afford to get out. 
can 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 do so and you're saying well thankfully some of them are poor and some of them are going to be stuck in jail until their trial well i'm saying the ones that can afford to get out that they they don't want to lose the bail money that was put up for that so that's they they have actually a, a reason not to reoffend so so that that is why it's kind of a feature now i will say i agree with you that the if 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 the bail reform were only about truly nonviolent crimes and i don't mean like a lot of times i'll see things classified nonviolent and then i see the list of crimes that are quote nonviolent and a lot of them are violent so that's that's a problem but uh, but but non actual nonviolent crimes that really involve nonviolence provided that they're not like a major uh, nonviolent crime, like 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 a major scammer who's ripping tons of people off, or some something that's very egregious, like like a Bernie Madoff. You don't you don't kick him back out to to uh, on bail, um, or, or even someone not as bad as Bernie Madoff, but someone like uh, someone who's really committed terrible uh, scams of, of a lot of people, of a lot of money. Uh, those people that that could still see where the, you don't let them out but but for the most part i agree that if it's truly a nonviolent crime they were accused of if they want to yeah i i'm not i'm not 100% confident but i mean i've contributed to bail funds i i still i think it's you know you know if i can uh advocate for this for for a second i think it's honestly uh the most effective quote unquote charity you can give to in the US because of the nature of this that bail circulates you could you can have the same donation recycling for years and years and years but my understanding is that it is reserved for nonviolent offenders for the reason that obviously it's bad optics to be you know getting getting people out of jail who who did who potentially did heinous things but more importantly is if you care about the effectiveness of the money you want to post the smallest bail possible for the most number of people and so the smallest bail is going to be for the the most minor crimes. Well, but it's, but some of them aren't though. See, that's why like for this, like I wouldn't, I don't feel the people who are rioting here deserve it. That's the point here. Like I, that's why I don't, uh, I don't agree with this fund. I just don't think that they deserve th- this kind of uh, positive treatment. They are contributing to a big problem that's currently occurring in in in, uh, in cities everywhere. So that's that's what's that, that's why I'm very yeah. Anti we should this fund. we should probably reserve judgment until we find out like what the money's being used for. I trust that the Freedom Fund is going to be like I think they're going to do the right thing and reserve the money for people who, I mean, I'm sure there were tons of people that were arrested who were, you know, uh, peacefully protesting or doing some, some like really minor shit. I don't think people who were like, uh, you know, violent towards the police or violent towards others, uh, you know, throwing rocks or something like that. I don't, I, that's not people that I'm interested in, uh, well, to me, it kind of looks like, out. I, it looks I think like by the, and large, the fund is used for the right purposes. If if I knew for sure this was going to go for the people who really either did something extremely minor or or had just been arrested under bogus conditions, then I'd be for it. But uh, I don't want anyone who 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 did any kind of serious vandalism, any kind of looting. I don't care if it's serious or not, loot or not. Anyone who 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 did that, anyone who did any 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 arson, anyone who did any serious vandalism. Um, I, of course, anyone who would attack the police anyway. I'm just afraid this is just in general. If now, yeah, sure. If there, someone has there for five hundred thousand dollars bail or something really bad they did during this, they're probably not going to get this fund. As you said, they probably want to spread right. it around as much as possible. Right. But but there's a lot of people I think don't deserve it that probably have like five k bails that based upon. I just don't think in this case they they deserve it. That's a little different to me than somebody who um, hasn't committed an offense that. Uh, See, see, I see all of this as kind of violent, even if it actually didn't uh, hurt human beings, where you're burning things down. It's creating a, uh, an, an effect across the whole city where, where things are being burned and, and looted and, 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 uh, and big mobs are, are, are going through creating mayhem. That's, that's 
very different to me than, than a nonviolent crime. A nonviolent crime, I think of of, of someone pulling some kind of low grade scam or things like that, that uh, um, if, or, or people caught uh, dealing small amounts of drugs or things like that. Not, the, 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 those type of people. Um, if you want to let them not sit in jail during the time, I've, I have no problem with that. It's just this. This is different. Uh, let me let me take a second here. Uh, we, we had some we've had silence here from from Traderuski and Vintage One. Uh, are, are you guys still here? I am still here. What about you, Vintage One? Are you here? I'm listening to the conversation. I think Vintage One had to bail. Oh, he had to bail. I was wondering why he's so quiet. Vintage One, he usually has a lot to say. I was like, he's being very patient and quiet here. Okay, Trader Ruski, what is what are your feelings about this? First of all, what do you think of the the, the rioting and looting? Do you do you do you, do you sympathize with them? Do you think it's very bad and shouldn't be happening at all? How, how do you feel about that? Well, no, I think you know. First of all, I don't know that there's anybody who says they support the looting. The looting. Oh, I, I think, do. You know, it's, you can certainly feel. For the people that use that way to express themselves, they feel they're backed into a wall. And there's no other solution. I agree that there's with I, I mean, I think there certainly are some anarchists and people just trying to push things and make it crazy. And I'm sure the white supremacists and the rest of you know are, are certainly stirring things up in a lot of cases. But you know, and then too, I think the rioting, you know, the looting. And, you know, people coming off the pandemic where they've been broke, and I'm sure a lot of people are going in to get food or feeding their neighborhoods or families, so I can see that. But that's, I mean, that's not what I'm seeing, though. earlier today. What's that? I, I'm not seeing that. for the, Like, in all the looting videos, you're not seeing people going, okay, I'm going to leave everything alone here. I'm just going to grab the food. I'm going to grab essentials for the family. Right. I'm seeing, oh, good, a TV. Oh, good, this. Uh, oh, let's, let's uproot the cash register. That's, that's what I'm seeing here. Uh, I, I see all kinds of weird stuff they're walking out with, just the bizarre stuff to even be taking. I'm seeing, like, not just, like, outliers. I'm seeing, like, just people are really just grabbing whatever they can. And to me, it just looks like opportunity. It doesn't look like these are people who... Uh, are, are, are their families are starving, and this is the only opportunity to get food. Uh, there, I could at least have some empathy for the situation. <laughs> to me, it just kind of looks like uh, it's a combination of criminals with a, a chance to do it, and even non-criminals who are uh, kind of just encouraged. Hey, how often do we get to do this? How often do we get to go into Target and just take what we want, and no consequence, and, and and they take it. That's that's what I think I see happening. Well, I think time will tell. But first of all, to compare the Kelly Thomas thing. With all the black people that are getting killed, Droth is not even an argument. I mean, he was a schizophrenic and he's trying to, you know, check cars are open. And that's just one thing, you know. I think that there's all, you, <clears throat> you, I mean, just, and just with the camera phone coming out and the ring, I mean, we're finally seeing these things that have been going on for years. And, you know, and definitely the vibe that Trump has brought to America is a racial divide that can't be denied and certainly contributes to a lot of this stuff. Well, I don't think it's Trump. We had this, we had this in Ferguson in 2014 and Obama was president. So we had the, uh, something sort of similar, except, uh, as I said with Ferguson, there was at least some, uh, there was at least substantial question about, uh, the shooting itself. There was not on video and there was very differing accounts from eyewitnesses and, and the victim of the shooting was, uh, was shown on video just a few minutes before it happened, just doing something pretty bad inside of a convenience store. So, so it wasn't a sympathetic victim either. It was, a, it was the guy who was killed wasn't a good guy, even though he's only 15 years old. But he was he was not at least at 15. He was not a good guy. He, he was uh, 
a, a very ugly video if you go watch what happened right before that. So, that, like, I don't think this is Trump. I, I think that... Uh, He's not saying it's solely Trump. He's saying that Trump is, has, had a, has had a negative impact upon this. I, I think it's I'm just, just saying it's like the vibe. It's like if you have a mask on and somebody else doesn't, it's like an us versus them. And this is just what's be you know plus the racism and his and his dad and all that. I mean, if I was a black person, I'd be like, "What the fuck?" I think a lot of see. I, I haven't seen from seeing Trump. I've seen a lot of. There's some things I've seen Trump doing and saying that I go, "Oh boy, I can't believe the president's doing or saying this," especially on his Twitter. Okay, but 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 there's uh, what I haven't seen from him is is like like outright or even implied racism unless you want to call what the, he was talking about with the wall in mexico or or or, or the ban the travel ban for for the for people from the middle east back when he was trying to get elected uh unless you want to talk about, about that charlestown when he said there were good people well, on both right sides. so that, that's that's good what nazis and the fuck well thank good, you good, thank uh, you for bringing that up i'm glad you brought that up because that was one of the most mischaracterized trump statements that there was where it was cut out it was creatively edited to where if you if you go to listen to the whole thing that's not what he was trying he wasn't talking about that he actually said something bad about the white supremacists right before making that comment the both sides he, he was talking about the both sides of of the uh of the issue that was being protested he wasn't talking about the both sides of that the white supremacists are good he said right beforehand he condemns it and then said about the good people on both sides it wouldn't have made sense he didn't mean that they cut that part off because they wanted people to, if, if you go watch the whole video not just a little clip about good people on both sides Right before that, he condemned. For, for what it's for what it's worth, I actually think Todd is on on uh, is right here. I, I've done some digging on this. However, I don't think he's he's acknowledging the fact that what Trump is engages in is he's he, he engages in a lot of like covert dog whistle racism, and that's the stuff I think that like people don't uh, talk about enough. I mean, he used the word thugs in his tweet. And like thugs is like it's it's coded racism. It's, but it's, it's not though. I've, I've used that term, and it's not it's not racist. I, I use this. I've used this to talk about white people before. I, there's a certain type of person who who uh, who's a, usually a younger man who who who's uh, commits violent crime all the time and 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 enjoys doing it, and and that's just part of their whole existence. And these are thugs. And I, I've referred to I've referred to black people that way. I've also referred to white people that way. Some uh, believe me that I don't think I'm only going to say the word thug if it applies to a black guy. I, I will say this about any person of any race. And, and somehow it has taken on a racist meaning that if you say thug that you mean a black guy. That sometimes you mean a black guy if it is a black thug, but you don't know. You, you can mean anybody who's who's who's. All right, up but the, you're not. The, but you're not the arb, you're not the arbiter of language, though. And I'm saying on on the whole, like on on average, it is being used in a racist way. While you may be using it equally, you may be balanced in your in your usage of the term. I just don't think that's true of the of the average person. Uh, see, I see. I think all of this has been overblown by the media. I think that the I think where, where Trump has a point about the media. When he first talked about fake news a long time ago, uh, when he was running for office, the original usage of fake news was – it actually irritated me because to him, fake news was anything that was unflattering to him. Even if it was true, he just called it fake news. And uh, and he actually stole the term from something that had started online where they were talking about actual fake news, like, re- like real fabricated news that was meant to mislead people. And he, he grabbed the term to mean like inaccurate news. And so he started calling CNN fake news, and a lot of his accusations about things that were fake news were not really fake news. But what was funny, what I saw happen over the years was that the mainstream, a lot of the mainstream news organizations became what he originally falsely accused them of. They actually, they actually started to do things to intentionally mislead people and try to spin people up into a frenzy of everything he did and try to, uh, try to bring 
negative meaning upon everything that he would say and do as always being awful and racist and 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 looking to oppress people and and i would see it and i go wait a minute could this be true and then i look into it and i go no it's not true i, I even saw something involving uh where he did a good thing for for jews on on campus where, where he tried to uh uh, change something related to that, and that was portrayed as something anti-Semitic, and I couldn't believe it. And as someone who's Jewish, that one especially interested me, and I looked into it. And I said, "No, no, no, he did a good thing for Jews here. He didn't do a bad thing. He, uh, but they, they was it was spun by the media to be a bad anti-Semitic thing." And I go, you know, you just, it, it's just so frustrating to see this because there there is an honesty about this. I think he he doesn't says enough stupid things to where covering the absolute truth would be enough, and they could make their point that, of why they don't like him and why, why they should vote for somebody else next time. But, but, uh, but instead, I see so much twisting that everything he does has to be racist. Everything he does has to be bad. Everything he does ha- has an evil motive to it. And, and, and to where it's like the boy who cried wolf. To me, you don't know what to believe anymore because there's so much misleading material out there. And, and it's sad. And, and I, I, so many news stories about Trump, I'm like, oh, you know, I, I don't know what to believe here. Because he... There are some weird things he does that uh, you, you you like you don't know what to believe. You think, okay, maybe, maybe Trump really did this. I don't know. Now I've got to look into it. I've got to look at different sides. I've got to look at different stories, and I've got, you've got to really dissect it each time instead of just being able to trust what the news puts out. And it's very sad. And uh, so that that bothers me. So I'm not someone who just wants to read positive news about Trump or, or news that makes Trump look good. I want to I want to read the truth. And and so often when I look into these things, even with an open mind, I, I see that there there's a lot of non-truth and that 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 bothers me so that's uh and, and believe me i'm not saying he's perfect or i told you he does, there's a lot of times where i will see things that he does and says and I go what is he thinking with this stuff like there's a uh, there's a lot of ridiculous things that come from trump and uh, uh i i wish that wasn't true and a lot of republicans wish that that wasn't true and unfortunately that's that's part of him and i, I knew that when he got elected i didn't support him in the primary uh of 2016 and uh because I knew this, and I, I knew this was a, a big piece of baggage he comes with that's never going to change. Some people say, oh, he, once he gets elected, he's going to change. He'll be very presidential. I said, no, he's not. He's, he's going to be the same guy. He's going to be the same guy you see right now. I know. Yeah, it. And, 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 I heard that theory as well. Yeah, I, said, I, I knew he wasn't going to become – I said – so that's like so I, I, some people like to say, oh, you're just someone who's blindly supporting Trump. You're just repeating Fox News talking points. I'm not. I don't – I'm not, and I – I, I try to be honest about this, but that doesn't mean I I can just go along with with media attacks that I don't think are are fair. And I, there's a lot of those too. So uh, that's yeah. But I th- I think the problem is like it's 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 uh, I think if you're not vocal about his his like I like I, I I really would like to you know in the in the spirit of of compromise and finding common ground, like I really do want to concede the fact that yes, I, a lot of people are engaging in. Uh, you know, hyperbole or exaggeration of, of Trump's missteps or even or outright falsehoods, you know, with like the uh, the, the both sides, uh, good people on both sides. And then there was uh, the mocking the, the reporter uh, I've come around on, the mocking of the disabled reporter I've come around on. Um, however, it, it looks really bad, you know, if you're not willing to concede that he's like truly terrible. I mean, I, I firmly believe that he will go down in history as you know, one of the worst, if not the worst president of all time. But I think it's really important, you know, in this polarizing age that you, you know, as someone who leans right, that you recognize his failures. I, I can recognize. I haven't, I haven't seen you publicly recognize his failures. And I'm trying to tell you that, like, I, I, I wanted, I recognize 
that the media has been unfair to him at times, but I think the media is largely fair. And so you're like, you're pointing to a few instances of them being unfair, but like the media is fair, like 95% of the well, time. Well, see, that used, to, that used to be the case. Like, like about four or five years ago, that changed because of Trump, and it's, it's very sad. Like the media has degraded uh, since, because of this, uh, I think they've kind of taken the attitude of Trump is so terrible that if we have to lie to thwart what he's trying to do and, and just prevent him from getting elected and now prevent him from getting reelected, uh, the ends justify the means. We, we, it's kind of like the, the government lying about the mask situation, that oh, wearing masks isn't safe, don't do it, it's, it's not helping you, and then after they, after they secure the masks for the healthcare workers, oh, actually, you, it's good to wear masks, we just lied to you because we wanted to get them for the healthcare workers. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like, uh, we're, we're going to lie for your own good. And I see a lot of things in, in, in today's mainstream media that is kind of lying, not because they're evil and trying to do something terrible, lying because they think it, it's got uh, a noble purpose to it. And I don't think the media should ever do that. And I, yet I'm seeing a lot of it. I've seen so, suppression of certain details. But about what, Trump? There's enough there. They don't have to. That's what, that's what I'm saying. He dismantled. That, He's ruining the environment. Okay, my point is... That's my, my uh, point he, is... He the... Uh, my, that's my point. That my point is, if they have enough, just be honest about the things that that that, that they that he really is doing that that are worthy of criticism. Don't, don't why why does everything he does have to be terrible? Why does everything have to be exaggerated? Why why do they outright make up certain things or spin certain things a certain way? Or there's so it's gotten to the point where I can't believe anything, and so even the true stuff. I have to doubt until until I, I read it and research it, and, and, and I shouldn't have to do this. And that's that's what I'm trying to say here. Is you can't. It's like the boy who cried wolf. You can't trust it. And even the boy who cried wolf it really calls a wolf. See, it, it used to be that it was it was rare that this was happening, and like they really became what for a long time the right was saying they were, but they weren't. I, I for many years I was hearing the biased media, and and there was a a light bias in the media. It left, but nothing like what the right was saying was happening. And I would correct people on the right when they say this. Trump, the CNN, you know, CNN each day they have a maybe it's not each day, a few times a week where they have all the things, the misfacts or the lies that he told, and they go through each one. The, you know, he's saying, "Oh, the voter fraud. They're sending millions of ballots to everybody. None of this has been proven. They're just sending them to registered voters." Oh, he does lie it's a lot. Bullshit. He does lie a lot. That's true, and that's why if they really and he's re- the president, and but, he's not wearing a you, mask, but you, but and then he's bagging up. You write it all <laughs> like, the, like the cost of accepting Trump. Like, like this is the Faustian bargain we've made. I accept that he's going to lie. And like that just becomes forgiven instantly. It's not. It's that's not a forget- what I'm having trouble with. Okay, so I'll explain that. Uh, this, uh, that's a question I'm asked often, and that's and that's also a problem, by the way. When I attempt to say anything critical of Trump, what I get back from the other side is not, "Oh, good, you're a Republican who's being critical of Trump and who's acknowledging things, mistakes he's making, and not just defending everything." Instead of getting that, I get back. Huh, so that's funny. So you acknowledge that, yet you're, st- you're, you're still voting for him, huh? How, how can you still support him? How can, how, why are you not voting Democrat now? Like, if, if, unless I go completely the other way, they don't accept it. And, and so, and in fact, I get attacked more for being there. It would be better if I just didn't acknowledge anything. They, they get especially mad if I acknowledge it and then, and then still won't completely condemn him. So I, my response to that and, and what, I, what I explain to people here is, one, he wasn't the candidate I voted for in the primary. And... Uh, so that wasn't, but but that's who we got, and I I don't have any influence on that. And then my choice here as as to who I support for, for president is either someone who is a very flawed individual who says and does a lot of stupid things and lies a lot, but uh, the major decisions and positions he takes are much more 
allied with what I believe, or someone who you know, acts more presidential and doesn't do as many outrageous things, and and uh, and and may not even lie as much, may, may even be a better person overall. But the things that they're going to do, the major things they're going to do, I wholly disagree with, and that would be, and that's it's unfortunate that uh, that that's the choice. But that's the choice, and I have to. So it's not so much the end justify the means. It's I've got to make a choice here of, of two things, which are are are, are not uh, what I wish they were. And and so so I say, okay, I've, I've got to I've got to choose what I think is is the correct one. I I'd, I'd rather see a, a a very flawed person, to say the least, who who, who does things I, I mostly agree with. When I say does, I mean the major things that are done, not the things he posts on Twitter or lies he tells or anything like that. Then pick someone who who acts more uh, presidential and 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 does everything I disagree with. So that's and 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 the other problem is the the there is so little compromise here in today's politics that I can't even say well um, maybe if we just if I vote for a moderate Democrat he'll compromise and it can be uh, both sides can 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 work together and find something they can both accept. That's not how it works. Now it's like it's like both both are trying so hard not to work together and no one wants to even consider the other side and everything's a big fight and so there's no such thing as I'll vote for a moderate this or moderate that because you're you're not going to see it happen. Where you, you, what you're going to see happen is 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 one side's agenda or the other side's agenda uh, depending on which political party gets selected and uh um, like, like in California, and we've got to move on here, so we're going to have to end the whole discussion soon. But uh, in California, Jerry Brown, who was a governor, obviously not a conservative at all, a liberal Democrat. Jerry Brown, when he was uh, elected uh, the second time around, more recently, not back in 1980, uh, mm-hmm. when he was reelected, I was like, oh, I, that's, that, it sucks that California, like a Republican, has no chance to be elected governor anymore. This sucks. I, yeah, Jerry Brown's a liberal. I hate to see what happens. I was pleasantly surprised by him. And the reason I was pleasantly surprised by him <laughs> was that he was his own man. And I, I had not thought of that. I knew it before. I had followed his presidential run in 92. I, I, I kind of knew it, but I didn't really think of it that way. He was his own man. He wasn't just someone who just does what the Democrats want. He took certain positions that his own party was pissed off about. They didn't like ones I agreed with and his own party hated. And now, not, now more, more often he, he didn't do that, but there were a number of times he did where he did what he actually felt was right and not what his party wanted him to do or pressured him to do. And there were times that Democrats got real pissed at him, and he said, I don't care. This is what I think is right. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm supporting. And, uh, and he was very budget conscious and, uh, and, and tried to be fiscally responsible. So I said, okay, you know, like uh, if, if it's not going to be a Republican – uh, believe it or not, even though he's uh, he's a liberal Democrat, I I actually uh, I'm not that unhappy with him as governor. So this was someone who, because he was more willing to do what he thought was right rather than just go along with the party dogma, uh, I respected it a lot more. And as a result, there were times I actually agreed with him. And and yeah, no, I I, I totally agree. I, it's a funny story. I actually was I worked on Meg Whitman's campaign, who was her uh, his Republican opponent. I forgot he used to be a Republican, right? Yeah, yeah, I voted for Meg Whitman, and I was so I was super bummed when she lost. And I gotta say, I really came around. I thought he was I thought he was truly impressive. I thought he was a very I thought he was a unifying uh, a unifying force, and I thought that he was an independent thinker. And the irony is that it seems like that's what you want from your politics, and yet 
you you arguably voted for the most one of the most divisive big figures of our time. Well, he's divisive, but actually, Trump is kind of. I will say the one thing for he, he is also an independent thinker, and in that he 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 really does this kind of uh, do and say what he wants off, often too much. Uh, um, he, he he's haphazard in how he does it sometimes, but uh, and and that's not good. I'm not defending that part, but uh, what what I the problem is too often you have uh, ones who who don't want to just independently decide what they think is right and not worry what the party thinks and uh that's that that was what i respected about jerry brown and and then once i said you know what i never thought i was going to say this but i'm actually sad that jerry brown's gonna be leaving office <laughs> and i knew yeah, i, I, knew yeah, I was, uh, and i knew i wasn't gonna like the guy who replaced him i knew i was gonna like uh knew so much less and i do like knew so much less and uh that's, and I know that's the way it is in California. It's going to be the way that is in California for a very long time, probably the rest of my life or maybe longer. So uh, let's, let's well, take a call here before I was we... Just, uh, I was just going to ask you one quick question. I just, I'm wondering how you square your opinion on Trump hello? with... Yeah, one, one, oh, second, one second caller. Yeah, go, ahead, go ahead, Andrew. No, I was, I was just going to ask you just how you square that opinion with all of the, you know, like the really bright uh, conservative minds, the never-Trumpers, like the David Frums and the... David French's and Bill Crystal's, and I mean the list is really long. Well, I, I just explained. I explained why. That's that was. I, I had to make the decision. I I, I explained. Okay. I explained what my thinking was there, and uh, they, they may. Fair enough. They, they feel that way, and I feel that uh, it's better to go the other way. Carl, you're on the air. Hi, this is Tyrone Chan. How are you, sir? Yeah, Tyrone here. Welcome here. See, Andrew, I don't know if you know about this. We have a, a listener, an older Asian listener from Las Vegas, named Tyrone. So, uh, oh God! <laughs> so, that's, that's really his name, though. It's not an alias. His real his real name is Tyrone, right? Right, Tyrone. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah, he's a legitimate yes, guy. I've, I've see, I saw a picture of you. Of, uh, I added Tyrone to my Facebook. I see a picture of him and everything. He's legit. He's exactly what he says he is. So, so go okay. on. Hey, Tom. Uh, I'm a middle middle road Democrat. Yeah. I'm actually, uh, and uh, actually, one of the things I admire you about is that. You are the one of the rare few people able to see both sides of the story. The both sides of the story. I think those kind of GOP you no longer exist. The, today the GOP is that basically Ronald Ronald Reagan will call over in, the, in his grave because <laughs> because the, even Ronald Reagan is conservative. He's, he's basically able to compromise, negotiation, everything else. And I'm sorry, Ta, one of the major disagreements I have with you is for the life of me. As an Asian American, I don't see really he is the biggest racist that I ever see. He, he, he runs basically an election. Every day he get on the podium and lie, lie. Uh, in fact, I don't think the president done enough to to recognize that. If I had to fact check him, I used to fact check him, him all the time, but uh, he's not. Uh, what he is, he is, uh, I'm sorry, you are think you are able to. I do not believe that you can defend a president who have no credibility. All he think about is re-election. Well, okay. All he have to do... Okay, Tyrone, Ty I'll answer you here. And by the way, I do want to move on soon because we got a lot of discussions. It's, it's uh, almost 11.30, but uh, 
I, I will say that, uh, yes, he tells a lot of lies. Yes, a lot of what he does is, is looking towards re-election. Like, uh, he kind of always seems like he's, he's campaigning. Um, by the way, uh, a- and Andrew, are you leaving here? You, I just got a message from you. I, I, yeah, I do have to go. Thanks for the chat. It's always a pleasure. Oh, thank, thank you for coming uh, on. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Good night. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, that was a good conversation Bye. we had. So, so, so finishing up with Tyrone here, though. Um, yeah. So, so what I was going to say here is that I some of what you're saying is true, but um, I, I still don't think I think the racism is being really, really, really exaggerated. And, and if you listen to the way it's talked about by the media, this is a dog whistle. This is what he really means when he says this. It's actually racist. As I said, I even looked as a Jew was something that was said to be anti-Semitic on his part, which if he was, believe me, I would I would acknowledge it and criticize it. And I looked into it and I said, not only is this not anti-Semitic, it's actually pro-Jewish. It's actually something nice he's doing for the Jews. And and, and I say this as a Jew. Now, I'm not saying that, that everything he says and does doesn't sometimes have these uh, these overtones to it that, that one could think it means this, but I, I really am not, I, I've been looking for it. I'm really not seeing the racism that many others are saying exists, yet some of the other criticisms I can agree with. Does, does he lie a whole lot? Yes. Does he lie more than any president that I've ever seen? Yes. And I thought Bill Clinton lied a lot. He lies a lot more than Clinton did. Uh, he uh, Does he always const- constantly uh, try to... Uh, have an eye towards re-election. Is everything like almost like a campaign rally? Yes. Uh, does 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 he say a lot of ridiculous things on Twitter? Yes. In fact, uh, his Twitter. He's the first. I know Twitter's a newer thing, but every celebrity, every uh, major politician, they have people who tweet for them. Usually, they're usually not even tweeting their own things. They're they're usually saying either their staffers are just doing it for them. Or they're saying something to the staffer, what they'd like to be put on Twitter, and the staffer comes up with a way to word it, or they work together. This is the first person I've ever seen, like a, a major figure that 100% controls their own Twitter and just fires out with, without even thinking. He just like I, I started noticing a lot of them were like at uh, three three a.m. almost exactly at three a.m. on the dot Pacific. So I'm like, he must have his clock to wake up at six a.m. Eastern. And it wakes up, and probably before he even gets out of bed, he brings up Twitter and tweets the first thing he thinks, or maybe he's on the toilet. You know, like it's probably something like that. It's probably like he really does not ever think before he tweets. He just he just picks up his his cell phone and just tweets out what comes to mind, which is crazy for a president to do. It's 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 insane, but but that's what he does. And uh, like so, these things are all worthy of criticism. I, I I explained before why. Uh, why I still am not voting for the other side, despite all that, and and uh, so I can acknowledge all that, but but that's that's why. And, and you talked about Reagan. If Reagan were around today and say forty years younger, forty years younger meaning the forty years younger than he was, so he'd be the same age when he was president uh, in the eighties as he it, you know put him where he's the same age as nineteen eighty today. Um, they wouldn't compromise with him. It, it, it's a different. It's different on the other side too. Is the problem? They, it would, it's a different time that Reagan had to deal with than today, and and it's unfortunate. That's that's some some area we have not made progress. We, there's many areas we have made progress in since 1980. A, a compromise between the political parties we've regressed big time, and that's that's sad. But that's that's the way it is. So that's uh, it's a sad because all the, he basically dried out all the modern. From the Republican Party, 
you talking about Mick Ronnie, you're talking about George Bush, and they all try to compromise, they all try to do. I think that's the way American system works. But it's sad that you have a president that does not represent all America. It only represents his right wing extreme. Well, I'll it's say, very sad. You'll I'm sorry about this. That's true. Well, you know what, you know what, Tyrone, though? I'll tell you, if, if, if Biden wins, and it's not just Biden, if any Democrat were to win in, uh, in 2020, though it's going to be Biden as a candidate, um, you'll see the same thing the other, the other way. You're not going to see the same outrageous behavior, but uh, Biden says a lot of dumb things because he's, he's always made gaffes and he's getting kind of senile. But, uh, so you'll still see dumb things being said, but in a different way. Uh, we, we already see plenty of them right now with Biden. But... Uh, it, it's a different kind of uh, saying dumb things, but not even that. What you're, Biden is not someone who's far to the left, but you're not going to see cooperation either because they just don't do it anymore. The, the, the Democrats are not going to do it. They don't want to do it. It's, it's their way or the highway. It's, uh, they don't want to compromise. It, it, it's, it's like showing weakness. It's like giving in. They, they don't want to do it anymore. It's, it's not like back in the days of Reagan. And as I said, it's, it's sad. So it's not – people think once we get Trump out of there – Everyone's going to go back to compromising. They're not. And in fact, uh, George W. Bush, he was treated uh, horribly by Democrats. Uh, they, they just went after him very, very viciously and didn't want to compromise with him. And, and it's going to be the same thing, but worse, because... Uh, but there are, things, there are lots of things they compromise with George Bush. Uh, well, it's, it's been declining, though. See, the, the, During the 9-11, the, the, the whole country was unified. That was the last time. I mean, that, that, that was the last time. We were, and, and there was some belief that that the coronavirus would be like the nine eleven for this country, in that uh, it'll get unified again, and it didn't. It, the, 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 the divide has gotten has gotten so big that even something like the coronavirus was unable to unify everybody. Instead, it became a political battle right away. It be right away. It, it right, but that's Trump and a lack of leadership. Drop. No, it was going to happen. I mean, it was going to happen no matter what. It's like that. I, I saw that. I saw the Democrats doing it too. I saw them. I saw them getting political with it right away. They 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 banged him right away. He came in and fired the whole. He fired the whole pandemic team because Obama hired them. We could have had this stuff snipped. Months before, no, I don't think so. I don't think there's anything we could you know, have done. He's not. Honestly, if we if we saw if we saw the future, if in December 2019 we saw the future of the coronavirus and we could see up till today, I don't think there's that much we could have done other other than the only thing we could have done better, better meaning like to, to have made it not as bad as today is if we could see the future. Uh, as soon as we saw evidence of this starting and getting into the U.S., then, then everybody immediately shelters in place, and maybe it could have not spread. But there, no one would have gone for it back in January. If, if anyone said, if Trump said in January, let's everybody uh, do the lockdown that we did in March, no one would have been board, on board for it. Not, not just uh, when I say nobody, like right, just about nobody. But, right, but we would have had a team in China. We would have been way ahead of it. They, okay. they gave him a whole. There was a whole pandemic plan presented to them. No, but it wouldn't work. Oh, it's your. They just got rid of it. It, it wouldn't have worked. And also, Thank China. You. China was not uh, honest about the whole thing. They, they, that's the biggest problem. Trying to lie. And then, and then Trump's Trump's taking a dump at three in the morning, talking about China, and then people are chasing Tyrone down the strip because <laughs> they think he's responsible. Yeah, January, January <laughs> you know? yeah, this is a true fact. January seventh, the Mer- the Chinese has sent 
exactly the DNA origin of the virus to, to the, the the own pandemic team of, of things. They don't. He doesn't want to hear about it. He doesn't look at those kind of things. Well, but they were lying. The, the Chinese government was lying for for a long time about if it could trans, uh, transfer from human to human, and they were covering up the severity, and they were they were they were uh, jailing and maybe even killing people there that were trying to tell the truth at the beginning. And they well, were. Well, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, that there's no fault on China, but I'm saying that that, that he could be honest. China, a thirtieth January seven, he praised President. Uh, see, he prayed. Yep. He said, "What a good job! Good job! Come on now, huh?" Well, he well. First of all, he didn't know the full extent of the he didn't know the lying. And second, this is just what he does. He likes to always uh, give praise to anyone that uh, he's cooperating with, even if they're not uh, doing the best job. I'm not defending doing that, but that's that's just him. And uh, what, what I'm saying here is, that even if we knew all this, even if we, that pandemic team was in place and we knew uh, everything we knew, the only thing we could have done that would have been, that would have saved lives uh, differently would, would have been locking down way earlier. But the public wouldn't have gone for that. Democrats wouldn't have gone for it. Republicans would have gone would not have gone for it. No one would have gone for it. So really, all of this didn't end up mattering that much. It was, it was what was going to happen was going to happen, and it's unfortunate. And it's more from inexperience with something like this than anything else, because the, the public would not have gone for it in January if we were told to, to lock down. And, and it was, now if the next, if we have another, let's say this coronavirus goes away, and then in, in 10 years we have another similar one. We have something else that's, that's of similar nature. Then right away we're going to jump into action, because we, are, we already went through it, and, and everyone's going to take a real serious thing. Right. People are going to go, oh crap, we don't want this again. And so the public will be much more willing to do it. No one had experienced this in their lifetimes here, so that, that was the reason this happened, and that's, that's important that's to see. That's just, just like uh, your co-host say, say basically because we are not prepared because you you fire everybody, all the <laughs> but, but you couldn't have been pre- for Obama. You fire you 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 fire them. But even if they, you had them, you wouldn't have done it. The, the only solution would not have been taken, no matter what. And nobody was suggesting it. Like I, I, I'm telling you, if, if 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 somehow Obama could have had a third term and he was the president, then uh, we this would look very similar right now to what we're sitting in right now. It's it's it's. Uh, how come? How come the United States is number one? Because we have 330 million people, and, and we're honest about the stats. No, I mean, look, we probably we pro- right now we probably would have been about the same, but we probably would have had closer to 40,000 deaths. No, be, no, that'd be, that'd be the same thing. It would be the same thing. You know, but but look, you're right. And listen, and 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 Tyrone, thank you. I know, yeah, I know. Trump wants to move on to the Trump. Hold on, hold on, Trump. But hey, we're all going to work together. <laughs> you just called me Trump here. That's that's. I don't know what you're trying to say with that. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> anyway, My bad. Uh, I, I enjoy very much talking with you, listening to your show. I'm looking forward every day. To me, you are some few Republicans listen to reason. I know you, I, for the life of me, I don't understand why anybody would have voted for Trump. But however, you were thinking voting for Trump, but at least you have some reason. But let me just remind you, the end does not justify the means. Well, okay. Well, I, I see. I disagree with that, but uh, that's fine, Tyrone. You can feel that way, and at least you, at least you feel I'm reasonable, and then you enjoy the show, and you enjoy the way I lay things out. And uh, I really and, do. And I really do. I'm looking forward. 
forward to listen to you every day. I, uh, every day. I think, I also thank you for contributing so much to the coronavirus information. I, I appreciate that too. Okay. Well, you're welcome. Thank you, Tyrone. I'm glad you're a listener and uh, we will talk to you later. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Tyrone. Okay. So I, I even showed you, uh, Troy Daruski, the picture of Tyrone. I said, look, Tyrone's real. Here he is. Right. <laughs> he really he really is an, an, an older Chinese guy. He really is. Not, not that I doubted it. It's just there were some people saying, is that Tyrone? Is that real? Is that some guy trolling you, pretending to be some old Chinese guy? I go, no, no, I think he's real. And then I, I see him on Facebook. He's real. But that was one I never doubted. Like my gut feeling would have, like I would have been shocked if it turned out I was being trolled this whole way. I, it seemed very realistic to me. So, okay, let's, uh, I, I think no one would have questioned if his name wasn't Tyrone. I think it's the Tyrone that throws everyone off. They expect, like, a black guy. They, it's an old Asian guy. They're just shocked. Okay, uh, from the chat room, which uh, I didn't mention at the beginning of the show, but exists. You can't have a flash-enabled device and get in there, but it exists. Uh, Disposition says, it's a shit show mess here in Minnesota with all the violent actors and police. Scary. Um, someone posted a tweet here. Disposition posted a tweet. Let's see what he's posting here. I want to jump to this tweet. Um, National Guard and, and MPD, I think that probably means Minneapolis Police Department, sweeping our residential street, shooting paint casters at us on our own front porch, yelling, light them up. I, I, I saw this being mentioned. I hadn't watched it yet. There, there's a lot of videos out there. Some I'll watch and go... Okay, they're, the police are kind of acting inappropriately here. And other ones I'll watch and go, well, this is supposed to be something that outrages me, but I actually think they're right. Like, I'll, it's, it's kind of a mixture. I'll see both. I'll see that, and it depends on what the video is. Some things that are supposedly so bad, I think, oh, no, no, I think that's right. Other things I don't. Uh, it is a tough job, though. It, it is a very tough job to know exactly the right thing to do in a time like this when you're a police officer and uh, – you do have to keep that in mind. And there are just some crappy police officers. In fact, I didn't get to mention this before, but being a white guy, um, obviously I don't get to experience discrimination very often. Or, you know, that, it's, it's something that just doesn't happen to me. But the closest I ever came to that was when I was in my early 20s and lived in Riverside, California. And this was in the uh, early to mid-90s. And... There was uh, an impression in Riverside, which wasn't incorrect, that a lot of young guys in Riverside, uh, young white guys it is, had a problem with, uh, with meth and speed and, uh, and other uh, hard drugs, that there was a lot of that going on there. So whenever I encountered police, like in traffic stops in those days, that was immediately suspected of me, immediately, especially because I was a skinny guy and I was that age. I, I fit the exact profile of someone they would suspect of that. So like one time I was driving through a, a mini mall parking lot and I went through a stop sign. Well, I didn't see the stop sign. It was, it was a weird setup in that mini mall parking lot. You know how parking lot stop signs are. It's not always obvious they're there. So I happened to have the bad luck of cutting off a cop. Didn't hit him, didn't hit anybody, didn't put anyone in danger. It just, uh, um, I cut him off. And he, so he pulled me over and he was furious and he was sure that I was on drugs. 
wasn't acting like I was on drugs, but he was sure I was, and he was screaming at me, I know the signs, don't lie to me, I know what it looks like, you think I'm an idiot? And he was just, he wouldn't accept it. And he even put me in handcuffs on the, on the, uh, uh, well, he, he, he asked, he asked, can he search my car? Well, I just wanted this to be over, so I knew there was nothing they'd find, because I, I don't do drugs, and I had nothing out of hiding in my car, so I said, okay, if that'll end it, yeah, but you'll see I have nothing in there. So he said, okay, well, I'm going to put you in handcuffs now for both of our safety while I search your car. So I'm sitting on the freaking sidewalk in handcuffs, and uh, he searches the car. He was so sure he's going to find the drugs. Finds nothing, obviously. And he, he walks back, like, pissed. He's, and he goes, well, I didn't find anything. And, it just, just, and he takes out the handcuffs. He goes, just don't go through the stop signs again, or, 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 or next time I'm really giving you a ticket. And he walks away, and my first thought is, Oh, wow, I'm not getting a ticket for this? Sweet. And then after he drives away, I go, crap, why didn't I get his, his name for to report him for this shit? Because, I mean, it was... And, and I thought, well, that's... I just was stereotyped. And I can understand how black people feel when this happens to them. Because there's black guys who are pulled over, and there's immediate suspicions about them. So that's the closest I ever came to something like that. Where and and I had other stops around that time, around that age range, where there was always something suspected of me involving drugs. Once I got older, that stopped happening. And it never happens anymore now. When they pull me over now, I'm just a a, a middle aged white guy driving a nice car, and it's assumed I'm probably not up to anything bad. And then they, of course, have to check my record and they check and see it's clean. And they go, okay, it's just a normal traffic stop of a normal middle aged white guy. And that's how they see me, and that's how they treat me. I don't cause trouble. I act respectful. Even if I disagree with the traffic stop, don't ever argue. But uh, there's not this instant assumption about me that there was when I was uh, a young, skinny white guy living in an area where a lot of young, skinny white guys were on drugs. So uh, so I understand it. I understand how people feel when they have encounters with the police and there's things assumed about them that aren't true. At the same time, you do have to understand that the cops see this over and over and over and over again, and they start to get used to it. So if there's cops working in a community with a lot of black people and they are arresting a ton of black people who are committing violent crimes, who really are committing violent crimes, and who also resist arrest and give them a hard time, then, the, then they encounter a good black guy and they, they, they it's not fair and they shouldn't be doing this, but, but from over and over and over this happening, they get an idea in their head and they assume things about the person they're pulling over just by their race. And it sucks and it shouldn't be happening, but that's how it occurs. It's not always from evil. It's sometimes just from experience and then people are human and they start to make assumptions. And that ends up screwing the other people of that same race who who aren't bad people and who aren't doing anything wrong. And things are assumed about them just because they happen to uh, be similar in physical description of ones who actually have been causing problems. But... Uh, so it's it's, uh, it's it's a complicated situation, to say the least. Okay, we're going to move on to our, our normal uh, our normal program. Uh, we're seeing in the chat here from David USF. Shit's going down in L.A. It's 1992 all over again. Yeah, L.A. is getting worse and worse, and uh, Chicago's bad. Uh, Philadelphia, Atlanta, a lot of uh, a lot of problems. It's not just Minneapolis. Not a good time to be out. There's actually a curfew in L.A. tonight. And uh, I know in Reno there's a curfew as well. A lot of cities uh, 
resorting to curfews to try to uh, stop this from escalating. Uh, somewhat by me, there's uh, a demonstration that's going to occur. Not right by me, but not that far from me. But they're already they're going to be positioning. 50, I think it's going to be tomorrow. They're going to position like 50 police there already when the whole thing starts. So hopefully they're doing this knowing that if they let this get out of control, it'll become a riot. They can spread and maybe they can uh, not have that happen. Uh, already starting with a police presence around there before it even gets going and kind of making it clear if you get out of line, it'll not end well. I, I, I really do believe that can stop the riots from spreading. Hopefully it doesn't spread any further, but this isn't anywhere near over. What are the rioters asking for? What are their demands? We don't know, do we? Because there aren't any. It's just people doing it unhappiness. That's why these don't have a way to end. I'm not saying they won't end. They always end. That's why these can drag on, is that it's not even rioting with any goal where once the goal is achieved, they're going to stop. It's it's more of a, like they, they have arrested this cop. And I think if they, I don't know if they arrested the other three yet. Do you know Trader Risky? No, I think just the one so far. See, that's that's already the mistake so, here. They should they, they should do everything they can right now. Like not just arrest people who didn't do anything wrong, but there's enough that, that can be said that all four cops did to where they should be arrested. Uh, to where uh, yep. they should at least do that. That's uh, what they charge them with. After that, that that can be done through further investigation. But at least to arrest them and charge them with something, at least provides the optics of okay, we're trying to take care of this and we're taking this seriously. We've you still only arrested one. That just I'm not saying that it will instantly stop the riots if they arrest the other three, but they've, they've screwed this whole thing up. They really need to show, we are taking this seriously. None of the cops are going to get away with this. We're, we're going to charge them with what they should be charged with. We guarantee you that. Uh, everybody, please stop doing this and trust that we're going to do the right thing, and then we're going to listen to you as far as uh, uh, reform to prevent this in the future. And, th- and then really listen. Not do everything they say, but but say, look, we're we're going to open up the dialogue as far as uh, seriously what we should do about uh, police brutality reform, and and try to make people feel like things are going to change, and it's not just uh, sweeping this under the rug, letting the cops get away with it, and uh, and letting the same thing continue forward. I think that's a that, that's something they really need to do, and that's up to Minnesota, uh, Minneapolis there to do. Uh, obviously, in L.A., there's nothing we can do about this, but. Uh, uh, now, LA can do a little bit. They can say, well, we'll look into this, too, as far as... Uh, I, I really think the solution is, and, and we'll calm people down, if they say we're going to really start reforming the ability to get rid of problem cops. And that, that will really help the problem. And like yeah. Putting out something like that and then actually working to do it, I think, it will really diffuse a lot of this. Now, there's, there's still the criminals that are just rioting for the sake of rioting, and uh, we're going to have that problem. But uh, something if, if you right. just kind of let it sit without doing much, the whole thing's going to – who knows how long this is going to drag because people are already frustrated about the coronavirus and this is in some ways their outlet, which I'm not justifying. I'm just saying that this is a, a unique situation. In 92, we didn't have a coronavirus going on. So that's, uh, that's where we have the True. additional factor here. It's the same with 2014 in Ferguson. And this, again, this is worse in Ferguson because it's very clear what happened here. As opposed to in Ferguson, it was it was a big question mark of, of who was right and who was wrong in that one. So, uh, no, I agree. I agree. I think if they if they uh, arrest the three officers, really get it up, you know, on the news and everything else. Everybody has their new TVs now; they'll be able to watch. It. <laughs> Hopefully, they'll. <stop. laughs> Hopefully, it'll stop. But it is. Yeah, it's just it expand. Ex- 
it's expanding to other cities. And uh, do we really need this right now with everything else going on? We have all these problems in the country with the related to the coronavirus. Now we got to deal with this on top of it. What a, what a disaster. So that's, yeah, uh, but draft, the draft, how, how loving it are those, some of those restaurant owners are about to go out of business anyway. Oh, oh th- now, thanks. Th- thanks for bringing that up. This is the last thing I want right? to say about this. There's, there's one thing that's bothering me that was spreading around social media. There was this Indian restaurant in Minneapolis where s- supposedly the owner was in support of the looting and rioting, even though his own place got burned down. And this was spread around by people on the left as saying, see, see, even one of the victimized business owners that you're telling us we have to feel so sorry for, he's with us here. He's saying that our cause is more important than his restaurant. I'm going, no, I, it's one of two things. Either the guy's happy to have it burnt down because he's getting all this insurance money from it, and he was probably struggling big time during the coronavirus pandemic, and he's probably about to go out of business anyway. Or this is a great way to get good PR for when they do reopen. So this is a like free average. One of these two. It, it's, it, the guy is not happy his place got burnt down just because he's supportive of the cause. There's a, no business owner who's going to say that. No business owner is going to go, well, my business got destroyed, but I'm glad it got destroyed because – it's it's getting things done as far as police brutality reform. I, I'm I'm happy it happened. No one's going to say that. Nobody. So that's uh, believe me. That's not, and not only that we didn't even directly get it from the guy. We got it from like one of his kids that also works in the restaurant. Says, oh, my dad said this on the phone. I overheard him. Like that, this was definitely calculated. And I hate when things like that are put out. I I hate when something that could easily have an ulterior motive to where they can gain from it financially is put out as something noble. I, I really don't like things like that. And the fact that that was being shared everywhere, I go, well, it was smart. That was a, that gets a smart marketing tactic, but pissed me off that people fell for it. My restaurant burnt down, but I'm not mad at them. I go, yeah, I bet you're not. He's like, I was about to burn it down myself and hope that uh, I didn't get caught. But ah, you did it for me. And now I'm not going to face an arson charge. Sweet. <laughs> Could be something like that. Okay, we're going to move on here. These These things always don't age well. Like if people listen to this... Months from now, when they're catching up on the show, they're going to go, I don't want to hear about current events from May 30th. Boring radio. I, I, like, I'll like i go back and listen to old no, shows. No, it might and, be good, though. But the Stern show, like when he played on 9-11, I've listened to that after the fact. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess there's some value to it. Okay. I, I want to talk about, uh, give you a little update about Christopher Mitchell. I, I know some of you like the Christopher Mitchell topic. Some of you don't like it. If you don't like it, the good news is a very quick update, but it's something you should know. Remember last week we talked about uh, Lee, a.k.a. Hoosier A, who was accused unfairly and inaccurately of being Kevin Davis. You heard them both on the show together. They're two different people. I didn't know Kevin Davis until about a month ago. Lee I've known for uh, over a year. And Lee's been a longtime member of this forum. Okay, so for sure they're not the same person. And Christopher Mitchell either is delusional or he's just found a convenient scapegoat because he can't find the info of, of... Actual Kevin Davis. So we talked about that at length last week. I'm not going to rehash that. But we have a new update to this that Lee was informed by the sheriff in Las Vegas where he lives that he is going to have to accept legal papers for a restraining order case. Can you believe this? A restraining order has been filed by Christopher Mitchell against Lee. And this is especially ridiculous because if you think about it, Lee has never met Christopher Mitchell. Lee has never called Christopher Mitchell. 
Lee has never texted Christopher Mitchell. Lee has never emailed Christopher Mitchell. He has never had any direct contact with Christopher Mitchell. I think the most contact he's ever had was like a public comment on a YouTube video where he called out some lie that Christopher Mitchell told. That, that was it. He's never had any kind of contact with him. So how could you possibly get a restraining order? What are you restraining? He's not doing anything. So the restraining order was based upon this incorrect and ridiculous premise, and obviously you can disprove this in court very easily, this ridiculous premise that Lee actually is Kevin Davis. And then, in addition, Christopher lied about things Kevin Davis was supposedly doing to him, just making up these lies to make Kevin Davis look like he really is this monster harassing him and threatening him rather than just someone who's relentlessly exposing him in his past, which is really what's happening. I'll admit that Kevin has been very relentless and has exposed a lot of information about Christopher and makes different videos about him every day, and I'm sure he's a huge thorn in his side, but he's doing this because Christopher Mitchell is trying to sell a scam system to innocent people through YouTube, and this gets Kevin Davis very mad because he's been he he did this to other people as well who were doing similar things through YouTube. Uh, Kevin Davis just likes uh, going after YouTube scammers. But that that's what's happening here. You guys know it. So uh, this this ridiculous restraining order was filed. Now I don't know if you all know how restraining orders work, and it's a little different in each state. But in general, when you want to file a restraining order against someone, you go before a judge and you file for a temporary restraining order, which is very frequently granted. You don't have to prove very much. You just have to kind of have a reasonable story, and the judge will grant it. Why? Because it doesn't go on anyone's permanent record, and it's just something that's meant to put the person who's applying for it under protection until the actual hearing comes to where the judge decides whether there should be a permanent restraining order. A permanent restraining order is actually pretty bad. It goes on your record, so any background check, it will show up, and that can affect employment, which is awful. And you also can't own firearms in a lot of states when there's a restraining order against you, even if you're not accused of anything violent or threatening anything violent. So, like, like if, if you're just prank calling someone and never threatening them, you're just making annoying prank calls, and they get a restraining order against you for that, you can't own guns in the state of California if, if this restraining order is approved. Or even if a temporary is granted, which is insane, by the way. That, that shouldn't be the case. But uh, the, really, the firearm restriction should only be if you're of a, an actual physical danger. And if you're just kind of an annoyance but not a danger at all, you shouldn't lose that right. I think it's a Second Amendment Second Amendment right violation, but nevertheless, that's the case in many states. I think California and Nevada include that. So usually the temporary is granted where you do have to actually turn in your firearms if you have any, and then you'll get them back if you then uh, beat it in court and, and their permanent order is not granted. So as I said, usually temporary orders get granted. I've had friends who have had temporary orders granted that were uh, against them that were totally bogus. Totally bogus. I, and, I, and not just because they're my friends. Like I would, I would look into all the facts and it would just be totally bogus. I, I know a number of people this happened to. Every single one of them was not justified. Every single one of them didn't uh, turn into a permanent order except for one, and that one was a miscarriage of justice. So um, the, the whole restraining order system is kind of broken. But anyway... What I did want to mention is that Christopher Mitchell went to go get one against Lee, which you'd think from everything I said here would have been granted and there would be a restraining order for the moment against Lee. No, it actually got denied. (laughs) Christopher Mitchell is the only guy I've ever known of 
that actually got a restraining order denied, a temporary restraining order, I'm saying. like Usually they, they hand those out like candy. Usually it's very easy to get a temporary restraining order. Here he did not. Here, here it was actually denied. And that doesn't mean that's the end of it, though, unfortunately. I wish, that, I, wish I could say this is all over and that the, the days of the temporary restraining order, uh, for the, the concern about the restraining order on Lee's part are now in the past and we can just laugh. Unfortunately, we can't laugh yet. The judge did assign a hearing date for this, and they are going to both be in court together. And it's really unfortunate because Lee didn't do anything. That guy can tell you, he really didn't do anything. So Christopher Mitchell and Lee are going to be in court this upcoming week, and it's going to be determined whether a permanent order is granted. But the judge was already so skeptical that he would not grant a temporary, which is a great sign for Lee. Because sometimes, like, like I have that one friend who had a permanent order against him where he was innocent. And where the things alleged in court were easy to disprove, but, but somehow the judge didn't buy it. And uh, not quite as easy as this one, but uh, a case I really thought my friend was going to win and ended up losing. And I, I felt very bad for him. Didn't have to do with me, but I, I felt very bad for him. And uh, so you never know. And it depends on the judge. Some judges are very restraining order happy, where they just hand them out uh, the, the permanent orders with uh, reckless abandon and kind of take the approach of, well, we better grant them because just in case we deny it and then something bad happens, we're going to look really bad. So let's just grant them all. Some judges take that attitude. Some judges take the opposite attitude of, unless we're really convinced this person's in danger, we're not giving it. So I've seen the opposite, too. I've seen like like where women are being stalked by some man they once dated or didn't want to date or whatever, an ex-boyfriend, and, and they have every right to get the restraining order from this awful guy, and they get denied. I've seen that. I've seen the opposite occur, too. So it depends what judge you get. But at least this judge already wouldn't give the temporary, which is a great sign. This judge, the judge thought Christopher was so full of crap that he's like, well, this, this – doesn't seem like it's valid. This doesn't seem like this justifies it, but uh, I'll give you your day in court, but no, I'm not even giving you a temporary. So that's that's where it stands. I have offered to uh, Lee to testify by phone. I'm not going to Las Vegas to do this, but I've offered that uh, if the court wants to call me, that I will be glad to testify about uh, the entire situation, how Lee found Christopher in the first place, that he found it through my show and through my site, that I've met Lee, that uh, I've spoken to Lee and Kevin simultaneously, and they're two different people, that I didn't know Kevin until about a month ago. Like, I'll just tell the complete truth in court. I, th- this is so easy because it's not like I've got a BS in court to get Lee out of this. I, I will have the court call me if, if they'll do it. If, if they're interested in doing so, they can call me, the judge can call me, and I will tell the entire truth exactly as it is and not change one detail. The truth will set Lee free in this one, for sure. Because he is not Kevin Davis, and he has never made contact with Christopher Mitchell. So this is such a pain in the ass for him. I, I feel bad for him. He's going through this, and definitely an abuse of the court system. But uh, why is Christopher Mitchell doing this? Is it because he really is convinced he's Kevin Davis? Is he, has, is he that delusional? Possible. But my theory is that he just wants the victory. He wants He wants to get a restraining order and then say, folks, folks, look, I've gotten him, folks. I have been saying for a long time that this Kevin Davis guy who's been saying I'm a scammer and a gay porn star, that 
I am not either of these things, and he is a stalker. And now I can prove it in a court of law in Las Vegas, Nevada. Look, here is a permanent restraining order for the next three years against Lee, a.k.a. Kevin Davis. So as you see, the court ruled that he was the stalker I have been telling you the whole time that he is. Folks, it is very tough trying to give you a winning strategy because we have so many haters who are jealous of all the money I have made here. But that just comes with the territory, folks, and I'm going to keep teaching you anyway how to beat the casinos. I, I, I could see the video. That's exactly what he's going to say. He wants to have a win over his skeptic, even if the win is over someone that isn't his skeptic that he's claiming is. And he figures the people gullible enough to believe his system works are also gullible enough not to check into this. So that's that's the strategy here. I'm pretty sure that's what he's doing I think he's delusional, but I don't think he's that delusional at this point to think that they're still the same person. I'm sure he heard last week's show where we had them both on. I'm sure he knows that he screwed up. He just doesn't want to give up because he has a convenient scapegoat. And he has a scapegoat he doesn't feel sorry for anyway because the scapegoat also tried to convince one of his potential customers not to pay him any money. Rightfully so, but uh, Christopher's pissed at him anyway, so he's like, okay, I'll, I'll just... Get him and say he was Kevin because I don't like him anyway because he tried to uh, ruin my business, ruin my scam business, but nevertheless ruin my business. So, okay. So that's, that's what's going on there. I will give you updates next week as to what happened. Hopefully we will have good news. And, uh, as I said, I've offered to give testimony if they're interested in hearing it. Not the most convenient time for me. It's going to be the morning. I will give Lee the number to call to give to the judge and uh, maybe I'll get a call. And if I do, I'll tell you guys about that too. Let's talk about what was the big developing story last week that came a little bit early because I had a feeling and I said last week on the show that this one was going to develop over the next week and we were going to learn a lot more about it to where everything I said last week will sound really obsolete and that exactly is what occurred. I'm talking about the Bill Perkins situation where Bill Perkins on Twitter about an hour before last week's show started insisted that a huge scandal was coming down the pike that would make Possel look like nothing. That this is going to be one of the biggest scandals in poker ever. It's a cheating scandal involving major poker pros that he said may even qualify as poker heroes. Just huge names in poker who have been cheating. And uh, he is looking to figure out what to do going forward. And that's all the information we had. We didn't know what kind of cheating, who he was alleged cheated him. We don't know where he got cheated. Well, we do now, but we, we didn't know then, a week ago. And I was taking my guesses at it, and I said that I, at the very least, think that this is not going to be bigger than Possel or anywhere close to as big as the Possel situation. I think that he is probably the victim. He didn't say he was the victim yet. He was just saying this is going on, and he said that one poker pro, who he eventually named as Jason Kuhn, I think he did that before last week's show, uh, that Jason Kuhn had the chance to do it also and chose not to, which was a little bit of a clue but not that much of one. But he still didn't say he was the victim, but he was. it really seemed like he probably was. And so my theory was, number one, he was the victim. Number two, because he was the victim, or at least thinks he's the victim, that this has escalated it in his mind to be much more important to the average person than it really is. So it's, to him, it's bigger than the possible thing because he was the victim. But to everybody else, it's nowhere near as big as the possible thing. That was my prediction. That ended up being completely true. So if you're looking for an update this week that is breaking the new Postle story that's even bigger. That's not happening. This this does seem to be 
uh, a credible cheating allegation, but nowhere near as big as the Apostle story. And the story in itself, while interesting and worthy of discussion, is not earth-shattering. It's nothing you haven't heard before, and it's nothing that people are going to be talking about for years. Uh, only Bill pumping this up so much is what made the story big, sadly. So it, it was the fact that he didn't deliver something to the magnitude of what he claimed it was that's actually the biggest story. But you may be curious, if you don't know yet, what the actual story is and who were the cheaters. So on May 23rd at 6.49 p.m. Pacific, Perkins tweeted, Cheating scandal and poker going on that would make the Mike Postle scandal look like a church service. Really hard to wrap my head around. I'm very disappointed in many people. Some what you would call poker heroes. One person slash pro showed integrity. Uh, others failed miserably. And uh, so as I said, he eventually mentioned that uh, it was Jason Kuhn is the guy who chose not to cheat when he could have. There was some speculation. Maybe this has, has to do with Phil Galfon and the Galfon challenge because he was someone who was playing Phil Galfond, and Phil Galfond is a poker hero to many people. And there were those matches that some people were suspicious of, even though looking at everything, Phil Galfond seems to be playing fairly. But uh, people immediately jumped to that belief. I thought it probably wasn't. Now, when Venny Vitti commented on it, some people were like, oh my god, it's got to be that. But no, Venny Vitti said something like, "It's not. I know, but it's not my place to say. I'm like, okay, right there it's not Galfond, because if it was Galfond, then it would be Venny Vitti's place to say. It seems like something that doesn't involve him. So, indeed, it had nothing to do with Galfon. Galfon, totally separate from this, just a coincidence that he had been playing Perkins in the challenge and that Venny Vitti knew about it. So, And Bill Perkins actually tweeted, uh, this is not at all what I'm referring to, referring to Galfon. I have no knowledge firsthand or secondhand or any hand about any kind of cheating by Phil Galfon. So that was not it. Then came the weirdness, okay? So this was uh, this is a, the first tweet that <laughs> already was starting to make people get irritated with Bill Perkins, who prior to this had a pretty good reputation. But uh, this is what he, this really weird tweet that came on Sunday morning at 9.36 a.m. Of course, this was uh, hours after we we concluded the radio show. Settlement with one participant gave my word I would not publicly reveal unless they lied during questions. Game colon private. App colon download for friends. Cheating, colon, pros playing for fish account so far, participants number unknown, investigation ongoing, evidence, colon, confession slash physical. Well, that's not what people were expecting. So appropriately, someone tweeted back, need for attention, colon, a lot. (laughs) And that's totally true. That's exactly what this was. They wrote that in the same format as he had put in his tweet. He's basically saying the cheating happened on some app in a private game, that the cheating was pros playing on an account that actually belonged to a fish, so he was tricked into playing what he thought was a fish, and it was actually a pro. And how many people were doing it, he actually doesn't know. And he's still investigating. And that uh, someone admitted to it, that's how he knows that at least one person did it. But that he is not revealing who did it, the one person he does know cheated, he's not revealing it because he told the person he's not going to out them as long as they tell the truth. Well, this really pissed everybody off. That, that part of it really got people angry. There were two, people, two things people really didn't like about this tweet. Number one, this thing that was going to be, quote, bigger than possible was just a matter of multi-accounting, which is wrong. 
which is cheating. Using a fish account to trick someone into playing you heads up when you're actually a top pro is very crappy. And I understand why Perkins is pissed. But is that bigger than the Apostle scandal? No. It doesn't matter who it involves. Even if it involved someone like Negranu, who it doesn't. Negranu was innocent. He had nothing to do with this. But even if it did, that wouldn't be bigger than Apostle. That would be something you'd say, okay, I'm very disappointed in Negranu. But it wouldn't be bigger than Apostle. It's it's still just an act of multi-accounting, which we've seen a lot of times. Like, this exact thing was done by Brian Hastings a number of years ago. It was an interesting story. I criticized Hastings about it. A lot of people criticize Hastings about it. But uh, this has happened a lot of times in poker. And I'm not dismissing it. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying this isn't a tremendous scandal. The the Apostle thing was a tremendous scandal for obvious reasons. So people were pissed, first of all, that he built this up to be a gigantic, huge, amazing scandal – which isn't. It's more of a run-of-the-mill, annoying, uh, real but not huge scandal. And after all this, he's not naming the person who did it, which means now they can victimize other people. So people are going, why call this out then? You call this out, you get everybody interested in it, you, you build it up to something that's b- the bigger it really is, and then you won't even reveal who did it, so now if that guy's playing other people, they're going to get screwed the same way. Thanks a lot, Bill. And they had a point. Like they, they, you, you don't bring this thing out unless you're going to reveal who did it. You don't bring this out just to pressure someone to tell you the truth quietly and then say, sorry, folks, um, I got him to admit to me and make it right. So, uh, yeah, I'm not outing him. He can cheat you guys now, too. Good luck figuring it out. Like, you can't do that. If you're going to out it, then out it. If you're not going to out it, then don't out it. If you know about cheating, you probably should out it. But don't partially out it. Don't say... Someone's cheating, but once they tell me that they did, I'm going to keep their secret. That's a terrible look. So people were very angry about this, and, and there were a lot of bashing of Perkins. A lot of people were getting blocked. And In fact, he even blocked the guy who made that joke about need for attention, calling a lot. Bill tweeted back, not from you, blocked. That's kind of a jerk thing to do. I mean, yeah, he can block who he wants, but that was kind of a funny joke, and, and the guy had a right to make it. It's not like he said something awful. He was mocking Perkins' tweet, which deserved mockery. So then uh, someone named Derek, I don't really know him. I don't think it's anyone that consequential. He tweeted, uh, basically, you got outplayed by a pro that you thought was a fish, LOL. And Perkins responded, actually, in the games that confirmed cheating, I actually won. Others, not so much. Integrity matters irrespective of the results in my, my world, maybe not in yours. Well, okay, if integrity matters and other people matter, if you actually beat the cheaters somehow, but others lost, and presumably others will get cheated in the future, if integrity matters, call them out. What was the point of this if you're not going to call them out? So a lot of people were saying the same thing. It's not just me who thought this. A lot of people got blocked. I didn't get blocked, but I was, uh, believe it or not, I actually, I guess the blocking kind of worked because I actually was less harsh. I I was critical, but I was less harsh than I would have been because I wanted to see this continue unfolding. I didn't want to have to get around the block by going on a different account or opening up incognito mode. So like, I'm like, okay, this isn't worth it. He's getting enough bashing for everybody. I don't want to do it too harshly and then get blocked too and have to follow this through alternate means. So I guess it kind of did work to moderate what I was going to say. So uh, people are already angry. Adam Schwartz, who, by the way, I'm going to play a clip from his show. Adam, please don't sue me. Uh, Adam Schwartz said, hi, Bill. Can you give us the, can you give us the, cliff notes about why this person isn't being outed. It's hard to make it through all the tweets to understand why if you have proof that he or she is being protected. Great question, Adam. 
Bill said back, made a bad deal, confessing player allegedly had more info upon me asking more questions, gave almost zero additional info to help expose extensive scandal, but my word is important to me that I kept my end of the agreement. No proof he is lying or transparent to out. <laughs> I meant to play the laughing sound effect. I guess that works, too. So basically what he's saying, it's kind of a weird tweet the way it's worded, but basically what he's saying is, yeah, I made a deal with the person who I caught cheating that if they tell, that if they tell me everything about who's doing it, that I won't out them. And, and they, I made that deal with them because they said they had a lot more info to give me. Once we made the deal and he said, well, actually I don't have any more info. I don't really know anything else. And he's like, oh boy, well, I guess I agreed not to out you. So even though you didn't give the info that you said you had, I guess if there is no info to give and you lied about that before, I guess I have to keep my word. <laughs> like, what the hell? This this person didn't keep their agreement then. The agreement was, I have more info and I will give it to you if you don't out me. Then Bill says, okay, deal, I won't out you. Give, you, give me all the information you have. I don't really have info, I just said that. Sorry. Now you keep your word. And Bill's like, well, I am a man of my word. <laughs> How did this guy make so much money if he's this gullible? That's crazy. How 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 are you successful if you if you can be tricked like that? It's it's one thing to make the deal where if you expose everybody else, you won't out him, and you you feel it's worth it to find out everybody else is involved. But when when the person who claims they're going to give you the info either is lying, they don't have it, or never had it in the first place, and tricked you into making that deal, at that point you say, "Okay, the deal's off." Then I made this deal based upon your claim you had the info. You don't have the info, so. I'm not continuing with this deal. It's not a matter of my word. You didn't keep your word, so therefore the whole deal's off. Very simple. That doesn't mean you're going against your word. So dumb. Then he made another statement which got everybody scratching their heads and going through the Hinden mob like madmen. Bill Perkins said, top seven pro in the world for sure and now completely obliterated my trust after the confession. I'll never play a game or tournament until after this is rectified. So, Seriously Serious immediately brought up the Hendon mob, as did many other people, to see, okay, who are the top seven cashers in the world? That, that, that may not mean you're the top seven player in the world, and Perkins didn't specify what he meant by top seven pro, but people were guessing maybe he means one of the top seven cashing pros of all time, and then try to figure it out from there. Maybe that's where he came up with the number seven. Because usually you're thinking someone say top three pro, top five pro, top ten pro, top seven pro is a little bit weird. So people assumed, okay, maybe the seven number means it's so it's someone out of the top seven, maybe even number seven. That's why he chose seven, uh, and it's by amount cashed, and he looked that up. So here are the seven names: Bryn Kenny number one with fifty six million in caches, Justin Bonomo number two with forty nine million in caches. By the way, these are not profits; these are people playing super high limit events. Who knows how much they've really profited? Daniel Negreanu, 42 million, number three. Eric Seidel, 37 million, number four. Dan Smith, 36 million, number five. Stephen Chedwick, 34 million, number six. David Peters, 33 million, number seven. So those are the top seven in cashers. By the way, eighth, ninth, and tenth, Fedora Holtz, Jason Kuhn, who's already been exonerated, and Steve O'Dwyer. But let's focus on the top seven. Uh, immediately the suspicion fell upon maybe it is David Peters. He is number seven. Top seven is kind of a weird thing to say. Maybe it's him. But of course, that's not enough to convict David Peters in the court of public opinion. 
you can't just go by top seven, meaning top seven Hendon mob cashers of all time. But people started looking at that and guessing that might be that. But really, no name jumped out at you there of those top seven. Even Bonomo, who had multi-accounting antics back in 2006, hasn't been accused of that in a long time. And even though I disagree with him politically, I, I don't think the guy cheats anymore. I think he plays an honest poker game at this point. So I, I don't think it was him. Right? I, I know it's not him, but at the time, I didn't think it was him either. So someone named uh, Bleed Green on Twitter said, Bill, do the right thing here. If people have cheated, then they deserve to know, they meaning everybody, plain and simple. And Bill said, the people who have been cheated, no. Well, that doesn't help. That just helps in this situation. That doesn't help everybody else. Somebody else, uh, Lisa Pickle, I don't know who she is, but she responded, you say that Jason Kuhn has integrity. You revealed nothing about how he has integrity. Then you tell half a story without outing the people cheating. Where's the integrity in that? You say too many innocent people would be hurt. What about the people being cheated? Who's protecting them? So then Perkins takes a different line. He says, I don't know. I'm not the Paul Revere of cheating. What he means is I'm not the, the superhero of, of stopping cheating. And it's not a concern, or it is a concern, but given the risks to people involved, it's the right decision. Re, Jason Kuhn, he was asked and refused. Asked meaning by the other cheater if, they, if he wants to do it, and he said no. That's still not a good answer. Like, she's asking a good question here, Lisa Pickle. She's saying what, I, what I've been saying here. How are you saying integrity is important if you're letting the cheaters get away with it and cheat other people? If, if, only you're do, if all you're doing is protecting those who are in that game, where's your integrity if you know about a guy who is cheating at high stakes? And he goes, well, I don't know. It's not my responsibility. It's not my problem. I'm not the Paul Revere, I'm not the Paul Revere of cheating. I'm, I'm not going to ride on my horse and say, the cheaters are coming. The cheaters are coming. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to let this go as long as everybody in that game is made whole. Uh, he can go cheat everywhere else. That's not my problem. That's basically what he's saying, and it, it was a bad look. Sean Deeb got involved. Sean Deeb said, if I was the pro that negotiated with Bill Perkins, I would out myself before someone else does. Someone will spill the beans on you eventually. That's referring to whoever the cheater was. Don't take your whole industry down the gutter with your poor decisions. So basically, uh, Sean Deeb is saying, stop making all high-limit pros look bad. Stop causing this witch hunt where they're trying to figure out who who might have been the cheater just out yourself it's going to come out soon anyway it's going to look even worse for you if you have to be outed by somebody else and you can't just admit it bill responded to sean deeb by saying i actually told him this is the right thing to do and the better thing to do mathematically based on how many people know it's going to come out better to get in front of in front of this than to have the mob find out on its own that's the first thing bill said that i agree with but he basically just repeated what uh, sean deeb said David Williams. Yes, that David Williams. Master Chef David Williams. Foot fetishist David Williams. Ass-eating fetishist David Williams. That same David Williams. Porn star David Williams. Same guy. He tweeted, It may be wrong, but that's what you said and is being perceived that that's why transparency is important. Okay, David, you're correct. Bill Perkins said back, The pro that was recruited and confessed didn't want to, didn't want to be ruined and felt I was being unfair about outing and was being vengeful. I took the position that I need to get to the bottom and want info, and I wouldn't publicly out if they gave the info to get to the bottom. Not vengeful. Well, okay, yes, you're not being vengeful. You're being, you should be more vengeful than you are, right? Right now, the guy tricked you. The guy said he, he doesn't want to be outed because it's going to ruin him. He'll, he'll spill all the info. Please don't out him. You're like, okay, I won't out you. Okay, I don't have info. <laughs> like, at that point, you should be vengeful. 
at that point, you're like, wait, you cheat me and then you make a deal with me based upon lies? You know, F you, I'm outing you. That, that should have been the answer at that point. That's not vengeful at all. Michael McDonald, who, by the way, revealed himself this week to be pro-riots. He actually used those words on uh, Twitter, which surprised me because he's not usually someone who is uh, left-wing. He, he might be left politically, but he's not one of these big-time leftist fanatics on Twitter. It's not like Justin Bonomo using his name again. Like, uh, I was surprised to see it from Mike McDonald. But, but, but anyway, we're, we're done with that topic. Here's what Mike McDonald had to say about this. I feel this is a logical inconsistency. On one hand, you believe that this person is worse than Mike Postle and stole huge sums from his friends. On the other hand, you believe he deserves to not have his reputation ruined. You can't just protect someone worse than Postle. Okay, that's a great point, Mike McDonald. If you really thought he was worse than Postle, Mr. Perkins, then uh, why are you saying that he deserves his reputation to be protected? Did Postle deserve that? Obviously not. So why does this guy deserve it? So finally, Perkins had to confess that he was exaggerating about the Postle thing. Good point, says Perkins. Mike Postle is a nobody compared to this person, and info about Mike Postle won't change his life, really. This would be bad if I delivered the message. Much better for him to do, choose to do so. I'm not going to be his executioner, given that he cooperated and confessed. Okay, I guess he didn't admit it. He, he, he's going to admit it eventually in this whole thread that he exaggerated. But, but, but here his defense is, okay, it, it's, it may not be worse than Postle as far as the scope of the scandal, but Mike Postle was a nobody, which he was. And this guy is very well known in poker, so therefore it's a bigger scandal, which is stupid. That's not true. It's about how bad the scandal was, not who was involved. It's more interesting if someone's involved who we know and who's a big name, but that the scandal itself being terrible makes the scandal big. The biggest poker scandals involved many people who weren't that big in poker. The absolute poker scandal, for example, nobody was known who committed that. The ultimate bet scandal. Yes, Russ Hamilton was a known player. But everybody else involved wasn't known. Uh, maybe Mansoor Matt Luby. But uh, Russ Hamilton wasn't the biggest name in poker. He was an old main event winner that had kind of fallen in the background, who had won the main event uh, 14 years prior. So the scandal's severity wasn't because Russ Hamilton was the biggest name in poker. It was because of what happened. And same with Postle, who was a nobody, because it was the first time that whole card cams were ever used to cheat to anyone's knowledge after, like, more than 15 years of their use. So that was a huge story, especially because it went on for, like, a year and a half, right, under everyone's nose on a, a live stream broadcast. So that's, that's not a good response from Perkins. Mike McDonald then said, The person with more to lose in absolute terms has less to lose in relative terms. You say Postle has less to lose, but that's bullshit in my opinion. Maybe pu- publicity means he isn't employable and his kids can't afford to eat. So he's saying here that uh, the worst that's going to happen to Postle, uh, you know, that, uh, that Postle actually has more to lose because he may not be able to get a job after this. And that for this other poker pro, all that happens is his rep gets ruined, which isn't good either. But, but, but someone who's kind of a nobody, if, if they're going to be counting on other things besides poker in their life, then this is going to really hinder them if your name is associated with a major cheating scandal. So Perkins says, fair point. I'm assuming he can get a job, et cetera, yada, yada, but I concede Mike Postle was worse. Okay, so finally we get the admission. And I also have no problem with me not being the executioner in exchange for exposing more of the scandal. Okay, but you're not. You're not exposing more of the scandal. You're exposing nothing, and you got no information. So he's really painting himself into a corner. Well, finally we got our answer, but not from Bill Perkins. 
Who was the cheater? Who was the guy that Perkins was tricked again into not outing? Who is this clever person who not only plays under a fish's account, but also tricks Perkins into a deal that he doesn't keep his part, and then Perkins thinks that uh, it's up to him to still keep his end of the deal anyway. Which I hate, by the way. I always hate when people say, I'm going to be better than the other person. They broke their end of the bargain, but I'm still keeping mine. I hate that line of thinking that will never be me. If we have a deal and you screw me on your end, I'm going to screw you on my end too. I will keep no deal with you if you screw me on your end. I'm just telling you that to anybody here who makes a deal with me. But if you keep your end, I promise you I will keep mine. I think you guys know that. Okay, so back to this. Who is the cheater? There is a cheater, and there is compelling evidence that he really did. This answer came not from Bill Perkins, but it came from another known poker pro, or at least someone who identifies as a poker pro, Dan Bilzerian. Bilzerian is not the cheater. He's the one outing the cheater, because he claims he was a victim too. Dan Bilzerian says... This cocksucker, Sina Taleb, cheated me, Bill Perkins, and others out of money on the Fun Ocean Poker app. I like how they're they're playing for huge money on the Fun Ocean Poker app. (laughs) Come on. How stupid are you to play? You're playing for gigantic stakes on the Fun Ocean Poker app? Are you guys insane? You can't find a better venue to play than the Fun Ocean Poker app? But you may say, okay, big deal, Sina Taleb, who's that? Well, actually, Sina Taleb is the fish. Who was using the fish's account? Well, that's a much bigger name than Sina Taleb, who you probably don't know. The person who was playing on Sina Taleb's account, according to Dan Bilzerian, was Jungleman Dan Cates. That is the person who Bill Perkins and Dan Bilzerian are accusing of cheating by playing on a fish's account. Now... That is not entirely surprising, because Jungle Man doesn't have the best history. Number one, Jungle Man had multi-accounted before. Back in 2012, remember the whole Lock Poker Jira scandal? Before Lock Poker stopped paying people. Do you remember their big Jira scandal where they promoted this uh, young poker player on there who went by Jira, who is from Portugal, who was supposedly the next big thing, who was uh, supposedly so skilled, everyone was so impressed by him. And uh, what happened was, in April 2012, they had a contest for whoever wins the most money on Lock Poker would get a main event seat and be on the cover of Bluff Magazine. Well, of course, it didn't take a genius to see how this could be rigged in that uh, there could be chip dumping. Since you're just going by amount of money won, all you have to do is have your friends keep dumping money to you, and you'll be the winner. You get a free main event seat. There was a huge flaw in this uh, stupid contest. So uh, I guess Jira played on his own, and uh, Jira was – they, they tried to make him good, and they tried to coach him. When I say they, it was, uh, it was mainly Jungle Man and uh, Dog is Head, a.k.a. Hasib Qureshi. But they just, they just couldn't make Jira anything better than a mediocre 5'10 player. So Jira spun his wheels the entire month and basically broke even. And uh, the biggest winner on lock that month had won like almost 100K. So on the final day of the challenge – uh, Jira went and sat at a very high-stakes table, played an account that had never been seen before, and uh, in a very short time, Jira won 100K off of this new account. 
<laughs> and the mock poker's like, see, see, we have our winner. We have our winner. Look, Jira won 100K. He's the, he barely beats the other guy. He gets the main event seat. He'll be on the cover of Bluff. Look, look how great Jira is. Yay. Well, of course, what a dumb scandal. We were just talking earlier in the show about criminals being dumb. This is a good example. So it turned out it was actually Hasib Qureshi dumping that 100K. And after a huge thread on 2 Plus 2 about it, uh, the truth came out. And yes, Hasib admitted that it was him dumping the, the chips. And in a usual Hasib fashion, he lied about the whole thing and uh, like why he did it and the circumstances he did it. And he didn't realize about the contest. He was just transferring money to him. But he had, it was all a lie. and You know it. Hasib admitted that he dumped that 100K to Jira. And that uh, that's... Uh, so, so of course, Locke finally had to disqualify uh, the, the Jira there and give it to this other guy, but only after the community was outraged about it. For a long time, Locke wouldn't do it because Locke wanted Jira to win. In fact, they probably were complicit in this. So, uh, and in fact, even when Locke disqualified him, they claimed they were disqualifying him on a technicality by letting like by letting Dog's head play a few hands for him. But, and not because it was because of the chip dumping to totally cheat the contest. So even there, they weren't honest. But that's not a shock. Locke ended up being a big scam. Anyway, what does Jungle Man have to do with this? Well, Jungle Man was one of the two people really, really talking up Jira. And it, it basically came out, and this is one of the few places where me and Vanessa Selbst are in agreement. Vanessa Selbst actually brought this up on Twitter this week. And this is like, this is like the first thing Vanessa Selbst has ever tweeted in, in a long time that where I completely agree with her. Usually I read her tweets and I just think the opposite, or I cringe. This this time I said she's spot on. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but she basically said, hey, remember the Jira scandal, and uh, basically Jungle Man and Dog is Head were promoting a sock puppet in Jira as the next big thing uh, when it was really them the whole time, and the whole plan was for them to play as him. And I'm not sure what the end goal was, but they, they were trying to create a, a fake poker star. And there, there was something shady they were trying to do. And definitely they, they cheated that contest. Why did Jungle Man get out of this one without the condemnation that Dog's Head got from it? Because Jungle Man didn't have any direct involvement in that exact scandal. The chips were all dumped by Dog's Head, Hasib. So Jungle Man, like he admitted that he had a role in some deception about Jira, but he was he, he admitted to very little, and he swore he knew nothing about the thing with the chip dumping, which of course was a complete lie. So he he basically said, "I didn't know about that one. I was uh, yeah, I, I didn't tell the complete truth about Jira, but uh, the, we were in the process of training him to actually be a, a real poker pro. And yeah, you know, yeah, yes, we played on his account sometimes, but uh, you know, Jira did most of his own play, and it, it's not what you guys are thinking. It was obvious that these." Two were up to no good. These three were up to no good. Jiro was a nobody. But Jungle Man and Doggy's Head were in some kind of conspiracy to create this fake poker prodigy where they actually do all the online play. So there you go. Multi-accounting again. Now, they didn't promote Jiro as a fish, but maybe the plan was that uh, they thought that maybe people might want to take shots at Jira and try to take him down and try to prevent his meteoric rise and then it's actually them. So maybe people wouldn't play either of them, would play Jira. I don't know what the exact uh, goal was. Maybe maybe they were hoping that Jira was going to get sponsorships and they're going to take a piece of it. Maybe they had an agreement with Jira. Uh, th- the whole thing definitely involved Jira being a puppet where they're actually doing everything. 
And, it, and that's multi-accounting right there. So am I shocked that Jungle Man is now accused of multi-accounting? No. It's the least shocking thing that I, that I could have read with this. Like if, if I can think of suspects where I wouldn't be shocked at all, uh, Jungle Man would be near the top of the list. There was another thing that happened involving Jungle Man that actually got less play, but uh, was brought up by by somebody else on Twitter. I think Steve-O brought this up, Steve Ruddock. In 2013, something happened involving Doug Polk before he was as well known. Doug Polk was kind of just known as an online player at the time, a winning online player named uh, WCG Ryder. That was how I knew him for a while. I, I never knew him personally, but just I, I knew of him as WCG Ryder, not so much Doug Polk. So back in 2013, that's how he was known, and he was nowhere near the name in poker he is today. Doug Polk was uh, a victim of a uh, malware scandal involving poker stars, where someone put some sort of uh, program on his computer to be able to see his whole cards. And poker stars investigated and concluded that, yes, this happened and actually uh, gave him the money back. So uh, at some point in the spring of 2013, a player compromised Doug Polk's computer, and he thinks he knows how, and I'll tell you how this has to do with Jungle Man. And Polk lost about $35,000 to a player that was previously known as a fish named Forbidden 536. Sound familiar? A player previously known as a fish? So this uh, fish, Forbidden 536, people didn't know his identity, but but uh, Forbidden 536 had, uh, if you looked at the tracking sites, he was someone who had been losing. So Forbidden suddenly wanted to move up and play higher and uh, and played 2550 no limit. He usually played 510. He was really, he's kind of like a fish at 510. And uh, Forbidden was playing Doug Polk, and Forbidden said, hey, let's move to 2550. Let's move to 5100. So they kept moving up, and Polk was getting destroyed. Polk said at the time, I began to get absolutely wrecked. He was leading 45%, meaning that he's betting on the flop 45%, uh, min three betting, and calling huge bets with 8-3 offsuit. He's referring to preflop. And then uh, check raise and also check fold 28%. In 3-bet in pots, he raised every spot I didn't have it, and was check-folding at an alarming frequency when I had the goods. I was beginning to get worried. That sounds just like a super-user situation, where they, they always know what you have, so they know when to... Even if they've got a very marginal, crappy hand, if they're ahead of you, they're just going to endlessly raise you, and yet if you have them crushed, even if they have a very strong hand, they're going to let it go. That's exactly what the super-users were doing on Absolute Poker and and, uh, and UB, because they can see the whole cards. But this is on Poker Stars, so Paul's going, what the hell? I know Poker Stars doesn't have a super-user, so so what, what the hell's going on here? Well, Paul emailed PokerStars and said, can you please investigate this? This is really, really weird. PokerStars, which has a very good security team, and they used all their lasers like they have on premises, and they uh, called up Polk. Maybe it was even Michael Josem who's been on the show. He called up Polk. They called up Polk and said, uh, we're investigating the matter. And on April 19, 2013, they told him that they froze that forbidden 536 account. And they wrote to him, it does appear extremely likely that this player was able to see your whole cards during a recent playing session. They probably determined this just because the guy never made a wrong move. The guy played every hand like he always knew what Polk had because he did. 
he didn't even try to pretend he didn't. It was kind of like Postle's stupid mistake, where he's just always making the right decision, never bluffing into the nuts, always putting in huge re-raises when he's being bluffed, but when, when he's slightly behind, he's letting go to his hand, even if he's got something huge. Like, that's uh, that was Postle, and that was pretty much this guy here. On June 26th, they took the money back from Forbidden 536 and banned him, so they sent back Polk the entire $34,000 that he lost. So, good conclusion for Polk. But why am I telling you this seven years later? I didn't cover it on this. I never knew about this, by the way. I didn't cover it on the show until now. But this would not be newsworthy seven years later. But I'll tell you why it matters here. In January 2013, an individual named Joshua Tyler, who is an IT specialist from the UK, got to know Doug Polk. Now, isn't that suspicious? This UK IT specialist became friends with Polk and came and stayed at his apartment on multiple occasions. So Joshua Tyler said, oh, um, um, Mr. Polk, you know, I'd, I'd, would you mind if I come to Vegas and stay with you? It's just a hotel that's so dreadfully expensive here. If, if I could just uh, bunk with you for a bit, uh, that'd be um, most wonderful and uh, save me a bit of, a bit of bread. So, <laughs> that's, so Joshua Tyler did this, and then shortly after that, the, 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 the visit from Joshua Tyler was on uh, March 22nd to 24th, and there were many times when Polk was not there where Tyler could have tampered with his computer and definitely had the skills to do so. And then uh, right after that is when Forbidden 536 started crushing Polk. So I, I think we know what happened. Well, guess who introduced Joshua Tyler to Doug Polk? That would be Dan Jungleman Cates. Isn't that interesting? Dan Jungleman Cates introduces a guy to Polk who then comes to stay with him and installs some kind of monitor on his computer so they can see all of his whole cards. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a coincidence? Now, what do you think? You think that's a coincidence? You think Jungleman, who had done this with Jira, with the multi-accounting and with his whole scheme, and, and now is guilty of, of this whole thing against... Uh, Bill Perkins and Dan Bilzerian, whoever else. Do you think that this was just an innocent coincidence that he happened to introduce Doug Polk to this bad guy, Joshua Tyler, who then installed this uh, Trojan program on his computer to see his whole cards? You think that's a coincidence? You think, you think that uh, Jungle Man was just blindsided by this? And Oh my God, I never knew. I never knew that Josh was this way. I'm so sorry, Doug. I'm as shocked as you are. I, do you think that's true, or do you think he knew? Do you think maybe they could have even had an agreement? I'm sure this was premeditated, at the very least, on Joshua Tyler's part, that he wasn't just interested in being Polk's friend so he could get a free place to stay in Las Vegas or, or because he thought Polk was cool. Clearly, this was premeditated, that he knew Polk was a high-stakes online player and that uh, he could be tricked into trusting Tyler and getting access to his computer and then uh, putting the Trojan on there and start crushing Polk online. So that happened in 2013, and it was never a huge story. In fact, it was such a little story that I didn't even know about it until uh, right now, or until this week. So now you may ask, how do I know that the accusation against Jungle Man is accurate? Because uh, so far we're just talking about Dan Bilzerian's claim, but but maybe uh, Bilzerian uh, is saying something inaccurate, or perhaps Bilzerian's even lying. Well... Here's a statement from Jungle Man. Before we get to that, Trader Risk, are you still with us? I am. 
You are. Are you taking? Are you drinking the tea yet? No, I'm good. Oh, you're good. All right, great. Okay, so let's. Uh, I'm going to read this. Then we're going to talk about this. This is what Jungle Man had to say. Here's his, he responded to it. Jungle Man had to. At first, he didn't answer, which is always a bad sign. Like if you didn't do it, like the second you see your name is being mentioned, you're like, no, 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 that wasn't me. I swear, I swear. Like <laughs> Jungle Man was silent, so you know right away it was him. But finally, he knew he had to give a statement. He said, I'd like to address the allegations posted by Dan Bilzerian in this now-deleted tweet. Bilzerian deleted the tweet. Uh, we're not sure why. He did have up a picture of the Sina Taleb, the fish, and Taleb's phone number. So uh, you can see the tweet on the thread about this in the Scam, Scandals, and Shadiness forum on Poker Fraud Alert. It's a screenshot of it. I blocked out the phone number of Sina Taleb, but other than that, it's, it's as is. But it's not clear why Belisarian uh, deleted the tweet. Maybe Perkins told him to. I don't know. But he deleted it. But anyway, going on. Jungle Man says, I could not do so earlier due to legal advice and financial matters. <laughs> Come on. No, you, d- you didn't respond right away because you knew you were guilty and you were trying to figure out what to say. Maybe you got legal advice. Maybe you did go to somebody and say, well, what should I do? And they said, no, no, just don't admit to this or they can sue you. Maybe that's what it was. But <laughs> legal advice and financial matters. Come on. To be clear, I started playing with Cena. His last name is not Taleb for the record. On May 8th and ultimately played very few sessions, none of which were against Dan Bilzerian as claimed. I played very few hands against Bill Perkins, who sat in a game I understood was rampant with professionals who were ghosting. I thought since many on the site were using pros to play for them, which was clear by the uniquely high level of play, at the time it felt acceptable for me to be playing. Unfortunately, Bill got caught in the crossfire, and I'm very sorry for that. What? Caught the crossfire? What's, what's he talking about? So Basically, what he's saying is, yeah, I'm multi-accounted. Yeah, I used the Cena's account. Yeah, Cena's a fish, and people thought it was him, and it was actually me, and they didn't know they are playing against me. But uh, everybody in the game was pretty much using some account that wasn't there, so I figured, hey, why don't I do it too? That, that, that's such crap. That's such crap. <laughs> and uh, he's caught in the crossfire. What did that mean? No, Bill was a victim here, and that you, he was playing you and thought he was playing a fish. So Jungle Man goes on to say, Well, I don't think it's fair that I've been singled out for something that many were much more guilty of. I accept that as a role model for the poker community, my punishment should be disproportionate compared to a normal player. (laughs) Come on. So now he's a victim. Now he's a victim. I barely did it. And everybody else who is not being named, they did it more than me. But I am the role model, and I will take the hit for this, people, because I am that good of a guy. Me. Jungle Man Cates, the superhero of multi-accounters. I shall take the fall for what mostly everybody else did, and I only did a little bit because I'm such a good guy. What kind of crap is this? He goes on to write, I hold myself to a high standard of ethics. Wait a minute. I hold myself to a high standard of ethics? (laughs) (laughs) And aspire to be... uh, Devoid of in- inequity. <laughs> but I still make mistakes, and I'm sorry for my actions. I will do my best to behave better in the future. I'd also like to give gratitude to my friends and the people that supported me on the Internet and other communications. Your efforts were vital to mitigating the situation, and I appreciate your concern for me. That is, I'd like to thank everybody who didn't rat me out until Dan Bilzerian did it. Special thanks to Nick Shulman, who contacted me to make sure I was okay and started the hashtag Free Jungle Movement. 
we'll, we'll discuss that in a second. If anyone else believes in my integrity and that I should not be lambasted over the internet, I would appreciate any support and will appreciate it especially if I know you. That's a statement. Okay, let's get to the free jungle thing. Uh, this is something stupid Nick Shulman did. Nick Shulman, uh, over the years, really elevated his reputation in poker. Uh, when I first knew him in poker, uh, he was kind of like a, a nice, up-and-coming, uh, good player. Uh, I, I used to talk to him on Stars. We used to joke around. He seemed like a cool kid. I think he was like only 18 at the time. He was uh, um, a lot younger than me, but I, I, I liked him. Then he, once he blew up, once he got to win a lot of money and got better and better and won some tournament, uh, he got very arrogant. It went to his head. He got really arrogant. Uh, I, I remember after he blew up, I, I talked to him on Stars once, and he was really nasty to me, like for no reason. He was just a jerk. And I said, wow, when did Nick Schulman turn into such an asshole? But okay, I don't like him anymore. So that was that. He didn't do anything horrible to me. He was just a dick. I said, okay, that's disappointing. I used to like the kid. So, But he didn't care what I thought. He had blown up huge in poker. He was a much bigger name than me at that point, and that point forward. He still is. So uh, I, I didn't think much of him. Over the years, though, he grew up. I mean, he, he was still young then. So he grew up over the years. Uh, he he went busto at some point. He he got money back. I don't know what his financial state is now, but he uh, he went busto and recovered from it. He revealed in some – there was some stupid poker show which did a profile on him. He revealed that he suffers from depression, which at the time I had remembered – the last memory I had with him was him being a dick to me. So I thought, okay, good. But once I went through depression two years ago, like I, I can kind of feel for him now because that's a tough thing to be dealing with. And there's there's a number of poker players who, who deal with this on a regular basis. I, I fortunately got out of it, but uh, uh, most of the, the ones that have it lifelong since they're teenagers, uh, they're, they're stuck with it. So he revealed he deals with that, which uh, you know, now, now I, I can look at it in a different way. But also he, he grew up over time. So he, he, he got to be uh, nicer and more mature. And uh, I haven't had that much interaction with him since then. But when I have played with him, he's, he's acted pleasant and uh, hasn't been a jerk to me since a long time ago. So I'm not going to hold a grudge about that. But uh, anyway, in that time, he also made a name for himself as a poker broadcaster. And not the type of broadcaster I am, but a poker color commentator on WSOP final table streams. And uh, he's done a great job. People love his commentary. People, like he does commentary in a way which uh, is from the point of view of someone who thinks of poker at a high level. It's a lot more advanced than what you see from someone like Lon McCarron. This is someone like a very good poker mind analyzing every hand, what all the players are thinking. And and, uh, you really learn a lot by listening to him. And yet he's clear enough when he does it to where it's uh, something a, an amateur can also follow. Someone who knows nothing about poker can't follow it, but he doesn't just speak in all these uh, advanced terms that you have to be a poker expert to understand. You, you can be a, a poker recreational player and get a lot out of what uh, Nick Schulman says. So people loved him as a color commentator. Uh, th- there is nothing but love for his color commentating. In fact, uh, uh, when they wouldn't have him on, uh, there would be a lot of protest and anger and people, they just always demanded we want Nick Schulman to commentate everyone wants Nick Schulman to commentate uh, far and away he was considered the best uh, poker color commentator by the way, I thought I did a pretty good job at the 2009 uh, Limit Hold'em 10k event 
just as an aside. And, and others thought I did a good job. I remember Death Donkey told me I did a good job. That was a high praise coming from him because he's a, he's a very good player. Uh, Chris Vitch is his name. And, and he, we're, no, we're not friends or anything, okay? but he, he told me he liked my commentary. But anyway, uh, Nick Shulman... Was that the Joy Miller one? Or you never yes, that, that, yes, that, that, that was the Joy Miller incident, yes, where I ended up commentating. So at least at least at the end of the whole thing, Death Donkey liked what I did. So uh, anyway, back to Nick Shulman. Um, everyone thought very good things about him coming into this. People thought Nick Shulman is an excellent color commentator, seems like a smart guy. His tweets are usually very reasonable and not that controversial. Uh, sometimes he told stories about the degenerate high-stakes world, including some funny stories about him and some stuff he went through. And uh, he, he, and he, he lost his arrogance, too. He, he had this arrogance when he was younger, which kind of went away as he got older. So he, he seemed a lot more down-to-earth and accessible. Uh, he was really doing everything right until this. So Nick Shulman, who must have a personal friendship with uh, Jungle Man, started this... Free Jungle Man movement, which is basically a free jungle hashtag, which is basically saying, don't be too hard on the guy. He didn't do that much. This is pretty common. It was going on big time in the game. Don't you know, don't judge him on this. Let, let's let's get past it. That was basically what free jungle meant. And, and Nick just would not back down about this, even when people were saying this is crappy. Uh, the uh, Jungle Man was cheating. How can he do this? This is really shitty. You know, this really hurts his rep. Nick Shulman just refusing to listen to reason. He's he's just defending him, defending him, defending him. Now, do I expect Nick Shulman to bash his good friend Jungle Man? No. I, I could say yes, but I, I don't think so. And if I were in Nick Shulman's shoes, I would have a hard time relentlessly bashing a good friend of mine, even if I felt he did something very wrong. It's just hard to do. You can say, oh, yeah, I do it. But uh, when it's actually involving your good friend, it's going to be hard for you to do. This is true for uh, just about every human being who has any kind of like, loyalty and uh, emotional attachment to their close friends. So, uh, so I can understand that. And I've always said when it comes to close friends who screw up, if you don't want to bash them, that's fine. You don't have to. But stay out of it then. Don't, don't defend them. If you know they're wrong, just say nothing. Completely stay out of it. That's fine, too. You're just not going to say anything either way. I, You can even say, I, uh, this is someone who's a close friend of mine. Uh, it's hard for me to, to comment on this fairly. I'm just going to stay out of it. And if people don't like it, too bad. That's a reasonable thing to say. To just back them and say free jungle is, is a bad look. And that, so, so Nick Shulman, for the first time in a very long time, is taking a lot of heat over this. I don't think it's going to ruin his reputation, but there's a lot of people who, who are angry at him over this because... Uh, basically Jungle Man admitted, yeah, I did it. <laughs> I did it, but I didn't do it that much. It only involved a few hands, and uh, um, a lot of people did it, and a lot more than me, but I'm not naming them, so I'll just take the fall for something I barely did, which is an obnoxious statement. It's an obnoxious statement. It's not like he's going to say, okay, let's, let's out all the cheaters. Uh, I did it only a little bit. Here's the ones you need to really out, watch out for. Okay, at least we get some benefit out of that. Here, it's probably not even true. It's probably not even true that he was one of the minor ones. I think that's just uh, what he's claiming. And I think since he already admitted to it, he has to claim the best version of it, which is, well, I did it, but I barely did it, and everyone was doing it, and I probably shouldn't have, but I, I did it just because I thought it was it was kind of deemed okay there, and even when I did it, it was a tiny bit. So leave me alone. 
and and thanks to everybody who supported me and I really appreciate that and if you if you know me and support me I'm really going to be happy with you and that's that's so manipulative also because he's basically saying uh, like I'm a big name in poker if you want me to think highly of you and I know you in any way uh, back me here and and uh, later on you know I'll back you in some way. Uh, he, he doesn't state what he's going to do for you, but I'll really appreciate it. So that's uh, – it's just very, very crappy. And anyone who's letting Jungleman off for this, it's uh, – you shouldn't. I don't trust the guy. I never trusted the guy. Ever since the Jira thing, I never trusted him. And just in case you thought maybe he was a Justin Bonomo who grew up and, and doesn't cheat anymore, he's not. <laughs> we just learned that. I, it's not like I thought all these well, years... Well, when they said it to him, did they lay it all out, all the incidents like you did, or were they just talking about this one, and that's when they got... No, no, that's, the, that's the other thing. That nobody would listen. No, nobody would listen about the other incidents. It was just, everyone's too focused on this one. And even though people clearly stated so, they were just kind of ignored. Like, even Vanessa Selps was ignored, which probably because Vanessa Selps always complains about everything, and it's not justified most of the stuff she complains about. Like, like Vanessa Selps complained about uh, people being mean to her about the hand she busted out from the main event uh, in 2018 when she uh, tilted off her chips. So, uh, so probably she's kind of like the 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 girl who cried wolf. So I, I guess I can understand why they're not taking her seriously. But like others were saying it, and and I said it, and and everybody who said it was kind of ignored. Yeah, we got some likes and some responses, but for the most part, everyone was focusing on this and. Uh, even the people who were criticizing Jungle Man were more saying, well, sorry, this, this apology is not sufficient, and uh, we're very disappointed in you, and yes, this is a big deal. Not so much of like, no, this is the third time you've been caught in something shady, or at least at the very least the second time. If you want to say the Doug Polk thing is inconclusive, fine, but given his history and now present, I would say that uh, if I had to bet, was, would, was Jungle Man in cahoots with that guy who put the Trojan on Doug Polk's computer? Yes. I would bet big time. I would bet a good odds on that one. Good odds meaning uh, I bet on a favorite odds in that one. Someone said, said okay, this is going to be revealed. God himself is going to come and reveal to you the truth. Uh, reveal to both of us the truth. Um, I have no more knowledge than you. Uh, the bet is minus 300. And if I knew for sure the person didn't have n- more knowledge than me and the bet was minus 300 uh, on Jungle Man having knowledge of this at the time when he introduced the guy to Polk, I would take that side. I wouldn't take the plus 300 side. I'd take the minus 300 side. That's like, so I'm not 100% sure, but this looks very bad. And and just seeing everything, I, I have to think that uh, it's more likely. What, what about you, Trader Risk? you think it's more likely that uh, this was a setup? Well, and I have a question for you, Drop. Do you think the guy, well, yeah, I guess there's no way it wasn't planned. Like, the guy didn't just happen to stay with Hulk. I was didn't... friendly with him. Then put something on his computer and went back to Jungle Man and said, Hey, by the way, you know, do you want access? Yeah, and keep in mind, it was I don't think it was ever identified who that account was at Forbidden 536. So, uh, so it was probably just it, it was probably some random account they knew about of someone who was a fish, and they talked him into selling or renting his account. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, the whole thing it was too uh, coincidental. Like, yeah, you could say maybe it was something else, and this Joshua Tyler was innocent, but I don't think so. Like, it was all timed too well, and he just seemed too interested in being friends with Doug Polk all of a sudden. 
And then right after he leaves there, this thing starts. So it was very, very, very suspicious, uh, almost certain that he was the one involved in cheating Polk. And the jungle man set the whole thing up and maybe take a piece of this. I would say uh, much more likely yes than no, but we don't have any proof. But uh, very suspicious, especially given that uh, it seems like jungle, jungle man likes to multi-account to cheat people. That seems like that's his M.O., is, is uh, multi-accounting and ripping you off in some way. So that's uh, it fits right in. That's I, I really. And he don't. makes money playing, right? Yes. I mean, but he's just a scumbag. That's, he just looks like a shady character. I mean, I've really met him or anything. I get, I, I get that vibe from him too. Like, I, I don't even understand why people like him so much. In fact, I confronted him about the Jira stuff. I think it was in 2013, 2012 or 13. I confronted him about the Jira stuff on Two Plus Two, and and he told me that. Uh, uh, he doesn't appreciate the way I'm talking to him, and next time he sees me at the World Series, he's going to punch me. I remember that. And I was like, okay, that's stupid. I, I, I wasn't scared of this, by the way. I just I laughed at it. I said, come on, this is so stupid to say that. Like I, I said something like that. I, I didn't take the position like, okay, man, let's go. Next time we see each other, let's go outside and fight. I just I said, come on, this is so stupid. You're not like, like I just laughed at that response. But uh, yeah, I always thought the guy was shady. Ever since that thing happened, and uh, and then since nothing had happened in a long time, I had, it's not like I thought I trust him now, but I did think it's possible he grew up as some of those young pros do, and aren't the same as they were before. But there was always that element where I thought he wasn't trustworthy, and this proved it. So that's that's pretty uh, pretty bad. So no thanks to Perkins though; he wasn't going to out it. And uh, so I, I, before I finish this segment, uh, I would have loved to have Perkins on here. I offered Perkins to come on here when this first broke, and he didn't respond to me. And I don't really know him. But uh, he ended up going on a podcast, and it's, it's a podcast that always scoops me. That, that damn Adam Schwartz scooped me again and got him on the Dat Poker Podcast. Dat Poker Podcast is basically the reconstructed 2 plus 2 poker cast plus Daniel Negreanu, and it takes place outside of 2 plus 2. It has nothing to do with 2 plus 2 anymore. They do a good job with it. I've said this before. Um, Adam Schwartz listens to this show, which I appreciate. Adam Schwartz has promoted this show both on the 2 plus 2 poker cast, much to Mason's chagrin, and uh, and also on uh, Dad Poker Podcast he has pro- uh, promoted them. And uh, at least I got to return the favor. I've had some people say that they found Dad Poker Podcast uh, through this show. They thought that just T- uh, that Adam and Terrence had just gone away and weren't doing podcasts anymore. And I've mentioned now a number of times that, yes, they have a podcast now along with Negranu uh, called Dat Poker Podcast. So you can find this on various platforms. Just search for whatever podcasting platform you listen to. Now, this is actually a video interview that they do. You can see this on YouTube. If you go on YouTube and search for guest Bill Perkins on the Jungle Man High Stakes, uh, whatever, it's, uh, uh, that's all I can see of the title right here. But it's an episode number 75. You'll find it pretty easily on YouTube. And you can actually watch Perkins talking to them. And you get to see Adam Schwartz. You get to see Negranu. I'm glad I don't have to do this because I don't like being on camera when I'm doing these interviews. Now, I guess it's easier with a shorter show. Their shows are usually kind of like an hour and a half type length. But uh, my show is much longer than that, sometimes five or more times that length. I would hate to have to worry about looking presentable on camera for all that time. Like, like I couldn't imagine going all that time without picking my nose or making a weird face that people can make memes out of, like, or, or uh, just 
I don't want to have to be concerned about how I look on there. That's why I like this format. One of many reasons I like this audio-only format. Not only that, but, you know, I kind of have this image of myself that I still am the same guy as when I was 30 years old. Like when I kind of picture my own face, I picture more of my 30-year-old face, and then I look in the mirror and go, oh, crap, I'm not – I don't look like that anymore. Oops, I didn't realize that. So <laughs> – and then I forget again, and I, I kind of, again, picture myself as like my 30-year-old self. Uh, but but seeing yourself on the camera, then you – and, and that's, a lot of times the camera makes you look even worse, and I, I go, oh, I look so old. And so on this thing, it seems like I never age. My My voice has been the same all eight years. It's been the same going back to the late 80s. I, my voice can keep me at the same age for a very long time. So that's the other thing. I can just be ageless on this on this show. And always be the same person I wish I could be. So I'm going to play this uh, podcast. You're only going to hear the audio, but I'm going to hear. I'm going to play this uh, beginning of this uh, Perkins interview, and uh, we'll go as long as uh, either I feel it's uh, relevant to talk about, or until I'm afraid that there's going to be a, a lawsuit served to me for uh, copyright infringement. P22. Bill, welcome to the Dat Poker Podcast, sir. Hi. Hey, so uh, we're good. We had to bring you on this week to find out who your pick is for the NHL Stanley Cup that's going to be recurring. That's that's the big story of the week. I'm going with whoever Daniel picks. That's just a <laughs> By the way, that's Adam Schwartz talking. I can see Adam Schwartz right here. I, I met Adam Schwartz. I know what he looks like. But in case you wonder what he looks like, you can see him right here. You can see all the all the people on this podcast in their current form. <laughs> That's it. Uh, again, yeah, thanks so much. We've had uh, some time, Bill, to kind of kick it around a little bit. And, and I know you don't want to get too specific about, you know, people or situations. And right. well, I don't want to tread on, you know, wh- what you're comfortable with and what you're not. So if there's something that comes up and you're not comfortable, hey, just, just throw it out that you don't really want to go there. That's awesome. No problem. So uh, going back to your original tweet, um, when you talked about, um, you know, obviously it's it was probably – pretty raw in the moment. This was a friend, uh, it seems like, from what's been reported that um, you trusted and, and maybe took advantage of you at this point. Um, you, you tweeted, cheating scandal and poker going on would make uh, the Mike Postle scandal look like a church service. And I know you backed off that and people kind of went after you and said, wait a second. Um, but yeah. I think you, were, you meant more in, in a monetary sense. Yeah, I think it was more monetary sense. And I, and I was still like, there were all sorts of, accu- you know, there were things that were confirmed and there were accusations going on that were like, wow, there's more to this. You know what I mean? I had this idea of this like recruiting operation and multiple pros. And this is the tip of the iceberg type of thing going on. And so, I, you know, I think there was a lot of just shock. You know, it's like kind of like at, at the end of the Scooby-Doo show where you pull the hat off and like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Was- like I had, I had that shock going on, you know, and I was just like, oh, wow. It, it kind of hurt, you know, I was actually hurt. Um, uh, and then, you know, I had these, you know, trying to process the information and, and, you know, I was also pissed at the time. So I think my, definitely my tweet was excessive in terms of like trying to relative scale. Uh, yeah, let me stop it right there. I agree. Uh, I think that probably is what happened. I don't think Perkins was trying to be evil here. Uh, someone posted need for attention a lot. And I think that's kind of true. He did kind of want attention here, but he did do this out of anger and out of shock because Perkins is a recreational player. He is someone with a lot of money who just likes being part of the poker world, likes being part of the high stakes poker world, and had thought he was playing with a bunch of 
very good pros who are probably better than him, but at least these people have integrity and aren't going to screw him. And for him to discover that is what was going on, at least with Jungle Man and maybe more people, that got him very upset and he kind of flipped out. So he, he wasn't quite himself and, and, and said some stupid things like about the possible things. I, I believe him. Um, and, you know, I'll concede that point. You know. But wait, it, it sounds like from what you're saying then, like when you sent out the tweet, you actually thought it was much worse than you ended up finding out it was or? Yeah, I, I, I do like there, there's there's definitely still allegations of other people and other pros and recruiting. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of, well, I don't want to say or, you know what I mean? Like that, that type of thing going on. Right. Like other pros got asked to play. And I'm like, well, who asked you? You know what I mean? Or. You know, who, who, who did this or what other pro was playing, you know, cause they're saying other pros and they're like, oh, we don't want to say, you know, everybody's clamming up, right? And so this, at the time, my head was swirling of like, wow, there's this ring going on, you know, which may or may not be going on. I, I, I don't know that. And all this information, it just seemed like it was going to explode. And I was still, I, you know, I said, hard to wrap my head around, still, you know, ongoing, like trying to get to the bottom of this, right? And so, I still haven't gotten to the bottom of this and I've kind of like given up on that aspect of it. Um, but you know, that, that's kind of that raw, you know, I got an itchy tweet finger. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not the first one that like, you know, it's like, I use my Twitter for my news. You know, I have all these like organizations I follow, whatever. And then, you know, it's like, Oh, there it is. And I'm feeling this way. Let me tweet. And it's like, you idiot. Why'd you do that? So, <laughs> Bill, can you take us back to the beginning? If you, again, if you're not comfortable talking about stuff, how how was this game presented to you? How was it proposed to you? Uh, talk about how you started playing in the game, maybe. So it's a it's a private game um, of businessmen, right? And the app is it's invite, it's password protected. Okay, so you can't just show up and sit down and play, right? With chips, you have to be inv- invited to the club. Then it's also password protected. It's no pros only businessmen or recreational players, right? And um, there's also the app gives permission to your camera so that it sees that it's you playing, right? Right? And so this, so so it's like, oh, yeah, it's authentically you, right? And the, those, the other players can see an image of you while you're playing? Yes. It's, okay. It typically takes pictures. But the, uh, the, the, the club can actually have a much even wider view of your thing if they suspect something's going on, right? And so there's this security features that are built in to, you know, thwart that or not encourage that, et cetera, to make people authentic. You know, when you're playing with people that... Let me stop this right here. That's not true. Uh, I don't know this particular app, but all these type of clubs online... In fact, I just discussed this uh, today on Poker Fraud Alert uh, related to the Poker Bros one of the weaknesses of these clubs is it's not a poker site that has oversight for cheating. So, so there's really no investigations of any kind that people are cheating. Every club kind of has to investigate for itself. They don't have very much power to do so. They don't like to do so. So there's a lot of collusion and multi-accounting and all types of stuff like that on these apps. That's why it's not surprising this happened. That's why when he said it was an app, people kind of laughed at him going, come on, you're, you're trusting all this money over an app. And uh, that's one of the big problems. So uh, the, the thing with the camera, that's interesting, and I hadn't known that before, but uh, obviously there's a way around that, and there, there are ways around it. You can, it can be the person sitting there, but they could be ghosted by uh, someone giving them advice on how to play. But as far as these other security features he's talking about, I don't believe it. I, I believe he thinks it, but I don't believe that's what's really going on. Are, um, let's say, just set, right? There's no, there should be no reason for them 
to steal in life, given where they're at. Um, and, you know, it'd be completely scummy, but the, the app has that, right? For each, every club, no matter what club, even if it's a two, five game, et cetera, it has that aspect of it. So that was, that's the other th- wrong assumption he's making here. And that was an assumption that was made a long time ago about the poker sites. They're making so much money. They wouldn't steal from us or cheat us. Uh, wrong. <laughs> Wrong over and over and over again. Even the ones that are making a lot of money ended up stealing from us and cheating us, like UB and Full Tilt, right? So you cannot say, this person has a lot of money, they probably won't cheat me. Yes, they very well might. Some people just like cheating. Some people like getting free money or like uh, outsmarting the system. Even that involves cheating and being a scumbag. That's uh, Some do it even if they don't need it. In fact, uh, there's even been known to be uh, shoplifters and, and uh, kleptomaniacs who just uh, steal despite that they have absolutely no need for anything they steal and they can easily afford what they're stealing. There's just some people with a compulsion to do that and you have to always watch out for that and not to say, oh, they don't need the money. Now, yeah, is it safer to play poker? Is it safer to trust someone in poker that uh, doesn't need the money? Yes, because someone who is broke that wants to stay in action is of most in danger to screw you. But that doesn't mean that somebody who has money is not going to cheat you. They also might. So you always have to be vigilant and always be careful. It's clearly the expectation and the rules set forth by the club and um, and, and the game. And so, you know, that I got recruited. I got asked to say, hey, this is a juicy game. It's, a, it's big stakes and action. You know, come play in in this club. You know, it's this person you know, this person you know, you kind of know this person and that person and whatever. Okay, that's this already sounds like a big setup. This sounds like that they were recruited to play in a game which is supposed to be a bunch of rich recreational players. A, a dream scenario, a, a, a Toby Maguire scenario where you're the only decent or good player and everyone else is rich and terrible. Like who who wouldn't like to be in that game, especially if you're like Perkins and have the bankroll to withstand the swings? That's a a dream scenario to have the bankroll and be way better than everybody else in the game, and and pros aren't there competing with you. So it sounds like they are recruited to join this dream game, and in reality, the quote fish they're sitting with are actually pros like Jungle Man, who are much better than they are. Very nasty. So would would you have played in this game, do you think, if um, it didn't have the protection from quote-unquote pros or whatever, like you wanted to, you know, play in a casual game, right? I mean, I, I, I would play with pros, but not at the stakes we were playing, right? Like, I, I'll, I'll sit down, you know, I don't want to play a new format, five, you know, 500, 1,000, 1,000 any game with Super Wizards, right? Like, I'm just not... It's like, you know what I mean? I don't want to sit next to a bunch of super wizards and play short, four-handed, five-handed, you know, where, where you know, you've you got this huge stack, right? Like, I'm just not that good yet, right? And so, you know, but I, I'm known to chop it up on other sites at 200, 400. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not completely afraid, but it's, it's, it's an expectation thing, right? Expectations versus reality, right? It's like, you, you don't want to be deceived. You don't want to be frauded. And you don't want to be targeted, Right. Like, if, if I sit down and we're, we're you know... You- and that's just what I said before he even said it. And by the way, we're watching this at the same time. I meant to watch this before the show, but uh, I didn't have time. I was notified about this, uh, like, yesterday, the day before, and I just didn't have time to watch this. So we're we're doing this together, which is good because it's my authentic first uh, impressions that you're hearing. But... Uh, 
I said what he's basically saying now. The the only part he's saying that I don't really believe is he's going, oh, I I, I don't want to uh, sit with at high stakes with with all the wizards. He actually does, and that's to his credit. He actually does play games that he probably knows that he's an underdog in because he can afford it and enjoys playing them. But when he gets to the second part is what he really means, is that I might have sat in this, but I wanted to know I was sitting in a game with really tough players, not think I'm sitting in a great game where I am the big favorite, and I am way better than all the fish, and in reality I'm not, and I'm being tricked, and it really pisses me off. And that's understandable. You want to fight or listen battle it up, and, and you know, I'm battling versus Daniel. I know, I know what I'm against. I get it. I, if I lose, I'm fine. I'm totally okay, right? Well, I got a question, because the way you described it, the software sounds pretty solid, right? Where you can see who the person is, right? So clearly the discussion is that, you know, there was somebody else. How did they do that? Like, you, couldn't you just see who it was? Like, what was the process for how they were doing that? So it's, it's basically, the, the, you know, they have switches that they can switch on and off so that Android or, or Windows machine can use it or, or uh, iPad only, Apple iOS only. In this particular room, it allowed Android and you know Android and Microsoft uh, products, right? So you can play it on your tablet. The the issue with that is is that you can then use Team Viewer to have somebody remotely control your computer. So your pictures up, blah blah blah, etc. And occasionally, like you know, if I'm playing in my bed, you know, this is what my picture looks like, right? And occasionally, I'll pop up too. So that that aspect goes on goes goes on as well. So, but. Um, in this particular stance, it was team viewer. Wow. So some, so this was like a real effort. This wasn't just like a, like, you know, I'm a, I'm a player account today because, you know, I owe you a favor. It, this is like one, they're setting up team viewer and, and the, the businessman, the, the alleged businessman is sitting in front of his machines with his face on the camera while a professional poker player is remote remote going into his computer to click the commands for him. So if you wanted to chat with him or whatever, you would still think that you're talking to the businessman. That's so Terrence Chan, by the way, who's talking. Yeah, that's my understanding, you know, of, of, the, of the stuff I've seen. Um, it looks like it was done by TeamViewer um, and what was going on, right? Yeah, so, okay, you, you get the picture of what was happening here. I mean, that's that's really nasty. And Terrence is right, what he just said there, that this was this was something that was premeditated. I think the whole thing was premeditated. I, I think the whole thing was premeditated, and uh, they set him up. And this wasn't just one or two hands. This He was set up, and uh, these fish he was playing against were all being team-viewed. That they were, it was just on their computer, but in reality it was top pros playing in the game. This This was the way to reel in people like him. This was the way to reel in people who thought they were the best player in the game, and it turned out they're the worst player in the game. Really nasty. I understand why he's so pissed. It's not a bigger scandal than Puzzle. I, I still stick by that. I think everybody sticks by that. Even he admits this now. And for to say, oh, it's, it's more money than Puzzle, that's, that's a dumb way to put it. He should just say, I was emotional. I said it. To me, it was bigger because it involved me. And then now, upon thinking about it, that was kind of ridiculous to say. He should just say that. But I see why he's mad. I see why... He thinks this is really crappy and it's really nasty. Let's let's move up a little bit here. And, and you know, like one of the things like amateurs won't do is, is they don't fold the three bets. They don't four bet enough. You know, certain things like that. And you're seeing some plays. I'm like, whoa, that is not that is not the guy I know. You know what I mean? That is not a businessman or like what, what's going on. And it's specifically um, with Cena, you know, the story that was told to me is like he couldn't even tell you what the hand rankings were, you know. 
Oh, wow. So so the Sina Taleb, whose last name, I guess, isn't Taleb, but Bolzerian said it was, that Bolzerian, or not Bolzerian, that Perkins was told the Sina guy is so bad, he barely even knows how poker works. He just has a lot of money. He's a businessman, really rich, and he can probably barely tell you if a flush beats a full house. That's uh, you have to remind him of this. And I've occasionally played with players like this, even at, at uh, kind of middle higher stakes. Uh, one of the worst players I played against was at, at one fifty three hundred at the Bellagio. This is limit, of course, but one fifty three hundred limit hold'em in the Bellagio. I think this is like an 07 or oh six or something like that. Uh, the guy. He, I played it. It was a twenty-four hour session. I played. I was going to play it till he left. He didn't under, understand counterfeiting, so he would have a six, and the board would be like a six queen queen, and he thought he was beating a king, and he'd keep raising you. And he'd, you'd give up and think, okay, he has me beat. I've got an ace good kicker. He's got a queen. And he'd go up two pair. I go and I go. No, no, no. Mine's better. And he goes. Oh, I forgot about that. Like that was. He wasn't kidding. Like the, that was how big of a fish that guy was. I go. I am not leaving until. Uh, Either he leaves or until I physically cannot continue to play poker. So it lasted 24 hours. So that's, that's the type of player he thought he was facing there, and he's saying that he's the, the player wasn't playing like that at all. It was someone who uh, would, would would three bet and then fold to a four bet and would uh, uh, like would put pressure on you, but if you put pressure back would fold and, and seem to be putting pressure in the right spots and know good, good bluffing spots and know about ranges. And he's like, crap, this, is, this isn't the guy who barely knows what, what he's doing. This is the guy who's putting in uh, thought and correct thought into his moves. And that's pretty easy to see after a short time that it's not just a fish lucking into doing the right thing. Like I've played big fish before who happen to do a move that's really good. And it's just because it's almost like dumb luck. They just, they, they try a lot of really stupid moves. And then one of their moves that they don't really understand why they're doing it happens to be very smart, but they're not doing it because they're smart. They're doing it because the, the move happens to be really correct. And they just are doing it for reasons they don't understand. But, but you, you, you're there with someone enough time and you go, wait a minute. Now, like everything they're doing seems to be pretty smart and calculated. And this is not someone who barely knows how the play works. Wow. Right. Like he's like the worst. And then like now, you know, there's three bet, four bet, five bet fold. I'm like, pros only fold. You know what I mean? Like pros fold the five bet jams, not, not amateurs, right? They're just like, Oh, well, I'm in, you know, they're not, you know, there, there, there's, there were some advanced plays and stuff going on. So, you know, I was, I was like, okay, you know, this is, this, this could be real or the guy could just got good or whatever. And, you know, it, it just, it just like after like a day or two before, you know, everything broke, I was like, you know, I got invited to play. I said, you know what? I'm not playing anymore. I just don't. Bill, were you suspicious of just this one player that was doing that? Or did you notice this trend like in a few spots? I, I, I noticed the trend in a few spots, like, you know, you know, pros like to like do funky stuff for low stakes or whatever, like, Oh, seven K whatever. Yeah. I had uh, you know, nine, five off or whatever, but then when the stakes are, re- you know, so then you have this range construction, right? Like amateurs are not doing range construction, but intuitively you have this ring construction in your head of like, Oh, this guy's wild. He can have anything, you know what I mean? But when the real money gets in the pot, right. It's like they got it, right? Like they get, they got you, right? And so they stack you in situation. And I saw some things like that, which made me suspicious of other players. And and you know, once 
you know, once you're in the streets and you were like, these streets don't feel like businessman streets, right? Like, you've played high stakes poker against geniuses and yeah. stuff. So, you know, like when you're sitting there in that million dollar buy and like what it feels like, cause you actually got segregated businessman to pro. So like the feel is just very different. Right. And you could yeah. sense that. Right. And so then, and so then the, um, the 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 rumblings and the schoolgirl chatter of you know this is going on it's like nah nah this is this is true right and then it you know and then um like i think the the day of uh or actually it was like that night i found that night you know woke up you know sent a message and said you know i'm very disappointed in you and and was just just kind of yeah. And, and that's when the tweet went out, right? Like, I'm like, who else is blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? That's, that's when, you know, I went, you know, I went Donald J. Trump on Twitter. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's totally understandable. Um, the way- okay. So if you want to hear the rest, you can go to the, I'm going to re- watch the rest myself later. The, uh, episode number 75 of the Dash Poker Podcast, DAT Poker Podcast. You, you get the gist of what's going on here. And, uh, interesting interview, though. And uh, you can tell he was set up. I mean, this this wasn't just one day or one hand or one player. This sounds like the whole game was set up to reel these people in and trick them. Really nasty. And this this is why you can't free Jungle Man and think, okay, it's fine. Or I the only thing I think Jungle Man might be telling the truth about is that it was other people too. There there probably were others involved that were big pros that he's just not revealing. And who knows how long they've been doing this? Who knows who else they've done it to? Maybe this is the first time, and maybe it wasn't. But it's always a scheme with Jungle Man. You notice that? Like, there, there was a Jira thing. There is possibly this thing with this Joshua Tyler in, involving Doug Polk. And then there's this. There's always kind of like the reeling everyone in to believe one thing, and then it's actually another. All three of these have that in common. If you look at the first one with Jiro, you're supposed to believe that Jiro is this uh, young poker prodigy who's who's rapidly up and coming. And it was really Jungle Man and, and Doggy's Head. If you look at uh, the next year, the thing with Doug Polk, uh, he, he's supposed to believe that this Joshua Tyler is, is just a guy who he met through Jungle Man, who's cool and wants to be friends with him and comes and stays at his house. In reality, it was a scheme to get uh, a Trojan on his computer and, and crush him. And, and now it's, it's uh, Perkins thinks he's joining a game with a bunch of Really, really bad, clueless businessmen, and in reality, there's uh, pros ghosting these businessmen that uh, he's not really playing any businessmen at all. It, it's always some kind of multi-accounting related scheme. It's not even just like traditional multi-accounting where someone's just on a different account. This goes further than that. He was invited to the game. Like, let's compare this to the Hastings situation. The Brian Hastings situation, if you remember, was that uh, on Poker Stars. There was uh, a fish, I forgot the fish's screen name, but there was a known fish who had lost a lot of money on there and everybody knew wasn't very good, who was playing uh, high-stakes mixed games. And then uh, Hastings got to be friends with him and took over his account and started crushing people. And uh, when that came out, Hastings faced a lot of criticism over this because, for obvious reasons. that he, Everyone thought they were playing the fish there. In reality, they are playing a very good player. So uh, at least there, the players were al- were already there. It was it was other pros who were already there that just thought they were playing a fish and were trying to adjust to a fish's style instead of a good pro style. But they weren't lured to the game. They were already in the game. They were already regulars in that game. Here he was actually told, "Hey, join this app 
and play this game for high stakes and it has these great security features. It's even got a camera so you can see who you're playing with. The whole thing was to give you the illusion of security. So it's it's worse than just multi-accounting. It was multi-accounting with the where you're invited into the game to to be cheated with the illusion of something that's very secure when it really isn't. That's really really lousy. Still not like a Mike Possel scandal, but really lousy. So you can go listen to the rest of this on a Dat Poker podcast. I played you about ten minutes of it. I understand why he's pissed. I understand why he's not happy about this. Trade Risky, did you hear all that? What did you think about uh, what Bill Perkins had to say? Did, do you agree with me? It was some kind of like real big setup there. Definitely. I mean, who was the pro, like, or the uh, businessman? What did the guy do? I don't know. I don't even know what the guy's backstory is. I know that he had this Sina Taleb in his, uh, when I say he, I'm talking about Dan Bilzerian, had him in his phone. That's what, when he posted his tweet, he posted a picture of his contact from his iPhone with Sina Taleb, a picture of him and his phone number in 702. And then uh, that Ooh. all got deleted. So it's someone that Dan Bilzerian knew well enough to have in his phone with a picture of him. But uh, and, and he's saying that this scumbag cheated me. So he he must have been in on it in some way. Now it's possible Asina Taleb was a fake businessman. It's possible the whole story was fake. That he wasn't really a businessman. He was just some friend of Jungle Man's who posed as a businessman, and that was just the story. I, I don't know anything about him. And apparently his last name, according to Jungle Man, his real name isn't even Taleb. That's uh, I don't know why Bilzerian said that, or maybe Jungle Man's not telling the truth. Whatever it is, the whole thing looks so shady and like such a setup, and it's really too bad. You know, like to Bill yeah. Perkins, they say, okay, here's this rich guy who's willing to play high stakes, and uh, he even will play tough pros. And so instead of just saying, hey, Bill, would you like to play with us? It's like let's let's really get him. Let's let's get him to play a game which he thinks is a great opportunity, and he thinks he's playing against fish. And in reality, we're not fish. And we're going to crush him, and he's going to probably call us down way more often because he thinks he's playing against fish, and we're just going to take tons of money off of him. It's just, it's just so crappy, and I, I, I do feel bad for him there. So it's good that at least uh, we know about this now, and I, I wish the other names that were involved uh, would come out too. I don't think Perkins knows them. I think that he questioned Jungle Man, and Jungle Man's like, please, my reputation, don't say anything, but I'll tell you everything. Okay, tell me everything. Oh, I don't know anything. Sorry. <laughs> so that's that's the way it was left, as far as I know, and, and that's too bad. So okay, I, I want to I mean, kind. Of, is it sorry, Jeff? It's kind of like what they were did did to what's his name, um, the Cirque du Soleil guy, right? I, Maybe not as bad, but well, now that's what he claimed. See, I'm not sure if I believe that story. It's possible, especially with this happening now. It's, it's, I can kind of maybe look at that at uh, Gila Liberté's claims. Gila Liberté claimed that they cheated him on Phil Tilt by uh, uh, colluding against him, basically. That they were uh, all sharing cards, that, that the whole thing was that they were cheating him. They weren't just running the game around him, but they were actually cheating him and colluding where it was all of them against him. I think this is just him being kind of in denial over his uh, – or just over the fact that – He's not, he lost badly in those games and is embarrassed that he was the fish. The games ran around him, even if he could afford it, that he lost millions of dollars there to the pros. He thought he could hang with them, and they just killed him there. Uh, and also, I think maybe he thinks there's collusion, and I think I mentioned this recently. I think he believes it's collusion because they would try to stay out of each other's way. 
at that highest stakes. They figured, why play tough hands against each other and, and go f- full speed ahead against each other when we can just uh, kind of play softer against each other? Without directly saying so, just kind of uh, everybody kind of just goes to that kind of the same way you do at a, a tournament where there's that one other big stack at the table and you're just really hesitant to put all the money in against the big stack because you don't want to blow it all in one shot against the only guy who can really hurt you there. So that's that, that can be a matter of strategy rather than collusion. As long as you don't have an agreement with the other people not to do this, it's fine. If you, if everybody just comes to the conclusion, I'm these are high stakes, I'm not going to mix it up with people who I'm kind of afraid of, and I'm going to mix it up with the one fish here, that's the reason I'm here. Um, as long as there's no agreement to do that, it's fine. But uh, So who knows with Gila Liberté. But th- this one, I think it's very clear. All right, uh, I want to talk about the bet online bad beat jackpot situation. We have an update on that. We were going to have the guy on the show, but he couldn't make it tonight. But I'll tell you the update. There's a very big update with that situation that we mentioned last week. There was uh, a bad beat jackpot on bad bet online, which is part of the Chico Poker Network, which is a network of a lot of different sites. It only has two U.S. facing sites, uh, one of which is Bet Online, which is the bigger of the two. And they have a bad beat jackpot. And as usual, uh, the bad beat jackpot ran up a good deal, especially because it has a very tough requirement to hit, which is uh, quad queens or better losing. And both whole cards have to play for both people. So, of course, that's uh, very tough to have occur at a table, but it did occur. And unfortunately, the guy who won the hand that would have gotten a 15% share of the $349,000 bad beat jackpot, which is like 52k, uh, he did not get it and the bad beat jackpot did not hit because he got disconnected right when he made the straight flush on the turn. So a straight flush hit on the turn, it turned out he was up against quad kings and that qualifies for the bad beat jackpot. In both cases, both whole cards were used. It was pocket kings against jack-10 suited. And right when he hit the straight flush, he got disconnected, so he couldn't complete the hand. There was a third player in the hand, so he got auto-folded with the straight flush, and then saw the horrifying situation that by the river that the winner, or actually early in the turn, the river was someone who had quad kings, which means the bad beat jackpot would have hit for sure, and just didn't because... He disconnected on the turn, which he said he's sure was the bet online software. And so he posted a thread on 2 plus 2 last week stating that this is going on and he's pretty sure he's going to get screwed. And uh, I felt that on 2 plus 2, while people agreed with him, there were too many people saying, well, you haven't been screwed yet. This just happened right now. Why don't you wait until bet online comments on this before calling them out. I said, no, I I think this is good he's calling them out because the more publicity there is on this, I bet they're going to say no. And the more publicity there is beforehand, maybe they'll make the right decision. Uh, he instead said, okay, let's just close the thread. He agreed to the mods. They actually locked the thread while it was being decided. Well, shock upon shocks, Bet Online decided that he is not going to get the jackpot, which is really, really crappy because... Bet online. Uh, I, I saw how this was going to happen. First of all, bet online doesn't just make the decision. This is a network-wide jackpot, so they can't just unilaterally decide. Okay, we're honoring the jackpot unless they want to take it out of their own pocket. So, if they want the jackpot to actually hit, they have to have the entire network on board. I'm not sure of the structure of the network. If there's a central, uh, some kind of 
central leader of the network that would make this decision. Sometimes there's not. Uh, it, it could it could require the agreement of all the sites involved. Who knows? It was it, right there was a level of complication that I knew was going to work against him. Not that it was fair, just that it was going to be harder for them to say yes. And second, uh, they just didn't feel like it because it's to their benefit to have a bigger bad beat jackpot. Now, yes, yes, it goes to the players. They take 5% of it when it hits. But either way, they're going to get the same 5%, whether it hits earlier or later. It's still going to be the same 5%. It's, it's an extra rake that's taken, and it funds the jackpot, and then they take 5% of it, keep 35% in there, and the remaining uh, 60% gets paid out to a combination of the loser of the hand, like the second place person in the hand, the uh, the winner of the hand, and everybody else at the table, and everybody else at any bad beat jackpot tables on the network. So that's how it works. It's that other sixty percent is split in that way, where the biggest share goes to the second place person, and the second biggest share goes to the winner of the hand. So he was the second biggest share. A typical bad beat jackpot, except the payouts are a little bit different. But anyway. Bet online makes the same thing either way as far as when it hits. But where it's to their advantage to have a big one is that the bigger the bad beat jackpot is, the more people are going to be enticed to play. So if you see a huge bad beat jackpot, you are going to want to play the bad beat jackpot tables more. And you may want to just play more in general in hopes it's going to happen to you. So if they take that money out of the uh, bad beat jackpot, which in this case would be 65% of it, 5% to them and 60% to the players, that cuts it down all the way to about a third of what it was, and it's not nearly as big. So that was the reason, along with the complication with uh, getting everyone on the network to agree, why I knew they were going to say no. And indeed, they said no. And they said what the poker sites love to say. We talked about it last week. Whenever you complain about their software disconnecting you, the excuse always is, no, it was on your end. It's your internet tough luck. I also mentioned last week that if they didn't make a decision on this soon, that the answer is probably definitely going to be no. Because if it hasn't hit again since then, then at least they could rewind the clock, just take 349k out of the existing jackpot, pay that, and then adjust the current jackpot that's been earned since then accordingly. So basically the way it would have been as if they had paid it at that moment. And uh, no one would really get hurt there. The only people who could claim any kind of harm would be the people who claim that they played the new jack- Bad Beat jackpot because they thought it was big and it actually wasn't. But those people, they're not going to be that mad. So really they could give this away with no harm. And in fact, many people would gain from it if they give away the Bad Beat jackpot based upon that. But they decided not to. They told them no. They told them it's not happening. Our, we did an investigation and we see that your uh, your connection was fine, or your, it was, your connection wasn't fine. Our software was fine. Your connection broke. It was your fault. Our terms state that you have to make it all the way to the end of the hand. You did not. You disconnected. You folded. Technically, you were in violation of the bad beat jackpot rules. Therefore, we can't award it to you. If you can't make it to the river, for whatever reason, you didn't win. So that's what they told him. And I knew that's what they were going to tell him. So uh, he was going to come on this show, and he, in fact, texted me and said, yeah, I'd love to come on and, and, and talk about this on here and hopefully really uh, shame them for this. But he went to someone also who's known to advocate for players, and that would be Chicago Joey. So Joey Ingram decided to go to bat for him and really publicize this, whereas before this wasn't that big of a story, 
Uh, Joey Ingram really got people talking about this, and Bet Online realized it, and they realized that this was going to blow up bigger and bigger the more they tried to avoid paying it. The reason this was so egregious is that the guy had already made the straight flush when he got disconnected. Had he not made it yet and just got disconnected on the flop and said he would have called, uh, there I can see where they wouldn't pay him. Because you don't know for sure if the guy is going to call uh, on a paired board, on a king-king-9 board, when he's got jack-10 suited. Yeah, he's got the one out to the straight flush, but everything else he could be drawing dead. In fact, he was. He was drawing dead to that one queen. So uh, with two players in the hand going back and forth, the, the other guy had a, had a pocket nine, so it really was a, a cooler, that hand, a three-way cooler. The It's understandable where that straight flush draw would probably still fold if enough actions put in. So you can't say for sure the person would have called the flop, but he did call the flop, and it was only $11 on the flop. So, so uh, it was a pretty easy call, even at low stakes, and then it hit on the turn. So once the straight flush hits on the turn, two things. Number one, the quads are never folding, because the only way the quads are, the quad kings are losing at a bad beat jackpot table is if it's good to lose, because they're winning the bad beat jackpot. So, and of course, the straight flush... They have the nuts. They would never fold. So there'd be no sensible reason why either he would fold or the kings would ever fold. Not only no sensible reason, it's impossible. No one would ever fold here. Because they already hit. You have quad kings that will only lose to something that would trigger the jackpot. And you have a straight flush, which is the nuts. Neither is ever, ever, ever folding. And they knew it. Whether the disconnect was on his end or through their software... They should just honor it because there's no angle that can be pulled here. The angle you could pull is if you fold a hand and then it turns out you would have hit the bad beat jackpot on a later street, then claim, oh, it was a disconnect or even intentionally disconnect instead of folding. So you can claim that just in case it hits. That would be an angle that people could start pulling. So they have to be careful about paying these claims. But when it actually has hit and they can see in their server logs that it did hit while he was still in the hand. Then there's no shenanigans. Then he's there already. So that's why it should be paid. That's why it's very common sense it should be paid. Uh, Chicago Joey basically put out the same thing, shamed them. And what happened was Bet Online decided to do the right thing. This is an email they sent not just to the winner of the hand who brought up the complaint about this, who goes by Dev Owned, but... Uh, also to everybody else who had to do with this. Because remember, uh, there's others who get paid this besides those two. Dear player, on Friday, May 22nd at 10.44 p.m. Eastern Time, another player was disconnected from a hand that would have triggered the bad beat jackpot. After an in-depth review, it has been determined that the connection was dropped on the player's end and that our software performed correctly and, ex- and as expected and as per the stated terms and conditions of the promotion. <laughs> that's that's all f- not true. That's that's just them saying we're still claiming we were right, but we're being nice anyway. In reality, their software crapped the bed at the worst time. I don't think it was a conspiracy. I don't think it crapped the bed because of the bad beat jackpot hit. I I just think that uh, there was a disconnect. Now, there's a small chance there's a bug in the software that that it tries to register something as soon as it notices a bad beat condition is existing. And that caused some kind of disconnect. It, it is possible that the, it put the software in a different state that then uh, uh, caused some kind of bug to occur. So maybe it wasn't as coincidental as we think. But I don't think there was a conspiracy. I don't think they meant to do it. 
Anyway, whatever it was, whether it was just really bad luck or uh, a problem with the software that was triggered by the fact that a bad beat jackpot was about to happen, whatever it was, I don't believe that it was his internet. He even checked his internet at the time. I believe it really was their software crapping the bed in some way. But they don't want to admit that. Anyway, going on. However, given the extraordinarily rare circumstances of this happening while a qualifying bad beat jackpot winning hand, we have decided to credit the equivalent of the jackpot cash to all qualifying players at the bad beat jackpot tables as it would have been triggered at the time of the hand. Very good. Bad beat jackpot was at $349,046.26 at the time of that hand. That is true. We will pay out the prize pool to all qualifying players as an extraordinary exception and let the current bad beat jackpot continue to grow as if it had not been triggered at all. And the following players have been credited as follows. So that's amazing. Not only are they paying it, they're actually paying it out of their own pockets and not taking money out of the jackpot. Wow. That's a lot better of a resolution than I thought. That means even had it hit, they would have paid, which shocks me. Even had it hit another time, that they still would have paid this one, which is amazing. I, I really give them credit for this. They didn't have to do that. They It would have been very reasonable to subtract it from the existing jackpot. But they didn't. Now, it is possible the network gave them a big fat middle finger. It's very possible the Chico network said to Bet Online, you know what? No. Our answer is no. Too bad. And Bet Online's like, wait, 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 wait. You don't understand. It's going to make us look terrible. No, we don't care. But guys, we, we do other things. We have sports betting. We, we, we do other things here. We really do not want this to sully our good name. Sorry, guys. Terms of service. So, so Bet Online may have just decided on their own to unilaterally pay uh, their players. But uh, I, I don't know. Maybe the whole network got paid. Maybe they didn't. You'd have to ask, you'd have to ask people in other skins. But uh, they, they claim that everybody's being paid at the table, which may not have all been Bet Online players. This is what they said. Here's how the following players have been credited as follows. Bad Beat Jackpot winner Shikana or Shikarina, not uh, S.H. Karina, I guess, or Shikarina, I don't know. 69,809. Winner of the hand, Devon, he's the one who raised the complaint, 52,356. Others at the table, Emperor K, Shara 02, Hip Hop Panda, 14,543. Now, they don't mention the player, the the table share or the other table's share. Maybe they're just not mentioning it, but... uh, I don't know. Now, I guess it's reasonable not to credit the other tables or semi-reasonable. I think they should credit everybody as if it hit. But they're claiming they're paying it out as if it hit, so who knows? The most important is the people at this table. But they went on to say, Please note this will reflect in your main bet online account, not your poker balance. If you wish to play poker with these funds, you need to transfer it to your poker balance from the poker cashier. I guess I guess that they have two different systems, maybe because they're on the Chico network and you have to switch it over. You have to tr- do transfers. They're saying, don't look at your poker account. It's going to be unaffected. It's actually in your main bet online account. That also would imply that bet online is just doing it for their players. All other qualified players that were playing at other bad beat jackpot tables would be credited in the next 12 to 24 hours. Okay, there we got our answer right there. We hope that you will be pleased with our decision. We appreciate you making the smart choice to play a bet online. Should be more like we appreciate that you made the smart choice to make this public and to go to Chicago Joey. We stand behind our commitment to you and the other players in the community to always do our best and ensure a fair and secure environment. Bet online has earned an outstanding reputation over the past 20 plus years that we've been in business. We hope this further proves our track record as being dedicated to putting fairness and our players' best interests first. Enjoy your winnings, the Bet Online Poker Team. 
That's really why they did it, by the way. They calculated the amount of money this might harm their reputation, and it was probably more than this. So they paid it. So once once Chicago Joey publicized it, they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> a lot of people know about this now, and we can either have Chicago Joey putting out what a class act we are, or he can rail about this, about how we screwed that poor guy. So we're kind of stuck. So I understand it. I'm not criticizing them, though. Don't don't think I'm trying to say they did wrong. I, I don't like their original decision, but there may be more to it than you think. Like the network refused and they didn't know what to do. And it is very possible they were going to just screw him until this was made public. But ultimately, they did the right thing and didn't take the money out of the jackpot, which may or may not have been their decision. As I said, maybe the Chico network refused to take the money out of the jackpot and they had to do this on their own, which is kind of seeming is the case to me. Now, is it possible that all the players at the table were bet online players? I guess. Uh, that is a little funny. It says that they're all going to get paid. But it doesn't say everybody in the network is going to get paid and it's going to go in their bet online balance. I really would love to hear if people elsewhere on the Chico network are getting this. Maybe these bet online bad beat tables are only on their site. But that's hard for me to believe since it's through the poker network. It's through the Chico network, and that's why they have two separate balances. Anyway, happy ending there for DevOwned, and congratulations to him. He is a low-stakes player. For him, uh, 52000 is an amount of money that I never, that he probably never thought he'd win at poker. So congratulations to everybody at that table, and I hope you enjoy the money. And that's a positive ending to this story. Okay, so... Uh, I'm going to take a break here. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive story about a main event winner from the 2010s who was accused of a very bad thing. If you listen to the intro, you know what I'm talking about already. But this Poker Pro who won the main event, this story's been out there about him for the past five plus years and nobody would discuss it publicly until very recently and now there is public discussion and no other poker media is covering it even though there's public discussion on twitter about it which seems to have died down no poker media is covering this except poker fraud alert i created a thread on poker fraud alert and i'm going to discuss it on this show and you really want to hear this one. It's a Poker Fraud Alert exclusive. Even though it's been discussed on Twitter, this is the only media I know of that is discussing it. I'm not going to shy away from it. I have known personally for these five years. I haven't covered it because I had no independent confirmation, and I would not want to accuse anyone of something like this without uh, more than what I had five years ago. But now there's enough of it, given the public accusations and other factors to where I feel okay reporting this story. And uh, I believe I'm the only one doing it right now. So stay tuned. That will be when I come back. Now, Trader Ruski, you still going to be here, or are you going to be uh, hitting the pillow for real this time? I think i got to call it trough. But good show. Um, I'll see you next week, and I'll be listening to the rest tomorrow. Okay, thank you, Trader Ruski. I'm glad to have you once again, and uh, you made it pretty late. I know you never make it past the break, but that's okay. You, you made it pretty late this time, and uh, it is almost two in the morning, so it's it's acceptable that you're leaving. 
and uh, we will talk to you next week. Okay, thanks, Jeff, and thanks to Reno for putting the uh, bounty on me. That's right. Who who got it? Who knocked you out? Yeah, McHat McHatton Mc McMacken or something. What was it, McAllen eighteen? Oh, McAllen eighteen. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, was it him? Oh, was it? I don't know. Yeah, it may have been. I, I I've met him in person. I know who that is. Okay, well, thank Thank you. you, uh, Thank you, Trader Risky, and uh, whoever knocked you out will be very happy and can collect the $10. Okay, we will be right back after this message. Okay, now most of you guys know that I'm very picky regarding which sponsors I take. If I don't believe in the product or service being offered, I don't take the ad. And that's why I lose money on the site every month, even though I'm a cheap Jew, and it kills me to send out that money every month knowing that it is not coming back in. But I'm really, really excited about this new Poker Fraud Alert sponsor because I feel he's providing a service to the poker community that they really, really need. Eric Bensamokin is an attorney and a longtime poker player who provides arbitration and mediation for poker and gambling-related disputes. Now, simply put, if someone owes you money or if they think you owe them money, he's a fully impartial third party you can trust to listen, understand, and decide who's right. The reason you can trust him is because Eric is a licensed attorney in the state of California and federally, and he's able to arbitrate and mediate for you no matter where you live. So you don't have to be in California. You can be anywhere, and he can arbitrate or mediate for you. What makes Eric perfect for this is the fact that he's an attorney bound by the rules and ethics of the state bar, and he's also a longtime poker player, so he understands the issues of our community. And at the same time, he's an outsider, and he, he's probably not likely to know anybody connected to your dispute. So you're not going to have to worry that he's friends with a guy that you're disputing with, or even friends of a friend. He's really an outsider to the community who plays poker for fun, but knows the community really well. It's perfect, and he's a licensed attorney. You can't do better than that. This means you will get a completely impartial decision from a qualified attorney who understands everything. And I'll be honest, if I had a poker-related money dispute with someone, Eric is the exact type of arbitrator or mediator that I would be looking for. Take down his email address, eric at eblawfirm.us. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. If you feel you're being scammed or if someone owes you money or if someone's accusing you of owing them money, just send Eric an email. It's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to hurt you. Just send him an email, and he'll tell you what he thinks of the whole situation, and then he can go from there. Eric can perform both arbitration, where he decides who's right, and mediation, where he helps both of you figure out your own agreement. Keep the email address around, even if you don't have a dispute at the moment, because you never know when one will come up, and Eric is exactly the man you need for the job. That's eric at eblawfirm.us. That's attorney Eric Benzamokin, eric at eblawfirm.us. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about the very, very disturbing stories that have come out about a main event winner from the 2010s. Not just the 2010s, but actually 2010 itself, which, had things gone a little bit differently, could have been me. I wouldn't have been in a scandal like this, but I could have won that year because I finished 88th, which is my very deepest finish at the main event. I came fairly close to it uh, in 2019 with 128th. But I was 88th place, and in fact, uh, I believe six of the nine people who were at the table I busted from did make the final table. But not the winner, Jonathan Duhamel. Jonathan Duhamel is someone I did not play with 
that year, despite the fact that I was at a lot of different tables and I made it all the way down to 88th from a starting field of 7,319 players. Uh, I did not play with him until 2017. And when I played with him in 2017, you know, he was pleasant enough. He, uh, he and I talked some, uh, we got along fine. There was, uh, nothing I have bad to say about his demeanor at the table. I didn't have anything against him before or after that, other than some suspicion of him that I had heard through the grapevine that I tried not to hold against him until I uh, got more independent confirmation. So this is not being done because I have any kind of problem with Jonathan Duhamel. This is not being done. I'm talking about the segment. I'm not doing it because I'm trying to start controversy or spread rumors or make him look bad. I really had otherwise nothing against the guy, even though I heard these rumors, as did many of you for the past five years. This is a, a, a serious subject, and uh, if the allegations are true, they're very bad. But let's go back a little bit. Uh, he won the main event in 2010. You also might remember that he had some, what seemed like pretty bad luck in December 2011, when his girlfriend set him up to be beaten up in his own home and robbed, including his main event bracelet, that his girlfriend left the door unlocked and some thug she knew came in. And by the way, as I said, I refer to thugs as uh, people of uh, any race. I'm referring to their behavior. I don't even remember the race of the people who came in and did this. Actually, I think they may have been white. But uh, the, the I think it was two guys, two or three guys that came in and uh, surprised him and beat him badly, and tied him up, and demanded to know where he kept his money or they were going to kill him. So he backed down and told them where the money was, and they found his bracelet too. And they stole a lot of his cash and or all the cash they could find. They stole from him and they stole the bracelet. And uh, remember, this was his then current girlfriend. And her name was uh, Bianca Rojas Latraverse. This occurred in Montreal where they both lived. So she set him up. She let them in. And she admitted this, by the way. This is not uh, speculation. The whole thing was a setup for this to occur. And at the time, I remember just thinking, wow, I feel so bad for this guy. His girlfriend really didn't care about him. His girlfriend set him up for something awful like this through her friends. And he trusted her. That's the only reason this worked is she, he trusted her and uh, she betrayed that trust big time because she knew he had a lot of cash in there because he won all that money at the 2010 main event, which at the time it had only been a year and a half since then. I remember when she was sentenced, she pled guilty and uh, she got a, what seemed like a light sentence. And I remember criticizing that. I criticized that on this show and said, what, what kind of crap is this? The Canadian justice system sucks. How could they sentence her to uh, whatever it was? It, it wasn't very much time. And I thought uh, her crime was so bad and he got beaten so badly that the World Series actually remade his bracelet. His bracelet was found, but in horrible condition. They caught all the people who did it. but they And they actually got the bracelet, but it was really in horrible condition. I don't know how that happened, but 
uh, they remade it for him at the World Series, which was uh, nice of the World Series to do. So uh, I, I really thought this was just a guy who dated the wrong girl, who pretended to care about him but just wanted to set him up to, to rob him. And I really wanted to see her in prison for a long time, and I was very disappointed that she was going to get out after not that long. And she claimed, and when she was getting out, that she regretted it and felt so terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I don't believe any of this. She's just saying what she's trying. She's saying what she needs to say to try to rebuild what's left of her reputation. And uh, I thought she should be in prison for much longer than that. Well, uh, there's more to that story than it appears. And there's more to the entire story of Jonathan Duhamel than it appears. So let's rewind the clock, or I guess it's fast forward since we were just talking about uh, 2011. Let's go to 2015. In uh, 2015, Jonathan Duhamel was fired by poker stars. Not non-renewed, not just let go, but they actually fired him. And they were very clear about the fact that they fired him. Now, keep in mind, we've had a lot of people that got uh, released by poker stars over the years under the uh, new Amaya ownership. And even before that, even with uh, the Isai Scheinberg ownership, there were pros over time, they were released. And poker stars was never negative about them. They always had either positive things to say or nothing to say. And they bid them goodbye, and that was it. They, they tried to say as little as possible when pros would leave as uh, sponsored pros there if they didn't have anything good to say. And you never saw poker stars saying, this person will never be a poker pro here again. Why? Because you don't know the future. What if, what if that person wins the main event? What if that person just goes on a tear and becomes one of the biggest names in poker? Well, maybe they want to bring them back. Maybe poker stars could want to bring them back in the future if they are serving the U.S. market and uh, someone in the U.S. market that uh, they don't have a need for at the moment because they don't really serve the U.S. market except for a few states. Uh, maybe that uh, one day they're going to serve all or most of the U.S. market and they'll bring back American pros again. So they never want to say we're never going to work with this person again unless something happened to where they're sure they're never going to work with that person again. So if they're going to say something like this, either the person really screwed them in some way or the person did something very bad to where even though it's not public yet, they don't want to be associated with that person. Well, definitely Jonathan Duhamel fell into one of those two categories because uh, what they said to Poker News in an April uh, 2015 article, they said, although the poker room decided uh, – this is what it said in uh, Poker News. Although the poker room decided not to have any details of – although the poker room decided not to share any details about Duhamel's contractual agreements and the reasons that led to the parting of ways, a representative of Poker Stars confirmed – that they, quote, won't be working together again in the future. Oh, boy. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement, right? That's a pretty strong claim that they're never going to have him again. Right when I saw that, I said at the time, something happened. They've never said that before. They never said it since, by the way. He's the only sponsored pro, to my knowledge, that they've ever made that concrete declaration. He's never coming back. We're never working with him. It's done. We're not telling you why. Doesn't matter. Not your business. But we're never working with him again. It's done. He's gone. It's kind of like if you say that about a girl you break up with. 
you don't just say, oh, yeah, I wish her well. I'm, I'm glad to remain friends with her. We, we, we had her good times. It just didn't work out. If you say, I don't want to discuss what happened, but let me, t- let me promise you, I will never, ever date her again. And I'm not just saying that because I'm mad. I guarantee you I'm never going to date her ever again under any circumstances. If someone says that that strongly and you know it's not just from emotion at the moment, you know that something bad happened to where the guy will never get over whatever she did. So uh, similarly here, but uh, even more telling here, because at least in relationships, there's an emotional element. This is a business situation, and they're they're stating they're never going to work with him again. So I thought, well, that's interesting. That is very interesting. Well, let's go now to a later point in 2015. In November 2015, Justin Bonomo put out a blog accusing three unnamed poker pros of sexual harassment and rape. So there were three different stories that he talked about, and he would not name who they were. He called them Pro A, Pro B, and Pro C. Now, this was one of uh, Justin Bonomo's typical uh, virtue signaling blogs where he pretends to care so much about how women feel, which is strange from a guy who's like polyamorous, but let's let's not bash Bonomo here. He actually... uh, behaved pretty well, it turned out, in this whole thing. So he was trying to put out there that there are some men in poker who, while they have a decent reputation, in some cases a good reputation, really treat women badly behind the scenes and that uh, it's really outraging him. And that's a reasonable thing to put out. A lot of times the poker pros put out a certain public face and then in private they're real jerks. And uh, it's believable that some poker pros really don't treat women well. And I can understand why that would bother someone like John, Justin Bonomo. In fact, if I heard stories like this, it would bother me. I'll tell you someone who I heard this about and I witnessed firsthand. Devilfish. Devilfish treated women very badly, very disrespectfully. He touched them. He would hit on them. He wouldn't take no for an answer. He would hit on married women. He would hit on women with boyfriends, women with boyfriends in poker. He would touch them inappropriately, uh, very aggressive. The guy was a jerk, and he treated women really, really badly and disrespectfully. When he died, I wasn't exactly crying. So that's an example of someone. He's not alive anymore, of course, but uh, that was someone who had a public image of a fun guy on TV that in real life it wasn't too fun to be around him if you were a female. There is the issue where sometimes away from the tables, men in poker will treat women very poorly and disrespectfully and sexually harass them or worse. And prominent names in poker especially should be called out for that type of behavior. Justin Bonomo is calling out three poker pros back in November 2015. He said in this blog, Pro A is patently disgusting. I've had two separate girlfriends tell me that they had their asses grabbed by this man. Neither girl had ever spoken a single word to him. Both instances took place at the Rio and one occurred uh, and occurred one year apart from each other. A masseuse I know confirmed the behavior and shared a few similar stories detailing how outrageously gropey he is. Okay, so... That person was never determined. We kn- we'll know the other two stories, by the way. I'll tell you who he was referring to as Pro B and Pro C. Pro A, I don't know who that was. It really sounds like Devilfish, but he was already dead by this point, and it seems like Justin Bonomo was writing about him in the present test- tense back in November 2015. So I think it probably was not Devilfish, 
but uh, who knows? Maybe it was. He just didn't want to say was because it would give a it would give it away who he was talking about. Really sounds like Devilfish, but it could have been others. So I never found out who that was. Pro B. This one was a little bit misleading. Pro B is well liked. You would be surprised to hear that he was accused of repeated sexual harassment by a female in the poker world while representing his sponsoring site. I'm not at liberty to discuss the specifics of the outcome due to the lawyers involved, but it was not pretty. Well, I'll tell you who this was. It was Daniel Negreanu, but not the way you think, and that's why this was never a huge scandal. This is what happened, and this this is one thing that uh, Bonomo shouldn't have phrased it this way, because obviously he knew the story, and what he said was technically accurate, but it was very misleading. The complaint of sexual harassment at work was not the way you would picture a work sexual harassment claim. Daniel was not making any advances towards any females that were at work that weren't welcoming it. That's not what was happening. Daniel also was not doing it to any males, in case you think it's a gay thing. It was not. (laughs) Daniel was not uh, sexually harassing anyone in the sense that you would think of sexual harassment. This complaint was actually against him and a second person. The second person that was being complained about was not a male. It was a female, Amanda Leatherman. Yeah, Amanda Leatherman, his current wife, they were both accused of sexual harassment when uh, it was at some poker stars uh, event that was being recorded to play on TV. While they were on breaks there, I guess Daniel and Amanda were making out and groping each other, and they were being inappropriate. They should be doing this in the privacy of their room and not in front of uh, people who work at Poker Stars. So there was a woman who worked at Poker Stars who, for some reason, was like really offended by this. She she just couldn't stand seeing it. Now I understand it's kind of awkward to see this that uh, Daniel's groping Amanda in public at work. And and I could see complaining to poker stars saying, "Hey, can you tell Daniel to knock that off?" That that should have ended there because they weren't. It's not like they said to her, "Hey, you want to join us in bed later?" It wasn't like like they had no interaction with her regarding anything sexual. They were just doing it with her in view of it. And I don't even think on purpose. Maybe they were trying to get some thrill in doing it, being watched by others. But like she was not the target of this, and and she didn't. They didn't say anything sexual to her or do anything sexual to her. So while I understand that she was uncomfortable and I understand this technically meets the definition of sexual harassment and there have been lawsuits about this type of, quote, sexual harassment, uh, I think the appropriate way to handle this as an adult is if you're not happy with this occurring, to just simply go to the boss and say, can you please have them knock this off? Because I just don't like seeing it. It makes me uncomfortable. And uh, I don't know if this person did or not, but it led to a lawsuit. And Poker Stars ended up settling the lawsuit. It was, Daniel wasn't sued, nor was Amanda. It was a lawsuit against Poker Stars, who was the employer of both Daniel and Amanda at the time, and uh, and also uh, this woman. So while it is true that uh, there was a female who made a s- sexual harassment claim that happened while he was representing Poker Stars, well, that's all true. That it's not the way you'd think. If you read this, it would sound like a guy who was working for the site that he was uh, representing went and actually harassed a woman there, and that's not what happened here. So that's uh, that's what who Pro B is, I'm just about sure. Uh, Justin never verified this, but it all fits. I know about this lawsuit. I know about the whole story, and uh, that was even discussed at the time that this might be it. 
And uh, since then, I've learned more about it. I think it's highly likely that's who Justin was talking about. I'd be shocked if there was somebody else who made this exact description. But uh, to be honest, I think that Daniel was just, if this is all true, Daniel was just kind of inappropriate at work with Amanda because he was over-exuberant about how much he liked her. And he just forgot about where he was and that you don't do this. I mean, it was unprofessional, but it wasn't horrible. Like, Like, I don't think anyone was sexually harassed, in my opinion. I think it was just something he shouldn't have been doing. Okay. Uh, Pro C. This is the bad one. Pro C was the one that surprised me the most, writes uh, Justin Bonomo back in 2015. A female poker player accused him of rape. Upon finding out about this, another female that's connected to the poker world instantly spoke up and said she had been raped by Pro C. His sponsorship contract was terminated the very next day. So everybody started talking about who's pro A, who's pro B, who's pro C. As I said, Negranu's name was bouncing around regarding uh, B, and that looks like that was true. And there was a little talk at the time, especially about the abrupt termination of the contract, that pro C was Jonathan Duhamel. Um, the X Factor on Poker Fraud Alert said that pro A was either Devilfish or Gus Hansen. I guess Gus might be a good uh, – he might be a good guess. Uh, Pro B, he said Humberto Brenes, which is wrong. I'm just about sure that was Daniel. And uh, Pro C, he said Jonathan Duhamel. So uh, there is a poster on uh, on Poker Fraud Alert named Anteater. Anteater seemed to have registered just a comment on this. But this is what Anteater posted in response to that thread on Poker Fraud Alert. I don't know who this is. This is someone who just uh, showed up to comment on this. He said, uh, well, actually, that's not true. He was registered uh, since November 2013. So I guess it was some radio lurker who had some knowledge. But he said, the rapist is Jonathan Duhamel. He was fired by Poker Stars in April after these allegations came to light. This has been known for some time by a number of people. And then put a link to that Poker News article where they quoted that he's never coming back. Anteater said, Poker Stars has never made such a harsh statement of closure about any other departing pro. Which is just what I said there before. This was posted in November 2015. Problem is nobody knew who Anteater was, and uh, he didn't get that much credibility. At the time, I said back to Anteater, no way to know for sure, but I have to admit this looks pretty damning. At the very least, we know that something bad happened involving Duhamel's sponsorship with Poker Stars, and it wasn't just a matter of releasing him because he wasn't generating enough return for them because of that statement they made. So that's the way it was kind of left, but we never really got an answer for all this time. Four and a half years further passed, and we did not get any closure on this. It, it kind of seemed like it was Jonathan Duhamel, but uh, where was any kind of uh, inform- independent confirmation? I heard rumors. I heard rumors from pretty reliable sources that that's the exact reason Poker Stars abruptly fired him, and it all fit, but I still couldn't report it. Well, now I can. Because on May 25th, 2020, uh, Seriously Serious posted this in the Bill Perkins thread. And I guess Seriously Serious just wanted this to be discussed again because it it seemed like he was trying to get everyone talking about this in an unrelated thread. He said, I'm reminded of the time that Bonomo announced that a prominent World Series champ is a serial rapist but refused to give a name. We never did learn who it was. And he responded, uh, 
how this response was in relation to how Bill Perkins wouldn't name any of the cheaters. So he's like, hmm, I remember when Bonomo named a rapist and wouldn't name him. This is, this is really, uh, familiar. Well, that got people talking. An account named Right Rhyme, and that's, uh, Right Rhyme and the number one on Twitter, Right Rhyme one, exactly as you'd expect it spelled. R-I-G-H-T-R-H-Y-M-E. Right Rhyme one. Uh, came up to defend Justin Bonomo. By the way, this is not a new account. Right Rhyme has been on uh, Twitter for some time. This wasn't a gimmick account that was made just for this. And this person saw what uh, Seriously Serious posted. This person has been on Twitter for uh, over a year, since February 2019. Right Rhyme said, Please don't talk shit about Justin Bonomo. I am the one who asked to keep it for himself. He was supportive and kind through this tough moment of my life. With that said, I do believe in karma, or shall I say, we believe in karma, because I wasn't the only one. Hashtag 2010. Hashtag now you know. Now, she hasn't named the person yet, but you know it's coming. She then posted a screenshot of uh, what she was saying to Justin Bonomo on the day that he released this blog. So he says, uh, fuck, I'm so sorry you're going through this. So people are pressuring you to say his name. I don't know if you if it would help or hurt, but if you want me to, I have no problem saying his name publicly, or if there's anything else I can do, please let me know. So she's showing that on that same day, she showed a Facebook message she had with Bonomo on uh, November 26, 2015, which looks very authentic, that Bonomo was saying, hey, I'm really sorry that you went through this and that people are now pressuring you to out him, but uh, you know, I can say it if you want, but uh, I'll only do it if you say it's okay. And I guess at the time she said, no, don't do it. So she's saying, don't get mad at Bonomo that he wouldn't name this person. I, as the victim who told him about it, asked him not to say anything. But now she is choosing to say something. She tweeted, how many people know Jonathan Duhamel is a rapist and ignore it? I'm ready to talk and I have proof he is a rapist slash predator. I wish I was stronger back then to have the courage to call him out. She's saying this occurred in 2010, 10 years ago. Feel free to reach out if you can help. Hashtag lawyer. Hashtag poker. Hashtag me too. Hashtag nothing to lose. Hashtag justice. Oh my. She went on to write, people have a right to know. I would like to leave this event in the past. It always comes back. I woke up this morning and somehow the Bill Perkins scandal was linked to it. With that said, I'm done being haunted by it. No more guessing game. Just the truth. Hashtag freedom, hashtag peace, hashtag women's with an S. Now, it sounds like Right Rhyme is someone who is not from the U.S. I tweeted about the Anteater post and wanted to see what she say about that. She says, I don't know who Anteater is, but yes, he was banned from Poker Stars, but they already had many warnings in his folder as breaking into a house, getting into fights, drunk driving, and hit a pole. Who knows the real reason, though? I, if I am not mistaken, he couldn't be picked in the Global Poker League. Wow. So some some kind of Global Poker League competition that he, they actually wouldn't let you pick him as a choice. And Sean Deeb later tweeted that that's exactly why they wouldn't, that he was the one who brought the allegation that he knew and brought the allegation over to the head of the Global Poker League who said, OK, no problem. We'll, uh, we'll ban him for being picked here. A person named Unix Angel who also is uh, they, this person I think is from Poland or somewhere in Europe. They, they tweeted, Justin was just one of the few who was asked to keep quiet when this all went down 
or actually came to light, since there were several attempts to do an article about it, but which never happened since the journalists got scared to silence. P.S. My guess, since I was too. So she's saying she was scared to silence. She's not directly saying she was a victim, but it sounds like that's what she's trying to say. She she sounds like English isn't her first language. In case you're wondering, uh, is Unix Angel a new gimmick account? No. She's been on Twitter actually for more than 10 years. She joined on uh, March, well, sometime in March 2009. So she's definitely not a gimmick account. She's from uh, Sweden. In fact, she has a website, uh, unixangel.se. Unix, U-N-I-X, angel.se. So she's, she's been around a long time. So this is not a, a case of just trolls making this up, that's for sure. Then someone showed up who was even more interesting to me. Bianca Elizabeth posted, Chad knows the truth, right, Chad? Now this is referring to Chad Holloway because there was some discussion with Chad Holloway about this. Uh, Chad Holloway uh, apparently was contacted or was contacting people who were possibly writing about this. And this Bianca Elizabeth said that Chad knows the truth. Well, I looked more carefully and I recognized Bianca Elizabeth, especially when I looked at Bianca Elizabeth's actual Twitter account name, and that is Bianca Rojas1. Now, Bianca is spelled B-Y-A-N-K-A, Rojas1. I don't know why the Y, but that is the ex-girlfriend who set him up to be beaten up and robbed. I was like, wow, why is she commenting here? Why why is she appearing in this whole thing? I thought she was a, a criminal who set dudes up to go uh, beat him up and steal his money and bracelet. What the hell? What's she doing here? So at first, uh, I reacted in kind of a way without really thinking. I was like, oh, screw this criminal. So I responded back to her. I said, hey, don't you have something to tell us about what you did to him? And then I left that tweet up for about 30 seconds, and I go, wait a minute. Wait a minute here. Let's, let's connect the dots here. We have all these horrible stories about uh, Jonathan Duhamel, and then we have this ex-girlfriend who did this awful thing to him. Is it possible that maybe he did some bad things to her and this was some sort of retaliation? Now, I'm not defending it, but I'm just saying, is it possible that she wasn't just some cold-hearted criminal who set him up? So I said, wait a minute, maybe it shouldn't be so harsh. Maybe I should try to get the answer. So I quickly deleted that tweet. No one really saw it, to my knowledge. And uh, I was going to contact her, but I didn't have to. She contacted me. And not she hadn't even seen... What I had uh, written about her, I think she never got to see it. She contacted me about my post about Anteater. She said, thank you for that post. She sent me a private message saying that. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's start talking. So I started talking back and forth with Bianca. And Bianca told me that, uh, and she told me that she was going to go public with this. In fact, was going to come on this show today. And I'll tell you in a second what happened with that. But uh, Bianca explained to me that uh, he was very abusive to her and that uh, she was young and stupid and she just decided you know what I'm going to I'm, I'm just going to get him back I'm going to get him back this is how I'm going to do it I'm going to have a few male friends of mine bust in and uh, and beat him up she claimed that uh, 
they were only supposed to beat him up, that they weren't supposed to rob him, that the robbery thing and the extent they beat him up was more than she was expecting. That uh, this was not what she was trying to do. She wasn't trying to have his money stolen and his bracelet stolen. It was just uh, these guys decided to do that once they were there. And then at that point, uh, she had to play along. Remember, she was supposed to... It was supposed to be where she wasn't going to get the blame from it. It was supposed to be guys who were just going to come in and, and, and kick his ass, and she would quietly get satisfaction from it. Uh, once they were in there, they were... This is according to her. They were demanding the money and the bracelet. And at that point, she can't say, whoa, 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 guys, that's not what we agreed. She's supposed to be pretending like they just busted in and then someone accidentally left the door open. Uh, the, 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 the cops figured out that she was involved and maybe Jonathan figured it out she was involved and she was arrested and as I said, she, she served time. You may ask, uh, why did she plead guilty and why did she not state in court that uh, he was abusive to her? And I asked her that. And she claimed that what happened is while she was in uh, jail awaiting trial, and this is just a claim of hers, I don't know if this is true, but she claimed that while she was in jail awaiting trial, that some uh, girl in jail beat her up and that uh, this girl had been paid by Jonathan to beat her up and threaten her that she better not say anything about this stuff and uh, better just take her lumps. So that, that was her claim. Now, that I don't know if that's true. It's possible that uh, she is exaggerating this now and uh, is trying to make herself look better. It is a little bit strange to me why if she had an alibi right there that she just that she did once it was clear she did this instead of just pleading guilty, why not say guilty, but yes, but he was very abusive towards me, and this was just me kind of flipping out and uh and these guys I didn't expect they were going to do it. She still would have gotten some time, but maybe there would have been some leniency, but this she admits she didn't say this in court. And she pled guilty because she was afraid uh, after what had happened to her in jail with that girl beating her up. She claims that since then she's grown up. It has been uh, nine years or eight and a half years. She claims she's grown up. She claims she's a mother now. She is married now. And she regrets the whole thing, that she wouldn't do it all over again, that she's not proud of it. And she said, revenge is sad. Asking for help is better, she said to me. Last thing she said to me when I asked her if she'll come on the show, she said, I'll be your guest. So I came back and said, nope, yeah, no problem. And she, but she said she was a little uh, – well, actually, that wasn't the last thing she said. That was one of the last things she said. She said that uh, she was a little uh, afraid to come on here because her English isn't good. She writes English okay, but she doesn't speak it very well because she's a French-Canadian. And I said, well, don't worry about it. No one's going to judge you here. We'll understand that's your second language. Uh, the listeners aren't going to judge you for that. And so she said she'll come on the show. She said, I'll be your guest. But then when I told her uh, what the day of the show was, I said, it's Saturday night. It might be a bit late for you if you're still in Montreal. How late do you usually stay up? No answer. That was on Tuesday. Yesterday, I sent her a message. Hi, Bianca. Are you still interested in appearing on the show on Saturday? No response. So I guess you changed your mind. I don't know if it's because she doesn't decided she doesn't want to go forward to calling him out or if uh, I think it's actually more likely, since she already showed up on that Twitter thread and has not deleted her tweet. So if, if she really was trying to hide from him and still afraid of him, she would have just completely wiped herself off the uh, all, all her tweets about this. But she didn't. She didn't make many tweets. I think she made one tweet, but that's still there. So to, to me, I think she was just having second thoughts about appearing on the show because she was afraid people would laugh at her that her English is so bad, which, which is stupid. Like, uh, no one's going to laugh about this, but... 
you know, everyone's got their fears. Some people just don't like appearing on any kind of uh, broadcast show. Just some people have an anxiety about this. So I'm not going to blame her for that part. Uh, do I completely believe her story? I don't know. She was telling me... I, I believe that uh, this was more than just greed. Now that I've heard everything else about Jonathan Duhamel, now that both of these victims, in my opinion, seem credible, the, the not her, but the two that came forward, especially this uh, right rhyme person, uh, especially, like... It's just, it's it's all adding up too closely, and it's hard for me to believe that he would do things like that, but then he'd be great to his girlfriend. Like, it's hard to believe that. It, it's believable that uh, she just kind of flipped out one day, and maybe she told her male friends about it. And then they said, oh, screw that, we're going to come over and kick his ass. She's like, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we'll do it. Well, how are we going to arrange that? Just just leave the door open. We'll just pretend we're breaking in, and we'll we'll, we'll beat him up. He won't even know who did it, or why, and you you won't be blamed for this. And then while they're there, they're thinking, oh, well, didn't he just win $10 million? Hmm. He's got to have some cash around here. So uh, where do you keep your cash? You better tell us. And he does, and they take it. So I guess that's believable, that she thought this was just her friends coming to kick his ass. And uh, in reality, it uh, turned into a robbery. And then she also, her part became known, that she wasn't as good at... Uh, Pretending like this had nothing to do with her as she thought. Maybe that's true, and and maybe it's true that this really was in response to some sort of abuse. That's what she's claiming now. In Duhamel's defense in this case, she did plead guilty without ever mentioning this in court. And this is what she's claiming now. Maybe she's just bitter towards him because she got caught and had to spend time in, in prison. So there's there's definitely a reason for her to be mad at him uh, about this. I, it, now, if he didn't actually abuse her, then she has no reason to be mad at him. But but there definitely is a reason uh, if she did this to retaliate and then ended up in prison and, and was is now pissed that he was abusing her and she did this as revenge. And then uh, he he seems like the victim and she goes to prison for it. So I, I can see where she'd still be bitter after all these years. And, and kind of want this to come out once other girls are calling him out for these alleged rapes. Now, again, I want everybody to understand that these are allegations against Jonathan Duhamel that haven't been proven in a court of law. And it's very important to know that until these things are proven, we can't state for a fact that they happened. You can have an opinion on it, but you can't state for a fact that he has done these things because it hasn't been proven and there hasn't been any direct evidence that was offered. So without that, we can't say for sure. But this is what's being publicly accused on Twitter, which is why I'm talking about it. It's been publicly accused on Twitter and he was abruptly fired in April 2015 and people have been saying this for five years. There's been a lot of people saying this for five years. Even Sean Deeb said he heard about this five years ago. There's a number of people who heard, and all for the same reason, didn't say it because they just heard it and didn't have proof, and they didn't want to be the one to make such an accusation. So uh, that's what's out there. I would have loved for her to come on, and then we could ascertain from her answers. I was going to ask her some uh, pointed questions about this. I wasn't going to just assume she's telling the truth. I was going to ask questions which hopefully would have shed some light onto what really happened, but she didn't come on. So I would have treated her very respectfully, and I was not going to hassle her about the crime itself. I would have asked her about it, but I, w I would be very respectful to her if she were to come on. 
And hopefully she'll change her mind, but I have a feeling she won't. But those are the allegations. And there were people talking about it, and then it kind of faded out, but there was discussion about it. And now it's kind of more out there. Before, this was something that was always whispered, uh, kind of in the background by various poker players and people in poker media. But uh, everybody was afraid to cover the story. And now that it got put out in Twitter, so, uh, you know, there it is. There it is. That's the accusation. And with many of these type of accusations where a woman is accusing a male of sexual harassment or rape, uh, I'm not one of the believe-all-women people, but I'm also the consider-what-all-women-are-saying people. So I'm not one who says, you can't believe this at all until it's proven in a court of law. I'm saying, listen to the allegations and then judge for yourself. You might wonder, what does Jonathan Duhamel have to say about this? He has not given any comment, which is also suspicious. It, like if somebody came out and said this about me, I would know it's not true because I have never done this. And what I would do is I would come back out on Twitter and say, no, this is false. I've never done this. I would never would do this. And uh, whoever's saying this is making it up. If it's someone I never met, I would say I never met them. If it was someone who I did meet or someone I dated, but everything was consensual, I would say right away, I don't know what they're talking about. It was consensual. Let me let me share these texts I have from back in the day if I still have them. Or or let me uh, ask this person about this. Ask them for, about that. I'm going to prove to you that uh, I did not do this as, as much as I can because this my reputation is on the line here and I'm not guilty. But he's saying nothing. When was the last time he tweeted? May 11th. Prior to that, the last time he, he tweeted was April 26th. So this is not someone who's tweeting all the time. But at the same time, he's also uh, probably aware by now that these allegations have been made. And he said nothing. The more time that passes that he doesn't respond, that makes it look more suspicious. Does he have to respond? No. But a lack of response definitely makes you scratch your head and say, hmm, how could someone be accused of something like this and not want to clear their name, not want to deny it? Why are they just silent? How many guys would be silent when they're accused of something they absolutely didn't do like that, something so bad like that? Usually when they're silent, it's because they know they're guilty. Not always, but usually. So you can make your own judgments with that one. Very disturbing. Very, very disturbing. So if this really did happen, my heart goes out to the girls who had this happen and were silent about it all this time, maybe under pressure. And uh, that's really too bad. I do give an offer here to Jonathan Duhamel himself if you'd like to come on and answer to these allegations that have been made publicly on Twitter already prior to this show, that I will be glad to give you a voice here. Also, if you wish to send me a statement to make on your behalf and don't want to appear on the show, but you want me to read a statement on your behalf, I will read that statement. Everybody has a right to defend themselves on this show 
against any allegations that are made against them anywhere. So you saw the allegations on Twitter by now, I'm sure. If you think you're being falsely accused, or not think, you would know if you did it or not. If you know you're being falsely accused and you want it put out there that you didn't do it, then send me the message or tell me you want to be on this show and do it. And we'll put it out there and people can judge. I'm not saying if you deny it, I will believe you, but I will definitely put out your side of it. So that's my offer to you. I don't want this to be one-sided. And I don't personally know anybody involved here. I don't know your ex. I don't know these two women who've come forward, or at least one. The other one, I'm not sure if they're saying. They're saying in some way you told them not to say anything, but I'm not sure if it's a woman who claims that you did anything to her. Kind of unclear from her tweet, but possibly two. Definitely this one right rhyme person claims it. And uh, definitely others are claiming they knew about this five years ago when poker stars terminated their involvement with you. So I, I think this deserves a response, Mr. Duhamel, if you are not guilty. And it goes to show just because someone does well in a poker tournament doesn't mean that's they're a good person. But that's uh, pretty serious allegations, if true. I think you understand now why I didn't put this out back in 2015 when I heard, because uh, there was no victim coming forward. I just heard the rumor of why he left Poker Stars and that Bonimo was referring to him. But I, you know, I don't want to put that out there about someone with just that. That's not enough. The turning point here was someone coming forward who has been on Twitter for over a year and presented proof that they were the one who contacted Bonimo back in 2015. So to me, it looks like at the very least this person said four and a half years ago to Justin Bonomo that you did this. And a lot of other circumstantial evidence regarding your termination from Poker Stars, uh, a lot of this supports it, as does uh, some other stuff that people heard over the years, such as Sean Deeb, that uh, really makes it look like there's something to this, to the average person observing. So I thought that was something that you guys should know. Not a story I'm happy to report, but nevertheless, something you should know. Okay, here's something else you should know, but of a completely different nature. Las Vegas and the rest of Nevada has decided to, uh, well, they're reopening casinos on June 4th. That is coming very soon. That's just now in... uh, Four days, in fact, less than four days, because we're after midnight now on uh, May 31st, and uh, at 12.01 a.m. on June 4th, a lot of casinos in Nevada will be opening. So we need to discuss this. Uh, this, This is the universal opening date because that is the date the state is allowing it to happen. So that's uh, the reason they're all choosing June 4th. You, you probably got some emails by now from... Certain properties that you've been associated with in the past, associated mean you've gone to, and they're telling you come back, we're opening on June 4th. And then they probably told you all the precautions they're taking to keep you from getting the coronavirus. The reason for the June 4th date, as I said, is because that's when they are allowed to open. Then we'll see how it goes. We'll see how much interest there is for Las Vegas casinos in the age of coronavirus, and we'll see if that interest mirrors what we've seen in the rest of the country where they've done very well since reopening. We will see if uh, the people return in droves like they were doing in other places. Unless something 
changes at the last minute. Like, for example, the governor decides that it's actually too dangerous to reopen, which isn't likely in the next few days. On June 4th, the casinos can reopen. There are 441 casinos in Nevada. In order to reopen, the casinos will have to submit a safety plan to the Nevada Gaming Control Board, limit occupancy to 50% maximum, require social distancing protocols to be in place, and also protect slot machines and games with some kind of barrier to prevent people from infecting one another and uh, also have a four-player maximum if they're going to offer poker. Governor Steve Sisolak of Nevada said, We welcome the visitors from across the country to come here to have a good time. No different than they previously did, but we're going to be cautious. And uh, only uh, 181 of the casinos at the moment are open nationwide. Uh, These are mostly tribal casinos. The Nevada reopening will increase that number by a lot. Uh, The properties are not all opening. It's going to be a slow reopening, especially for Caesars and MGM properties, which have multiple properties, and they are not sure yet how many they want to open. So, for example... Uh, MGM is only going to be opening Bellagio, MGM Grand, and New York, New York. Caesars is only opening two properties, Flamingo and Caesars Palace. Everything else is going to stay closed for the moment of these two uh, big companies with a large number of properties in Las Vegas. That They're just trying those properties because they're not sure what interest there's going to be. And they're going to go from there. Uh, as far as poker is concerned, uh, most of it's not returning because of the four-handed thing that is required by the state. Now, keep in mind, there's poker rooms open elsewhere around the country that have nine-handed games. These are mostly Indian casinos that can make their own rules. But in Nevada, they cannot do this. In Nevada, they all have to follow rules that come from the state. And the four-handed poker really makes it tough to run a poker room that, one, will get any interest from players, and two, will generate enough money to even uh, be worth keeping open. Keep in mind, poker is always kind of a loss leader as it is. They don't make much money from it. They they make some depending on which property it is and how many games are running. But uh, for the most part, poker is bringing people into the casino and then the casino hopes they're going to spend money elsewhere, but they just don't want to do it for forehanded. It's just not worth it to a lot of them. However, uh, the Venetian has said that they are going to open up the poker room on June 5th. So we will see what happens. It will have to be forehanded maximum. We will see, uh, by the way, the poker room in uh, Venetian is not going to be 24 hours. It's only going to run from 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. and is going to run with reduced rake. And at uh, the Venetian, they will not have to wear masks, interestingly enough. The masks uh, the, the masks will be available if they want them. People can get masks there. I guess, I don't know if it's complimentary, but they can get masks there, but they don't have to wear them. They are going to have those uh, plastic, plexiglass dividers at the table. Um, or actually, sorry, they won't have those. They're not going to have those dividers. So it's going to be a normal poker table, four-handed, basically. And you don't have to wear a mask. That's, that sounds a little bit risky. The rails, chairs, and chips will be cleaned every two hours. 
How are they going to do that? How are they going to clean the chips every two hours? If they're in people's stacks, they're just like, okay, everybody, take a break. Time to clean the chips. Like, what are they doing? It's really strange. There is a question whether you can get the coronavirus through contact of surfaces very easily. For a long time, the belief was, yes, it spreads on the surfaces a lot. The CDC, as I mentioned last week, made an announcement that actually – transmission of the coronavirus through surfaces is rare. It can happen, but it's not the main way it happens. It's not even all that common. So that could be something positive for casinos because that's the hardest thing to control. You can control how far people keep from each other, but it's very hard to control when people touch things that others have touched. It's really hard to keep that constantly free of germs that would have come from someone else's uh, touch of the same object. It's just really impossible to keep that uh, completely sanitized. So if, if that really is not a mode of transmission typically, then that would really help casinos as far as, number one, not having outbreaks there, and number two, uh, just the viability and the marketing uh, that it's safe to go there. If you know that handling chips is not going to get you sick, if you know that handling cards is not going to get you sick, or putting your hands on the rail of the poker table that others have touched in the last uh, few hours, that that's not going to get you sick, or very unlikely to get you sick, then that's going to make you a lot less afraid of being in there. Now, the question is, if you're not getting it through surfaces, which usually is a big form of transmission of highly contagious viruses, such as the common cold, the common cold, that's a very common way, like the rhinovirus, which is one of the viruses of the common cold, that's a big way it transmits. It, it can also through uh, the air, but a big way people get the common cold is by touching surfaces that people infected with the common cold have previously touched. So if that's not the way it's happening, how are so many people getting the coronavirus? Are they really sneezing on one another that often? It, now, maybe it's it's uh, from breathing. There's There's been a theory that it's a lot easier to catch the coronavirus from someone breathing on you, just standing next to them while they're talking, or, or, or very tiny amounts of saliva that come out of your mouth you don't even feel when they're talking to you, that that's enough to infect you if they are infected, and that uh, that's why people are catching it so easily without realizing it. But who knows? There's uh, There's still a question of, how are people getting it so often if it's not spreading through surfaces? I don't tr- completely trust that. I'm still very careful with surfaces like I was before. I'm, I'm kind of pretending like I didn't read that. But if that turns out to be true, which maybe they'll prove uh, where it's more convincing, then uh, casinos will be a lot safer than it appears right now. Provided everybody acts responsibly, and keeps the proper distances from one another and is really careful not to cough or sneeze on anybody. Personally, I have no desire to do any of this. I I don't want to go to a casino under these circumstances. I don't want to go play live poker under these circumstances. It's not about the four-handed. The four-handed is fine. I like four-handed. But I I don't want to do it with this out there. And I don't want to go to the World Series of Poker with this being the case. I don't want to really enter anything like that until I feel it is no longer a danger to me. How can I feel it's not a danger to me? Well, there's a few ways. Uh, one, a way I don't want where I, I catch it and, uh, and then it's uh, believed that once you've had it already, you don't have to worry about catching it again. If that really is the case and I have it and I get over it, then uh, I'll be willing to go out and uh, 
go to poker rooms or casinos or whatever. Another way is if there's an effective vaccine. Another way is if there's an effective treatment where if you jump on it fast that the symptoms won't get bad. So any of those, I would do it. Then I start returning to casinos. Otherwise, no. Otherwise, I, I will have to stay away from this. Even if this drags on for years, I will have to stay away from this if there's no progress. So if we're sitting pretty much in the same spot three years from now, where there's still no vaccine that's effective, still no cure that's effective, and there's a lot of infections still out there. Like another way I could return is if the coronavirus is gone, which which happens, like the swine flu. That's not here anymore. That's gone. So if, if it goes the way of the swine flu and just disappears, then uh, then I'll also return. But let's say it's all still here in three years and there's no real fight against it you can you can undertake, then I am not going to go to a casino. I won't like it, but I'm just not going to do it. It's just going to be something that I don't do anymore. Again, unless I have already caught it and it's determined that you can't catch it again. Because it's very possible you can catch it and then it mutates and you can catch it again the next year. I really want to avoid this for reasons I've stated before. So people have asked me, uh, if there's a World Series of Poker this year, will you play? Answer is probably not. I've been asked, do you think there will be a World Series of Poker at all this year? I'm actually thinking that the chance of that has gone up. The casinos being able to open at all is something that is a very good sign for those who are hoping to have a World Series around October. Because... Casinos like to make money. The World Series makes a lot of money. People will be missing poker. People will be missing the World Series. And there probably will be a lot of people returning to it, even though the numbers will not be nearly as high as they once were. What about the four-handed thing? Well, that might be the only problem. They may not want to run the World Series where everything has to be four-handed. They may choose not to do it rather than convert every event to four-handed. But maybe by then, maybe by October, they will have lifted the four-handed requirement. So it's more possible it'll happen in October now than it was before. Still, to me, it kind of looks like they're not going to have it, but uh, we'll have to see. October's still a long way. But even if they hold it, I'm not going to go unless there's really just about no chance I'm going to get the coronavirus. It's just not worth doing to me. And uh, the thing I've heard, the stuff I've heard of people going through who've had this, who are my age, I don't want that. I don't want that ever. Nor do I want my lungs damaged from this. I just don't want it. So I'll have to do without these things. Should you return to casinos? Well, it depends on your age. It really does. If you're under 35, then I'm not going to tell you what to do, but your chance of suffering badly from this is much, much lower. If you're 35 to 45, it's kind of in the middle, especially between 40 and 45. I've known people in that age range who have had some pretty bad symptoms. Uh, if you're over 45, I would not do it. I think you're just risking too much. Not so much death. If you're, if you're over 45 but not old yet, like 45 to 60, I think your chance of death from this is pretty low if you don't have a major pre-existing condition. But the chance of you getting a very, very, very terrible illness that you're going to hate suffering through and hate life every day and might damage your lungs 
might shorten your life expectancy, and also might at one point make you feel like you are on the way to being one of those cases, one of those unlucky people who dies from it. It's kind of hard to tell as it gets worse and worse and worse where it's going to stop. It doesn't warn you, hey, uh, I'm getting really bad now, but don't worry, this is as bad as it's going to get. It, it doesn't tell you that. You don't know when it's going to stop, and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And you might have start having a little trouble breathing, and, and you're going to panic. So even if you end up living through it and don't end up on a ventilator, that doesn't mean that it's all fine. So if you're over 45, I mean, I, I've heard so many horror stories about those who, who've had it, from those who've had it, who are over 45. And not way over 45, like people who are 45, 46, 47. People who said it take, took every bit of energy to get up and pee. People who said they were unable to walk down the stairs in their own house for two weeks. They actually could not get the energy to walk down these stairs. I've never felt that in my life. I've never been so fatigued that I actually couldn't walk downstairs. Uh, the closest I ever was to that was uh, six and a half years ago when I got a really bad uh, stomach flu in Las Vegas and I was dizzy. I had the energy to walk, but I was too dizzy to walk. If I tried to walk, I wouldn't be able to uh, maintain uh, standing up and I would fall because I, I was like too dizzy and too uh, – I, I was able to think normally. In fact, I I passed the time by playing online poker and actually won while I, I was that sick. But uh, but I had to be in bed while doing it. I couldn't stand up. I just couldn't maintain uh, a normal walk without uh, falling. So uh, – I've never had the fatigue to the point where I could not go downstairs. And this is for two weeks. This is not like for the worst few hours of it. This is for two weeks you'll have it. And that's if it doesn't get worse and hospitalize you. And these are common situations. This isn't like one outlier. And this isn't like one person who has a, who previously had cancer and then they had, it was not like that. Like normal people over 45, but not over 60, in many cases not over 50, were having symptoms like this. I've heard very few people that I've heard of very few people I know that had it over 45 that know they had it that it was very mild. So just keep that in mind. Just keep that in mind. That's why I'm not going. I th- this would be something that I could discuss during the coronavirus topic, but I'll just throw it in since we're discussing the over 45 thing. I was thinking about this week. What is it with being like late 40s that makes it so different in how you experience the symptoms than like if you're 33? Because there's a lot of similarities to how you feel when you're over, like when you're 48 versus 33. Uh, you're you're typically not anywhere near death yet. Uh, you you can walk around normally. You can still exercise. You, you there's some things you'll notice have changed uh, when you know, you don't have as much energy. You don't have as much flexibility. Uh, you can get hurt more easily if you fall. You uh, athletically you're not as good anymore, but for the most part, you kind of feel like the same person. So how is it so markedly different when you're not elderly yet from like 33 to 48? And and the reason I believe it is, it, well, I, I there's been some theories about it. It may have to do with, with T-cell production that goes down a lot after 35. But if you think about something else, think of professional athletes. Think of the very, very best athletes, just the ones who are very, very best at their sports. What happens to them when they turn 40? Are they ever anywhere close to what they were? A few positions where you can get around that just because of the demands of the position, like a quarterback in the NFL, like some of those can stretch it out and still be productive. Tom Brady is a good example of that. 
but for the most part, what happens to most professional athletes at 40, no matter how good they were? They become a shell of their former self. No matter how much they work out, no matter what supplements they take, I'm not talking about steroids or performance-enhancing drugs. I'm saying like anything that's not cheating, you're going to be much worse at 40, no matter how good you are and, and what type of exercise regimen you employ. And that's consistent across just about all human beings. Why is that? Why is there such an amazing decline between 35 and 40 for all these professional athletes? Why don't you have like any 40-year-olds that are the same player they are at 40 as they were at 30, aside from ones taking steroids? And that's because something in the body changes. And you don't always notice these changes, especially if you're not a professional athlete, if you're not competing against the best in the world in a sport every day, then it's not as noticeable to you as you get, as you get older into middle age that there's a lot in your body changing and not for the better. So I think it's something along those lines, that there's a lot more that's changing in your body than you realize. And that, uh, and I'm not an expert on this topic, obviously, but that's, that's, it's kind of along those lines. You may feel relatively the same now in your late 40s as you did in your early 30s, but a lot has changed. And whatever has changed in there leaves you more susceptible to the, the coronavirus. And it's still not totally understood why the coronavirus uh, hits people harder than others. Like, why, why are kids almost immune to its effects? Even very young kids who typically get very sick and die from diseases that adults can easily weather. How, how come kids are, it just doesn't get them? So there, there's, there's certain things about people's bodies that make them either more or less susceptible to this. And uh, it's, it's my belief that when you pass 35, you rapidly start becoming more susceptible and, really, and, and it kind of peaks around late 40s to around 50 and then kind of stays around flat from that point. But then the chance of death starts going up a lot more once you get to around 60, 65. So you, and, and once you get past late 40s, then it's, it's more of a difference in death rate rather than severe symptom rate. And I know I mentioned this before, but uh, so that, that's why you, you've got to judge it based on age. If you are a healthy person under 35, then yeah, go to the casino. You're probably going to be fine. Not, not if you live with older people, but if, if it's just, if, if let's say you're 33 years old, and it's you, your your wife who's your age, and your kid who's who's three years old. Yeah, that's fine. It's you're probably not going to have anything that bad if you catch it. I'm not saying just don't worry about catching it, but I'm saying that it, it's probably not that bad of an idea to just go back to normal life and say if I get it, I get it. Fortunately, I'm in an age group where people aren't affected that badly, and I see time and time again. I know it's only anecdotal, but time and time again, just people in their early 30s who report, yeah, I had it. Yeah, I felt a little fatigued. Yeah, I lost my taste for some time. Yeah, I felt it somewhat, but it wasn't bad at all. Like I've heard so many people say this who are in that age group. Then you ask someone my age, and oh my God, they hated it. (laughs) So it's a a big difference. That is why I do not want it. That's why I'm being very careful. Fortunately, I can do this radio show without any coronavirus danger. You guys can cough at me all you want through the radio, and nothing can happen to me. All right. Uh, So we'll see what happens with that. I will report next week how the casinos did when they reopened. 
I want to give you a little Vanessa Selbst update. It's not a big update. It's a little update. It's not as good as some of my other Vanessa Selbst updates. Not, not just that I agreed with her about something. Remember, I agreed with her about uh, Jungle Man. Before Vanessa Selbst became really, really unbearable with slamming her politics in everybody's face constantly and getting really, really aggressive and nasty if you don't agree with her, like she was always awful at the table. That that was always true. But but like on social media and on forums, she actually wasn't intolerable for a while. But then she got really bad once she got into the whole so- social justice warrior stuff. And not only was she into it, but she is like super aggressive and disrespectful and nasty if you don't agree with her. Like listen to the discussion we had with Andrew Barber tonight. Well, wasn't he a nice guy? Wasn't he very pleasant? And I know he agreed with me more than a lot of social justice warriors do. And he, I wouldn't even call him a, a social justice warrior. I'd call him like, like a semi-social justice warrior. Uh, in a lot of ways, he is not one and doesn't agree with some of the things they agree with. But, but still, even if he was, he would express it in, in a respectful way. And you could tell that. That's why, that's why I had him on again, because uh, he, he's pleasant to talk to. But Vanessa Selps like the opposite of that. And we've talked about that before. But before that, I actually had some respect for her because she did something that I do. And that is she would call out scammers. And she was vocal about scammers and not just letting them off the hook. And when they tried to bullshit, she'd say, no, no, no. Here's the truth. Here's Let me break this down why this person's lying. Vanessa Self is an intelligent woman. I won't deny that. She's very smart. It's uh, All the evidence points to that. And when she made her posts about scammers, you could tell it was written by a smart person. So she kind of channeled her old, the, the positives of her old self from back in the days when she called out scammers and was less off-putting overall. And I said, oh, yeah, I remember that Vanessa Selps that I actually had some respect for. But that's not what this is about. This is actually about an update. Uh, nothing stupid she did, but just something that's uh, just interesting that I felt I might as well mention. There was an advertorial on Poker News, and I'm going to read it to you because it has to do with Vanessa Selbst. It was dated May 24th, 2020. It says, one of the most respected and accomplished poker players in the world has returned to the felt. Now, she already has returned to the felt, by the way. Her retirement didn't last very long. Vanessa Selps has returned to competitive play as well as teaching with Learn WPT, the official education platform for the WPT. So you know what this article is really about. It's not, uh, it's not informing everyone about Vanessa coming back to the poker world. This is an ad for Learn WPT, which is fine. I know a lot of publications do this, but that's, uh, that's what poker news. Actually, this is even saying it's by Learn WPT. It's not even like by Chad Holloway or someone working there. It's actually by them. So I think it's pretty obvious what this is. So it goes on to say, after her departure from poker in 2017, Vanessa went to work at one of the world's most successful hedge funds and put her knowledge of risk analysis and positive expected value bets to good use. Known for her fearless play on the felt, her talents translated into making calculated investments based on macroeconomics and world events. By the way, I don't think that's true. I think that, uh, I think that, she was kind of more someone they used to schmooze people who liked poker. Like, oh, look who we have working here. Remember Vanessa Selps? You know, she's the biggest female tournament winner of all time, which she is. Look it up. She works with us. Do you like poker? Oh, yeah, I like poker. Hey, you want to talk to Vanessa about poker? Oh, cool. I didn't know you have a poker star working for you. Oh, yeah, we do. So that, that's why they hired you. That, that's, that's what everyone's saying who knows uh, Bridgewater, which is where she works. 
that uh, it was really just because of her poker fame and that they felt that some of their clients would be interested and they've hired other people with similar profiles that would interest their uh, potential clients. But let's put that aside. What I do wonder is if she still works there. Remember, she almost got fired very quickly because she created uh, a disturbance at the first company Christmas party that she attended. <laughs> she, she created some incident there, probably while drunk, and, and almost got fired over that. And that, she put that out there. It wasn't like the rumor went around. She actually put it on her own Twitter. And so one of her friends was like, Vanessa, you shouldn't say that. She's like, no, 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 it's okay. We, we got past it. Everyone understands now. We're all, we're all good. And then like, Vanessa, you're not making yourself look good here. Like she wasn't getting why you, you don't brag about it. you almost got fired because of creating an incident at the freaking Christmas party. Anyway, this is what it continues to say in the article. After starting a family, remember she does have a baby. Uh, Vanessa has prioritized flexibility for her schedule and time, making poker the perfect fit once again. That kind of makes it sound like she doesn't work there anymore. Like a true champion, it didn't take long for Vanessa to return to form as she made deep runs in, in the WPT Borgata uh, Poker Open in September 2019 and WPT Falls View in February 2020. Despite the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic shuttering live poker stops around the world, Vanessa has returned to the online felt and is looking forward to playing live events once again. And it mentions that she has three World Series bracelets, uh, multiple WPT final tables, uh, almost 12 million in live tournament winnings, which isn't true. She has live tournament caches of nearly 12 million and highest earning female poker player. Well, at least for tournaments, that's true as far as caches. With over 10 years of teaching experience and one of the original creators of poker training videos, she used to have a... uh, she used to be a co-owner of something called Deuces Cracked, which released uh, videos. Vanessa has coached some of the top players in the game today. I don't know if that part's true. Learn WPT is bringing Vanessa's aggressive winning style and championship mindset to Learn WPT members through upcoming strategy episodes. The intersection of GPO and exploitative play should be of special interest to any poker player, and Vanessa is the perfect instructor to tackle these topics. I disagree. Vanessa Selft is someone who realized, and maybe she's adjusted since then. I, I know she's a smart woman, and maybe she's adjusted. People can adjust their game. I adjust my game. But uh, last I saw, her style wasn't working. Last I saw, what happened was the game passed her by, and her hyper-aggressive style, people had a counter for it. And, and also the word about her got around. And people realized, uh, you don't have to out-aggressive Vanessa. You let Vanessa hang herself. You let her just uh, keep hammering at you and then trap her. And and so she would just self-destruct. Even if she'd get a good stack going, she would eventually self-destruct, especially in uh, in deeper stacked, slower structures where uh, the, 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 the tortoise ends up being beating the hare in those events usually. And like, look, look at the guy who won this year, Hossein Ensan. Was he a, a crazy, tricky player? No. Hossein Ensan was a very solid player who played a tight, aggressive style, who read the situations very well, and knew when to put his chips in and when not to put his chips in. But his his thing was not running people off hands or playing crazy or being super aggressive. That was not his thing. I played with him. I doubled off him. I busted against him. I, I got to see the way he played. And uh, he played in a style that doesn't surprise me, ended up winning the event. So uh, that's often the type of person who wins that type of event. I know it's a unique event because it's very, very slow. 
but but still a lot of people have adjusted to where their their current kind of defensive strategy especially at deeper stacked events can be a good counter to someone like Vanessa and that's why we've seen some embarrassing hands on Vanessa's part where she just shoots off into someone and uh, and they get all her chips and uh what I did see of her, and maybe I just saw her at bad moments, and when I say I saw her, I didn't see her in person, but I would see uh, recaps or, or videos, where she wouldn't know where she was in the hand. It's one thing to try to put an aggressive move on someone and hope they fold, but she wasn't. She didn't have a good feel for when it's not working. She didn't have a feel for, okay, this person's going to call me down and, and put all their chips in no matter what I do. So there's no way I'm going to get them off this. They may feel uncomfortable. They may get close to folding, but they're probably calling time to give up. For some reason, she she has a hard time backing off at that point. And there's been video after video of her playing this way, both in cash and in tournaments. And for a while it worked. You, you don't rack up that many caches if this wasn't ever working. Obviously, it was working for quite some time. But in more modern poker tournaments, especially tougher ones, people have learned how to counter this. So I don't think she was ever using GTO and exploitative play. Uh, I think she was just using kind of a hyper-aggressive play to run people off hands. And also, the the one benefit of playing like that is that when you really do have it, people can't lay it down against you. You get action. And that's that's how it can work. If you're running well, I, I'm sure a lot of you have had the experience where you're running very well and you just get no action. And you just think, oh... Why couldn't I have been a maniac before I got this run of cards? They would have called me down for all this stuff. But everyone's folding against me because they see I don't put my chips in unless I have something very good. And and there's good players who realize that. They don't give me action. And, and even though I'm getting all these good hands, I'm not getting anywhere. So that's that can be a problem for tournament players. And if you are always going crazy, then people will give you a ton of action. The downside is when you're always going crazy, you're going to shoot off stacks a lot. So what I haven't really seen from her is where she can change gears or have a good feel of when her opponent is not going to give up and is going to call her down. As I said, maybe she changed, but her style of play I don't feel is good for 2020 tournament poker. Especially people who are going to be taking Learn WPT courses, because I'll tell you, you know what happens at the lower limits? People are calling stations. People don't like laying down their hands. Where, where you're going to crush people at lower limits if you're a decent player is when they can't get away from hands. That's where you're mainly going to crush them. There's the occasional maniac who just shoots off, but there's also people who just will not let it go, will not let go of top pair for any reason, uh, will put all their chips in if uh, even though there's a, an obvious flush on the board and they don't have the flush. In fact, they're... That's who you're going to beat. And uh, you, you don't want to be doing that type of style against the calling station. And I, I've seen that mistake before. I've seen I've seen good pros make this mistake where they just have a hard time playing fish. I see good pros who are very tough for like, people like me to deal with, but then they're up against fish and they screw up. I've seen them just shoot off all their chips to a an obvious calling station to me, like a guy I know that who doesn't put, not only a calling station, like a tight calling station, like someone you know is not putting their chips in in the first place if they don't have a hand. And then they try to run them off and, and like the, the, the fish feels uncomfortable, like, oh crap, like I don't like putting all these chips in, I don't have the absolute nuts, but all right, I can't, I mean, there's no way I can fold this. And then they call with an overpair and then it turns out the pro is just hammering them with nothing and busts. 
And I've watched that happen before. I've watched that multiple times. So you have to know your player. You have to know your opponent. That's a very important thing to be successful in tournament poker. When I have been successful in no-limit tournaments, and I won't say I'm as successful in those as Vanessa, not even close, but like at the main event, and even other events, like other no-limit events where I've run deep, uh, a lot of that comes from knowing my opponent. A lot of that comes from knowing exactly who I'm dealing with and and what they're likely to do or what they're not likely to do. And then I've, I've been able to make some really good laydowns and I've been able to make some good uh, light calls. And uh, the toughest ones to deal with are the players who you don't know exactly what they're doing. So uh, that that's that's the key. Anyway, uh, that's what she's doing now. And uh, the question is why? Uh, is this just some extra bucks she wants? Like it's easy? Because it is pretty easy if you're teaching learn WPT, which is like an online course, uh, maybe it can make her some decent money and it's fairly easy to do. So that doesn't mean she's broke. Like let's say, let's say uh, a company like that approached me and said, uh, Hey Todd, how would you like to make some limit holding videos? I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. Like as, as long as there's enough money, in it. if, they, if I'm going to make like 50 bucks from it, I'm not going to do it. But let, let's say there was some decent money in it. Not huge money, but decent money. I'd say, yeah, sure, I'll make some limit holding videos. Okay, and, and uh, there may be some players who'd like some online coaching from you. Um, and you'll make decent money from that. Will you do it? I'd say, yeah, probably. Does that mean I'm broke? No, it just means that uh, I, I feel the money is worth my time to do it. So I, I don't want to say, oh, Vanessa's busto. That's why she's doing Learn WPT. And she has run a, a training site before, as it mentions, and she wasn't broke then. So I, I don't want to make too many conclusions here, but it is it is interesting. Like, if she's really working still at Bridgewater, is she really, like, does she have time to do this? I don't know. This kind of sounds like this is what she's doing now, especially with that weird statement about uh, shifting her time, reprioritizing her time with a kid. Wouldn't that mean she has less time to do this than more? Wouldn't that mean she'd have more time to do this back when she didn't have the kid? This kind of sounds like it's an excuse for why she's not working anymore, and this is what she does now like as part-time work. I guarantee you, well, not guarantee, but I will say it's uh, it's likely, according to my knowledge of her, that if she is no longer working at Bridgewater, it's either because she was laid off from something like COVID related, which is very, it's very possible she got laid off, but no fault of her own because of the weird times we live in, or she got fired because of behavior. And this is now what she's doing. She's like, well, got to make money some way, or let's, let's have a guaranteed income in some way. And I've got a kid here. I've got to support. I don't even know if her wife works, but, uh, this, this may be like a guaranteed income stream that she wants to have at this point. If she's not working at Bridgewater anymore. I tried to look. I, I, I didn't put like a lot of effort into it, but I, I kind of browsed their website to see if there's a list of people working there or if there's anything about her not being there anymore. But I couldn't find anything anywhere. If any of you know, if you have any connections to Bridgewater or if you've heard from someone that knows her, if she's still there or not, I would I would like to know this just uh, out of curiosity. I would find it more interesting if she was fired for behavioral reasons than just getting laid off because of COVID. But whatever the facts are, the facts are. All right. I want to give you a, a little notice about something that might be happening, probably will be happening on June 8th. Stone's Gambling Hall, home of the Mike Postle cheating scandal, is planning a June 8th reopening. 
you may wonder, well, what restrictions are they going to be under? They're not an Indian casino. They are a, a card room in Sacramento, the Sacramento area. They're not actually in Sacramento, but they're close to Sacramento. Uh, so they can't just make up their own rules. Uh, supposedly, they're going to run uh, pretty much business as usual. And uh, they are going to have uh, six fewer tables than normal. But otherwise, they're, they're pretty much... Uh, running the same thing, according to my source. Uh, I don't know how much they suffered in live traffic since the Apostle scandal. I don't know how much this hurt them business-wise. I know this derailed their rapidly growing and uh, respected live stream that Apostle played on. That was they, they were on the way to becoming a second live at the bike. And maybe even growing past them, but that's that's definitely not going to happen now. That's pretty much done. Even that, that was way before COVID, they suspended that. I don't know if it's ever coming back. Even if it does come back, like the, they were getting big name players to it. They had a, like even Negroni played on it. They they were getting players who went there that you wouldn't have expected would go to Sacramento to play poker on on a little live stream. That that it grew and grew, and they they were doing a great job with it. Except for the fact that they were cheating people, that was a that was a little problem there. They were allowing power, uh, possible to cheat people, so that that's the end of that. They're like poker pros are never going to go back there to play on their live stream. If they do revive the live stream, it'll be like a bunch of nobodies. Nobody's going to go back there who's any kind of real name in poker. Their their hopes of becoming something relevant in the poker live live stream world have been dashed permanently. They took down the glass that separated the poker room and the uh, California games. And what they're doing is they are uh, moving that glass over to the poker side to make the California games bigger. So the California games, which are all the games that are not poker, that they're allowed to spread. Things like this weird version of Blackjack and the other thing, they, the stuff they run in California card rooms. That, uh, that's going to be bigger and poker is going to be smaller. They also have dismantled the Stones Live booth, at least for now, because they're not using it and may never use it again. As I said, that was like a big marketing tool for them, and it was working well. And now that it has a very negative uh, connotation to it, now that it has a very bad reputation, like I, I can't see how they could use that for marketing without reminding people what happened to it. So I, I think that's just done. I think they're going to go out at the live streaming business. So now they actually have two licenses, according to the source I spoke to. I was told that they have a license for the California games and a license separately for the poker. So I, I don't know if that's going to affect anything. And uh, they are projected to reopen June 8th, but it is possible that uh, the state of California will not let them. And uh, it is. Uh, and I, I, that's the last I heard. Reportedly, Stones is already having employees come in for orientation for the new procedures involving COVID. And they're training poker dealers to deal the California games because there's going to be more California games than poker games, which didn't used to be the case. They're still waiting for the state to give the final okay to open on June 8th. If that doesn't happen then it may not reopen. We'll talk about it very shortly about uh, what's going on in California with the coronavirus, which uh, I don't think is going to affect stones, but there is there is some bad news out of California involving the coronavirus. 
I hope Stones crashes and burns, to be honest. I mean, they, they have another casino in the area called Thunder Valley, which also wants to open up in uh, on June 8th. They, Thunder Valley can very well take over what Stones was doing. They already exist, but I'm saying, like, you don't need Stones. Like, if you if you get rid of Stones, it's not like people in that area can't play. And as far as I'm concerned, they don't deserve to have the room anymore. That doesn't mean they can't have it or won't have it. I'm just saying I wish they didn't have it because they uh, – really screwed everybody. They really screwed the poker world. And I don't think ownership knew that Mike Possel was cheating, but there was definitely inside help there. And they're definitely trying to absolve themselves of guilt. And they're try- all, all they want to do is not be legally liable. And, and they tried to cover it up and tried not to investigate. They also made false promises about investigating. They also lied about investigating when they didn't, or if they did, they did so little that they came to the wrong conclusion. Remember, they claimed they did an investigation and found nothing was wrong, which is absurd. So I'm, I'm not rooting for Stone's Gambling Hall, let's just say that, despite the fact that I personally had a nice experience there. I had a nice meal. I played on that live stream for 100-200. Uh, uh, I think I about broke even on the stream. I won overall in the game, if you count the non-stream play. I had a good time there, but things have changed. So that's the end of our uh, poker subjects for right now. We're going to have two more subjects about uh, poker and gambling after we do our coronavirus segment, which is going to be much shorter this time, which is good because it's 3.30 in the morning and I'm not going to do a four-hour coronavirus segment. We have four things to talk about involving the coronavirus. And first, let's talk about what we have to look forward to involving the summer. question is, are we going to have a cruel summer with the coronavirus? And we might. Now, the assumption has been for a long time that the coronavirus is going to recede in the summer months. And there's science behind it. The science behind the summer not being cruel is that, uh, number one, it's been shown that the coronavirus dies in direct sunlight very quickly. Not if you have it, but uh, like on surfaces. And number two, that the sun is up longer and that uh, there's more opportunity for it to die in the sun. And because it's up higher in the sky and up longer, it shines into windows and will kill the coronavirus on surfaces indoors. And number three, the coronavirus likes the temperature 39 degrees the best. That's the ideal temperature for the coronavirus to survive on surfaces. 
which, by the way, is about the temperature of your refrigerator, which isn't good, but that is the exact temperature the coronavirus loves the most. And as you go up from there and down from there, it likes it less and less and will die faster and faster. So the hotter it gets above 39 degrees, the less time it will survive on surfaces. Now, this isn't going to make that much of a difference if we're not getting it from surfaces very often, but still, that's the... the Temp- that's the temperature it likes the best, which obviously you're not seeing very much 39 degrees anywhere near there in most places in the summer. So these are all factors where it's believed that maybe the summer will bring down the number of infections. Additionally, people are outside more in the summer because they like the weather better. So that could also be a reason. The less time people spend indoors, the less time, the less chance they're going to get it. Also, uh, it's, it's easier to space out outdoors than indoors where people tend to be more cramped and near each other and more will, more likely to transmit. Uh, other coronaviruses have also subsided somewhat in the summer. Remember, this is not the first coronavirus we know of, just the worst one. And even the flu subsides somewhat in the summer. So for those reasons, we would think that the summer is going to lead to us uh, having a lesser problem. However, we just reopened everything. Not everything, but a lot of things have reopened. And as time passes, more and more is going to reopen. Now, the good news about that is that we haven't seen a tremendous spike in number of cases. In fact, in some places, initially it appeared the new cases were going down despite the reopening which made people even start to doubt whether the lockdown was necessary in the first place. Even those that agreed with the lockdown were saying, well, it makes sense why we did it out of caution, but it turns out in hindsight, it probably didn't help very much. That's some people's opinion. Uh, and, And that opinion was based on that we weren't seeing an increase in new cases when these places opened up. Now, it is different because now that there's all now that we had the lockdown and we're reopening people are more willing to do the social distancing it's kind of like we went to the more extreme measure first and then we make it less extreme people are like okay well we'd rather have reopen with social distancing than just no reopening so let's let's reopen with social distancing whereas if you go from uh, everything totally normal to social distancing some people have a problem with that and not follow it as as well uh, so it is possible that people are just social distancing well, whereas before the lockdown they were not, which they weren't. So that would explain why the cases are not getting as bad. However, uh, the cases are going back up in the last few days, and it's uh, the news is not as good as it looked before. Uh, I was It was really encouraging that we were starting to see number of deaths that were under 1,000 per day in the United States, which is crazy. You'd think before like a, a thousand deaths per day of anything in the, in the U.S. that that is new is pretty bad. But uh, for the coronavirus, that's good news. But we were seeing a number of deaths that was like seven-something, uh, five-something, six-something, and that was a huge improvement. And we were seeing new cases that were significantly lower as well. Remember, we were sitting at around 25 new cases. 25,000 new cases a day that were uh, tested and verified in the U.S. and probably a lot more than that were that were not tested and verified, and about 2,000 deaths a day. I know that number is controversial. Some people think it's too high. Some think it's too low. Let's just go with a 2,000. So that, that's uh, that's what we were at, and then it sank all the way into the triple digits, sometimes even like the mid-triple digits for deaths, and it sank below 20,000 new cases per day, even with the reopening in some places. So, so there was a, this was really 
a good reason to celebrate and say, look, maybe we are on the way out because of this whole summer thing. We're not in summer yet, but we're in late spring. We're not that far from summer. Summer is now three weeks away. And the days are very long now. In fact, the days right now are longer than it will be for most of the summer. So that appeared to be the good news. Unfortunately, uh, in the last few days, we saw a spike in everything. We saw a spike, I'm talking about overall in the country. We saw a spike in deaths back to around uh, 1,500. We saw a spike in new cases back to around 23,000. We're not quite to where we were before, but it's it's getting up there again. And the question is, what's how high is it going to go? I don't think it's going to reach the previous peak of near 3,000 deaths a day. But uh, we we may get closer to that 2,000 again and and closer to that 25,000 new cases again with a reopening. Now, does that mean we shouldn't reopen? No. Uh, If we can reopen and still kind of maintain what was happening with the lockdown, then that's still the right thing to have done. We can't just stay closed forever, especially with no vaccine around the corner, with no treatment around the corner. You can't just remain closed and destroy all the economies. It's just not not realistic. You can't do it. And that's why there's a much stronger sentiment to reopen than uh, there was before. People are just coming to realize we've got to start everything up again. And maybe it's time for each person just to assess their own personal risk and go from there. So young people, they don't have to worry too much. Middle-aged people, be cautious. Very old people, be extremely cautious. And just determine for yourself uh, what risk you're willing to take. The... Concern, though, is coming from California. And uh, I can give you some numbers that will really uh, shake you a bit if you're in California. Now, remember the days when New York was just a disaster? And that uh, they were, even though they have a smaller population than California by a a fairly wide margin, that they were getting like a 27 thousand or not 20 20 like 20 something i don't know if it's 27 but like 21 20 something times the cases that california was so california is the bigger population and yet uh, new york is getting 20 times or more of the cases california was getting it, it was insane so california was getting they were getting cases they were having people die but uh, given that they're like 12 percent of the u.s population and they're they're 40 40 million people they were doing very well. And uh, New York was a disaster. And the states surrounding New York that are considered part of the greater New York City area, such as New Jersey and Connecticut, were a disaster. And California got to sit and look and go, okay, well, we've got some threat here, but it's uh, it's under control here. New York, what a freaking disaster area. We're glad we're not them. And that's kind of what I thought, being a Californian myself. But as has been the case with this virus, things change quickly. Remember when Washington, remember Seattle was the big hotspot and then that that got under control? Remember when uh, Louisiana was terrible? That got under control? And then we started talking about New York? Well, California is now starting to have its day of reckoning. New cases that were tested and confirmed in... Uh, on, on uh, May 30th, or actually May 29th from 5 p.m. to May 30th at 5 p.m., New York had uh, 1,237 new cases that were uh, tested and verified. Uh, the uh, New Jersey 
had only 525 new cases tested and verified. Connecticut, 260 cases tested and verified. California had 3,139 new cases tested and verified. Uh Uh-oh. That is not good. Now, I've heard the excuse that California is just testing more. So you test more, you're going to get more positive results, but that doesn't mean there's actually more positive people. It just means that you know about them now. But I don't think that explains it all. And I've heard that L.A. County has been especially problematic. That this, That's where the big hotspot is. That uh, L.A. County, which had done very well with coronavirus cases and deaths, is now having a big issue. Uh, what I'm seeing here is that of... The 3,100 or so cases yesterday, two-thirds of them were in L.A. County, more than two-thirds. 2,089 new cases were found yesterday in L.A. County with 48 new deaths. Uh, Compare that to San Francisco and Santa Clara counties in the Bay Area, which had zero new deaths yesterday. And uh, as far as new cases, they only had about uh, the 83 combined. Now, that's a tremendous difference. Santa Clara and San Francisco County combined, 83 new cases, zero deaths. L.A. County, 2,089 cases, 48 deaths. That is uh, pretty bad. Now, L.A. County does have a lot of people. So Los Angeles County, the population in uh, 2020 is estimated to be about 10 million. San Francisco County, the population is estimated to be about almost 900,000. Santa Clara County, that's a pretty small uh, population compared to LA County. Santa Clara County, uh, a little less than 2 million. So we're talking about uh, about a th- 30% the size of LA County's population if you combine those two. But okay, let, let's say roughly three times, three and a half times more. Let's compare it to Los Angeles. Los Angeles County, being about three and a half times the size of those two combined, had about like 50 times the cases and infinity times the deaths because it was 48 to zero. That's a big problem. And that's not just for more testing. Now, what about surrounding counties to Los Angeles. I'll tell you the name of the county surrounding Los Angeles. Uh, Los Angeles County is pretty big, but it does have some neighboring counties, and a lot of people travel between the counties, especially for work. Uh, There's Orange County, of course. They're not nearly as bad off. They had 131 new cases and only one new death, but this L.A. County problem could easily bleed over to Orange County. They're, They're bordering each other. Orange County has uh, about the same as Santa Clara and San Francisco County combined. Orange County is uh, a little more than 3 million people. What about Ventura County, which also directly borders in a different direction? They directly border to the northwest of L.A. County. Uh, Ventura County has only 846,000 people, so a little bit less than a million. Ventura County is still doing very well. Only 10 new cases and one death. So Ventura County continues to avoid the coronavirus, but they, they, it's hard to believe this doesn't spill over. Uh, San Bernardino County, which you pass through on the way to Vegas from L.A., 166 new cases 
and six new deaths, if you're wondering the size of San Bernardino County. Geographically, it's the biggest county in the U.S., but population-wise, they only have two million. So they're about they're about 20% of the size of L.A. County is still doing much better coronavirus-wise, uh, having about uh, – looks like about 16 times less – 16 times fewer cases. Riverside County, which – is also near L.A. County, doesn't directly border it. I lived in Riverside County for uh, some years in the 1990s, which I described earlier. Uh, they have uh, almost 2.5 million, so about a quarter of the population of L.A. County, and uh, they are doing really well. They supposedly had zero new cases and eight new deaths reported. Now, this may be from lack of testing. I don't know, but uh, zero new cases they're claiming of 2.5 million people. That doesn't sound right to me, but... Uh, so there may be some testing differential here, but but I, it, it has been acknowledged that L.A. County is possibly the new COVID hotspot. And that might be the new place for death and despair in uh, the United States. That's not good news for me, who lives uh, in that area. The area where I personally live is not affected that badly at the moment. But uh, things could change very quickly. Let's just say I'm I'm not all that far from where it's getting bad. So that's that's a little bit concerning. I, I always felt like okay, the, the silver lining here is I'm in an area that's not that hard hit, and that's not true anymore. Right now, in fact, it appears that uh, the the worst place to be by a wide margin for the coronavirus is Los Angeles County, as far as the United States is concerned. Also, things are just starting to reopen. The bad timing. It may or may not have to do with the reopening. It may just be this is where it's hitting next. I'm not sure what exactly causes these outbreaks where some areas just suddenly get hit. But uh, that seems to be happening in L.A. County. So if you're if you're in L.A. County, be careful. Even if you're in a neighboring county that is not affected that badly, like Orange or Ventura or San Bernardino or Riverside, uh, still watch out because there's a lot of spillover. There's a lot of people traveling between the two. So it may just be a matter of time until uh, these cases move over to your county. The rest of the country is doing a lot better. New York's doing a lot better. Um, but uh, the, the places that have reopened, they are still doing fairly well. Texas has seen an increase, but that's to be expected. They, they have a lot open. But they still have only uh, 1,200 – they still have, they have 1,290 new cases and 25 new deaths uh, yesterday. The population of Texas, 29 million. Texas with the uh, 29 million population, they're almost three-quarters the size of California. And they have a lot fewer new cases at the moment, only uh, 1,290 versus uh, 3,139. Illinois, they have been hard hit. They could also be a hot spot. Illinois – has uh, 1,462 new cases, and they have a population of only uh, 12.67 million. So that's another one to watch out for if you live uh, in Illinois. So we'll have to see. While it's getting a lot better in the New York area, now it's worsening in certain other area. Unfortunately, one of them is mine. Brazil is another place that is struggling with the coronavirus that wasn't before. Uh, that could be the theory of the winter 
at work. Because keep in mind that Brazil is not having their summer upon them. I mean, it's, it's not summer anywhere right now, but it's close to summer in the U.S., but it is close to winter in Brazil. It's late fall there. It's the equivalent of very late November in the U.S. in Brazil. So while the U.S. got hit in the winter, that's when this all started, it was summer in Brazil, and they had it pretty mild there. Brazil is getting really hard hit. They're actually getting more new cases, at least confirmed cases, than the U.S. had with over 30,000 yesterday and 890 deaths. That may be the really big hot spot in the world coming up very soon. It's already looking pretty bad over there. We have a call coming in. Let's see who this is. Hello, Jerox. Hello. Is this uh, One Step? You have to ask? Really? After all these years? I just, on. I just had to make the listener aware. So, yes, so, yes. So One Step, do you, do you, um, do you feel better that uh, New York is improving coronavirus-wise and it's moving here? Um, that's old news. <laughs> if you've watched the news recently... <laughs> But um, that that poker player, he's gone, right? I was going to try to ask him a question. Which poker player? The, that barber guy, I guess, or whatever. You oh yeah, yeah. What were you going to? What do you want to ask him? Uh, well, is he is he on or no? No, he, on no or? he hung up a long time ago. He's sleeping. Uh, that's that's a shame. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I was going I was going to ask him if you seen. Uh, he's ever played with Tom Bond and, and seen his dick, but I guess that's not going to happen. So. Well, I, 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 I think the answer might be yes and no. That would be my guess. Yes, either yes and no, and no yeah. and no. I don't. I don't know why he'd see his dick. I, well, I don't. I don't believe Andrew Barber's if gay. If it's if it's yes, then then there's an additional question to follow up. Um, well, but what? I'm curious. Are you strapped? Did you are you, are you strapped? Is who strapped? You. Uh, are you referring to am I armed? Is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about yeah. something with my penis? Okay, I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad. You're, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that wasn't like a penis term. Uh, yeah. I, yes, I'm armed. I, I have. I, I do carry a, uh, a at least one firearm here. Is all I will say. Interesting. I, I, Interesting. I, I, oh, I've had you, it for you, a long time. You carry, or do you have it at home? Or maybe you don't want to answer that question. It's fine. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't want to answer, but but I will say that I have uh, material to defend myself with. I, I got. I've, it's been that way since uh, 12 years ago. Actually, the reason it started was because uh, of a prank that was played on me. Where I, In Vegas, I, I was in a first-floor apartment in, in not a very good area, and someone threw uh, some, something against my window to make a big bang. It didn't break the window, but it like banged really loud. And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, oh, crap, what do I do? What if someone's going to just like burst through the window here? Like, what can I do? What do I have? I hit them with a chair. I try to hit them with a kitchen knife. I didn't. I had nothing to defend myself with. I go, this is ridiculous. You could, yeah, you, you could start talking, and they'll just, you know, uh, run away. I, I don't anyway, know. About, I don't know about that. Uh, we got we got uh, we got fifteen hundred, two thousand people here that don't run away. So I that, that wouldn't be very uh, very effective. So I at that point I said I I I went right out to get a gun, and uh, the the. What was funny is the day I actually got the gun, I it was actually the heaviest snow that has occurred in Vegas, I believe, in my lifetime. But what's going on there, One Step? What's what's happening in the background? Oh, I apologize. You you hear like a motor running? I heard like I thought I heard like talking in the background. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah yeah. No, I'm I'm on a boat right now. Um, what? Why would you be on a boat? I'm on a fishing. I'm on a fishing boat right now. You're on a, on a fishing boat? Where? 
Long Island. Long Island. So you're going fishing. Yes, yes, because it's it's seven eight it's seven a.m. here, um, close to it, obviously. Um, but yeah, no, I could I could see you I could see you carrying. You know, you're you're a tall guy. You can definitely uh, hide a uh, firearm, you know, rather easily. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think I'm 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 thinking about getting one myself. Um, you should not 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 so much for for me, but um, to. To have uh, to keep it in my house for my mom, but um, yeah, that's a good idea. That that, that she she'd ever she'd ever use it herself, but uh, why wouldn't she? Why wouldn't she just, don't you think she would use it if someone broke in and she was in danger? Uh, I think she'd be sorry about that. Um, I think she'd be she'd be more afraid uh, to to handle it. Most women are, but. Um, but yeah, interesting times. This is uh <laughs> Now you've complained before. Is, uh, you've complained on the website that you you can't get uh, twinks to meet you for for sex during this yeah, time. Is that so I, I don't understand why maybe someone can explain this to me or or I, I don't understand how people in my community, the LGBT community are siding with these individuals that are terrorizing people in the streets. Um, I don't understand how they are comparing this situation to um, uh, sexual discrimination or, or uh, discrimination for, for gays and lesbians in the, in the past. I, I, to me, it's mind-boggling, but there's a common trend. I feel like everyone under the age of 25, I feel, are siding with, with these, these uh, uh, looters. Um, and I don't necessarily know why that's the case. Um, well, I'm seeing a lot over 25 I, siding with them too. I, I, I agree, it's more common with young people. I've actually seen, I've argued with a number of people my age about this who, who are fine with the rioting and looting. You know, like just, just I'm just putting it out there. I'm size 13 shoe and size 36 pants. So I'm just saying, if anyone is listening that you know has some sort of inventory, please uh, hit me up via DM. But um, what, what, what inventory? I don't understand know. what you're. What are you looking for here? I anything that you want to offer, um, you know, anything that that, that, that comes across, uh, you know, maybe you pass by a Nike store. Oh, I see, I see. You know, you're looking for any maybe, inventory that maybe people picked up in the last few days. Yeah, maybe you know, I, I I do find it interesting. I'm curious if the same type of action would have happened a month ago when the coronavirus was at its peak, um, but you know. Yeah, maybe they would have been afraid. It, it is. So, so, so I want I want to hear about this. I know you had you have or had a, a female roommate, and you said that you you were with unable being unable to have men meet you to have sex with you. That you would have considered having sex with a female roommate, uh, but that you weren't attracted to her. But uh, now, do you have like? How do you feel about women overall? Do you, is it you'd rather be with men, but you'll you'll take a woman if if uh, if necessary? Like, how do you feel about sex with women? Does it does it excite you at all? Well, we already we already had this conversation, Charles. You keep asking me down the same really? talk track. I, 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 I like, bring up the the female. I bring up the female roomie because she. Uh, I, I would rather have a female roomie because I guess they're more uh, accepting of, of my lifestyle. Um, however, um, the past few times I've hooked up with a guy, there's been some decently loud noises coming from my room. So she might have not have been as um, 
uh, sort of pleased with that occurrence, <laughs> but I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my shit in. You know, like it's it's gonna happen especially after this quarantine is over um i have the entire house to myself now so you know uh can have wild orgies if, if i need if i need to great and you're not, you're not worried my, boat, I, I, my I, boat's leaving but i i i'm gonna I, I appreciate you taking my call again if things change in terms of the comping of the room in vegas or if you can hook me up or or something you know you know, like maybe a buffet voucher or something like that. You you let me know via DM, and I, I'd be greatly appreciated. Yeah, okay, one step. I don't know the next time I'll even set foot in the casino, though. That's the problem. Even better. So well, no, if I can't, if I can't uh, go in there, I'll I, pick I, your place first. No, for I, I, that, so. I, I can't get them. I, I can't go in to get them if I don't go in. No worries. Maybe some listener is listening right now, enjoys <laughs> my content and the, the, the um, what I've been contributing for the past 10-plus years. I'd, I'd be more than happy to, to take that. Okay. Oh, there's the boat, the boat horn. Okay, you, you yeah, can go one step. Yeah, all right, step. I got to go. All right, goodbye. Take it easy, Bye-bye. All right, there's one step uh, with a call during our, our coronavirus segment. All right, moving on to the next coronavirus topic. Let's talk about whether the riots will have a noticeable effect on the coronavirus numbers. Now, the Minnesota authorities say that they expect that's going to happen. They actually think that the riots will cause an uptick in numbers, that there were a whole lot of people in a crowd close to each other. Not all of them had masks, and it's very possible this is going to cause a spike in the numbers, especially in places where there are big riots. Obviously, there wasn't a lot of social distancing taking place. I don't know if you saw some of these crowds, but there's people right on top of each other as if this wasn't going on. If this really is transmitting easily through... uh, Respiratory means that's the worst thing you can do is get up right on top of other people. You don't want to get in a tightly packed crowd right now. There have been a number of uh, coronavirus cases that I've seen where it seems exactly that that's how people got it, even outdoors, where they're just right up close to each other. And if it really is true that surfaces aren't really doing this, that would make sense. But I've read a lot of different uh, stories about people who attend big parties or other things where there's a lot of people close together and talking you know, right up to each other's faces, and uh, they find they have the coronavirus a few days later. So is there going to be an uptick in cases in this? I, I think there's a good chance there will be. Is it going to be so high that it's going to stress the medical system? Uh, no, unless they burn down the hospitals. Then that's going to be a big problem. But yes, there probably some of these people out there protesting will get the coronavirus and probably some of these people protesting will get it and then spread it to others. Uh, as One Step pointed out that maybe people wouldn't have been so willing to riot in these big crowds if we were still at the peak a month ago when, when almost 3,000 people a day were dying – but I think maybe yes, because we're not out of the woods here. Now, now, some people falsely believe that we're mostly out of the woods because we're reopening things. We're, we're more reopening out of necessity. We're, we're reopening for a good reason. And that is, like, why are we staying closed if we're not going to overwhelm the healthcare system? And if this isn't going away anytime soon, why are we still closed? So that's – it's kind of like, well, we're just going to reopen because there's no other choice at this point. And unless we want to lock down for over a year – from this point, which we can't, then why not open now? Why damage the economy further? And that's what everyone discovered, and that's why we're doing it. 
And that's fine. And I agree with it. But it's not like the threat has gone away. And it, it's easier to believe when it seems like things are getting relaxed that that means we're getting better. But we're not. We, we, we're starting to get better and then it's starting to get worse in some places, especially California and Illinois. So uh, that's something to think about. And if you are considering going to one of these protests, even if you're not going to riot or loot, you just want to protest, which, as I said at the beginning of the show, if you want to protest something you're not happy about, then by all means do so. I, I don't care what you're protesting. If it's something that you feel and you're going to do it peacefully and not disrupt people, and when I said not disrupt people, I mean don't inhibit their movement, don't inhibit their driving, don't touch them, don't uh, harm their property, then fine, go ahead and protest. I don't have to agree with your cause. That's It's very American to protest. That's That's part of exercising your free speech. I just don't believe protest involves destroying things or harming other people. But at the same time, if you go in a big crowd, then that's not very advisable at this point. Now, I guess the people going out there who are young are going to be risking much less as long as they're not going to give it to anyone else who's older, as long as they stay away once they get it. Problem is you don't know you have it for two to three days, and typically sometimes longer, and that is the time you're supposedly most contagious, is right before symptoms show. So yes, this is going to be a little bit of setback at least, in all likelihood, in places where there was a lot of protests, and unfortunately, the place with the biggest problem at the moment, Los Angeles, they are having a lot of riots. That is nowhere near over. Someone sent me a picture today. They went hiking. I listened to the show. Went hiking in the L.A. area and sent me a picture. They could see very clearly the smoke rising from the fires in Los Angeles. And they weren't that close. They were they were a good distance away. And you see this big plume of smoke rising. Not good. It's bad enough when that happens uh, where no one's doing it on purpose, when the fires just happen in the fall, but not when they're set on purpose in the spring. L.A. doesn't get many fires in the spring, usually. Occasionally, but usually they come in October, September, November. Uh, they don't typically come in May. And they're coming in May right now because people are setting them. Really bad. So there are people Here, L.A. is suffering with the, its worst coronavirus problem yet, and, and people are getting together in, in, in groups, in large groups, to protest. That's real smart. Because that's something to keep in mind. If you live in L.A., it is the worst right now that it's ever been. That's only it, – it's just because you're not locking down anymore, it does not mean that it's getting better. In fact, it's getting worse in L.A. So if you are in L.A., uh, like right now, it, it, it's more dangerous than a month ago and two months ago. It may not feel like it, but it is. So that's very stupid. That's another reason they shouldn't be occurring. That's not even being discussed. People are discussing that the coronavirus might be a cause in part of the riots, which I agree with. It might be people's general frustration – led to them being angrier and being uh, and wanting to be more destructive. That might be true. But there's not as much discussion of maybe this isn't a smart thing to do for uh, public health reasons. The big crowd getting together to protest. Masks or no masks. Speaking of something not smart, as our final coronavirus topic, I want to talk about Governor Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan. I know that there's partisan opinions about the different governors. The Republicans find the excuses they can to bash the Democratic governors, and the Democratic governors find the excuse, or the Democrats find the excuse to bash the Republican governors. And that's the way politics works. 
I will say, though, that I've seen two governors who have really screwed it up when it comes to nursing homes. And nursing homes have been the biggest problem in the coronavirus pandemic. That's what's been the hardest hit by a very wide margin. And that is because it's full of old people who are in close quarters. So these nursing homes are getting devastated by the coronavirus. Not only is it spreading fast there, but a lot of people are dying because a lot of people at nursing homes are either old or very sick or both. People don't typically go to nursing homes because they are uh, healthy and able. Even old people, they don't go there unless they need the help. So that's uh, a lot of people in bad condition and they're all old. Well, two state governors screwed this up badly. In New York, Andrew Cuomo, who for reasons I can't imagine is always given credit for doing great in this coronavirus pandemic. He didn't do great at all. New York screwed everything up. New York did nothing right. Just because Andrew Cuomo would get on TV every day and and talk like an angry Italian guy and bash Trump and sound like he's he's doing clear, sens- sensible, no BS talk, that, that doesn't mean that he's done a good job. When it comes to decisions he's made, he's done a lot of stupid things. One of the stupid things he did was sending people to nursing homes after that the, after they were diagnosed with COVID and then released from the hospital. And uh, that should not have been happening. Given how vulnerable the nursing homes were, given how many deaths were occurring there, it should have been the opposite. It should be that if you had COVID, that you should be kept away from nursing homes, that you, you shouldn't set foot in one. And they should keep you away. Instead, it was the opposite. It was crazy. And as a result, uh, a lot more people died in nursing homes than should have. I mean, a lot of people are going to die there anyway. But it, it was a really, really bad situation. The New York Post, for example, uh, just released an article uh, yesterday called uh, New York's Nursing Home Horrors Are Even Worse Than You Think. And it said, uh, COVID has killed at least eleven to 12,000 nursing home and assisted living residents in New York alone, nearly double what the state admits to. And as the deaths mount, so have the lies and cover-ups. The carnage in, started in March when hospitals inundated with COVID-19 patients insisted in clearing out elderly patients, even though they were still infected, and sending them to whatever nursing homes had empty beds. So Cuomo was, was cool with that. Cuomo uh, not only let that happen, but on March 25th, Cuomo's health department mandated that nursing homes had to accept COVID patients and barred requiring any coronavirus tests for admission. So just someone has COVID-19, they had to take them. They could not turn anyone away because they had the coronavirus or were suspected to have it. Can you imagine? How do you do that to a nursing home? So uh, they're saying that... uh, the state is only admitting to about uh, 5,500, 6,000 nursing home deaths. It's actually assumed there's about double of what really died there. And that's just in New York alone. And that the state has been trying to cover it up. So that, uh, and the point of this was not because Governor Cuomo hates old people. It's because the, the belief was, okay, hospitals are running out of beds. So, uh, Provided we think the 
elderly people here are going to survive it, even if they're still contagious, let's just send them to nursing homes. Let's send them to nursing homes where they can get care and uh, and we can empty the beds out for new patients coming in. This is when they were starting to worry they didn't have enough beds. They never ran out of beds, but they were starting to worry they won't have enough. So they're like, okay, where can we send these excess patients? I know. How about elder, put the elderly people in nursing homes that have space because this way we, we free hospital beds and the nursing homes can take care of them. Genius, except for the fact that they have contagious COVID-19 that's going to kill the other people in the nursing homes who are the most vulnerable Americans there are. What a freaking moron. How, how can anyone say he was doing a good job? And look this up. This was the truth. Go look it up. I'm not making this up. This isn't some right-wing conspiracy theory. This is the truth. And, and, and he has not gotten the flack that he deserves for this because the mainstream media does not want to criticize Democratic governors. They, they want to put up the narrative that Trump and the Republican governors are the terrible ones and that uh, the Democratic governors did it right, especially Cuomo, who's been so popular with his news conferences and his bashing of Trump and his pseudo straight talk. But he did a horrible job. Now, I want to talk about an even worse situation. Someone did an even worse job involving the nursing homes than Cuomo. And that's who I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, Gretchen Whitmer. She really screwed this up, and and it still isn't fully understood how bad it was. Like, it's been really bad, but uh, it may have been worse. Uh, The controversy really started... Because of uh, a video that came out, and and by the way, uh, this is to show you that uh, there's trash in all races, and that uh, yeah, there's there's white there's black people doing very bad things to white people that end up on video, and uh, you know you you don't you can't just riot every time you see something like that. You can be disgusted with it, but you have to say, look, maybe this was uh, an individual who was bad rather than a whole race. That's the way I view it. So there's a video of a 20-year-old black man in a nursing home. Is he an employee? No. Why was he there? Why was a 20-year-old man in a nursing home? Well, he was videoed beating, like just viciously beating old people, very old, frail people, old, frail white people. It was a disgusting video, this 20-year-old man beating old, frail white people in this nursing home. So why was he there if he didn't work there? Why was he there? Well, they sent him there because not only was not only was he 20 years old in a nursing home, the reason they sent him there was that he's a COVID-19 patient. And for some reason, Governor Gretchen Whitner said that they need to take people who are not elderly who have the coronavirus into nursing homes. There's so many things wrong with that. So this uh, 20-year-old, I guess he had some uh, mental, emotional problems, whatever. He, was not, he wasn't a normal 20-year-old. He, he had psychological issues for sure. Why he was beating these old people, I don't know. But he was on video just beating old people for no reason. And, and he was COVID-19 positive. That's why they sent him there. For whatever reason, Gretchen Whitmer the controversial Democratic governor of Michigan thought that it was smart to send people to nursing homes who are not even of 
nursing home age, young people and middle-aged people who have COVID-19. Why? Why would you ever do that? Why? Why would you ever send people who are not old to a nursing home who have COVID-19? That's that's insane. I don't know why she thought that could have possibly been a good idea. And this was an executive order on April 15th that required nursing homes at less than 80% capacity to create dedicated units for, quote, COVID-19 effective residents and mandated that they take in new patients as long as they had, quote, appropriate protection equipment for employees. And no consideration that this is going to kill the old people there. Just, just they're supposed to take these people in and, and cordon off a section for those who are COVID-19 positive. Again, it was one of these capacity things. Like, okay, that's, that's a good place to put him. Again, the stupid thinking is that nursing homes, as long as the employees there are protected, that they have a way to take care of people who have a hard time taking care of themselves because the, the coronavirus is, uh, is making them so weak. I, I, I still don't know why that 20 year old was there because he wasn't, uh, he clearly was energetic enough to beat up old people. But the thinking is, rather than have these people clog, clog up hospitals, the ones who don't need uh, you know, really intensive medical care that just need rest, uh, put them in nursing homes where they can be taken care of, even if they're not old. So they said, look, if you have a nursing home, if it's not full, then separate some of the space for COVID patients that aren't necessarily elderly, and we're going to send them there, and you have no choice. We're, we're sending you there. Didn't bother to think about what might happen from that. Then she revised the order that required nursing homes to, quote, make all reasonable efforts to create a unit dedicated to the cure and isolation of COVID-19, but does not make it mandatory. And it also uh, said that they shouldn't accept the return of a hospitalized COVID-19 resident if uh, they didn't have a dedicated unit to care for them. However, that... uh, First of all, doesn't go far enough. It's still saying that the, they should try to take people in who have COVID-19. It's not even admitting they screwed up or, or changing it. And, and second, the other order stood for a while. And guess what happened? I know you're shocked, but a lot of old people died. A lot more died than were dying elsewhere. How many? That's a good question, because there's apparently a big cover-up going on right now. Michigan is trying very, very hard to cover up the deaths in nursing homes so people can't figure this out and hold Whitmer and the government accountable for this horrendous mistake. The AARP and other senior advocates have been demanding greater transparency in nursing homes, and uh, there's claims that... uh, it's possible that nursing homes have accounted for as many as 43% of all COVID-19 deaths. Not just old people, 43%. Nursing homes, 43% of all COVID-19 deaths nationwide. But there's a fear that in Michigan, it's much higher than that. Pennsylvania made a similar mistake, in especially in some counties, where, uh, and, and again, they, they did the same thing. And uh, 69% of Pennsylvania deaths are reporting to be reported to be in nursing homes. Another huge screw up. 
why are they doing this? Why why are they screwing this up with the nursing homes? Why are they actually putting people into nursing homes who are known to have COVID-19, even people who aren't old? So these states are all trying to cover it up, especially Michigan, and people are demanding, we want the truth. We want to see what the real numbers are of people dying in Michigan nursing homes, and the state is acting real funny about this. They're really trying to avoid releasing this data. They're, they're, uh, they're claiming that they're uh, collecting information. Uh, they're not sure yet. We'll, we'll get back to you later. This information isn't known, and they, they basically haven't released it. At one point, health officials in Michigan has said that uh, they they don't even want to release a list of nursing homes with suspected COVID-19 cases because it would cause, quote, undue stress on the nursing homes. You think? <laughs> How can you be this stupid? Really? You know that's the most vulnerable segment of the population. You know that's where a lot of the deaths are occurring. And you actually bring COVID cases in and say, oh, you just separate them. Just put them in a different part of the building. It'll be fine. We, we got to leave hospital beds free, which, by the way, they had. But even if they don't, you, you can't find anywhere else to put them besides the nursing home. What, what's next? Are they, are they going to put uh, lions in? To uh, or they can put lions that they have excess of in a pasture with cows because they have nowhere else to put the lions. It's pretty much the same thing. They're they're bringing people with a disease that kills mostly old people into nursing homes. They're knowingly bringing them in. They're mandating they put them in there. Andrew Cuomo did it, and then Gresham Whitmer did it worse by demanding that people go there even if they're not. Uh, old, that nursing homes have to take people even if they're young. And then we also have the type of situation like what happened on that video where people are accepted who also mistreat the elderly people they're living with. Because they're very vulnerable to that too. Because they can't defend themselves. It's not like one old person attacking another. This is a a very able-bodied 20-year-old wailing on old people who, who can barely walk. So you're bringing some of those people in too. Now, yes, most people brought in there are not going to be beating up the old people, but some probably will. Some of the deranged individuals there probably will. Some will act like bullies and do it. I would be so angry right now if I had a parent in a nursing home that where this is going on. You're worrying enough for them in a nursing home right now because of COVID-19. Here the government's actually making it worse. Here the government's actually bringing the disease into the home. And if you think I'm exaggerating, if you think I'm making this up, go look it up. Go Google Gretchen Whitmer nursing homes. Go Google Andrew Cuomo nursing homes. Go Google Pennsylvania nursing homes. And you will see that this has been happening and that I'm not exaggerating. So this, in case you think, I know people were saying, oh, the coronavirus, it would be, uh, it wouldn't be nearly as bad in the U.S. if only Democrats were in charge. Well, they are in some places, and you see what's happened. Uh, so far, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I haven't seen any Republican governors doing this. I have not seen any Republican governors mandating that uh, people with COVID-19 uh, go into nursing homes. Haven't seen that. 
I've seen the reverse. I've seen where Republican governors have said they will not be going to nursing homes. They've mandated that they are not allowed in nursing homes. I have seen that. I have not seen the reverse where they're brought in, where they have to be brought in, where the nursing homes can't refuse them if they aren't at capacity. How can he be that stupid? I'm not even saying it's evil. It's just stupid. It's mind-bogglingly stupid. It's it's being done by arrogant, stupid people who are in charge, who think they know what's best and they don't know what they're doing, and they won't listen to anyone telling them, "Hey, you know this is this is going to kill people," and then they do it anyway. Really, really crazy. Okay, that's that's it for the coronavirus topics. I want to uh, do two other little topics before we shut this down. The D in Las Vegas, which is a downtown casino, had an interesting giveaway recently. The owner, Derek Stevens, had a promotion abruptly on Twitter on May 27th. I'm going to play it for you. He put out a video on Twitter. People weren't expecting it. And it really was a first-come, first-serve contest. Listen to this. Hi, I'm Derek Stevens. I'm the owner of the D Las Vegas Golden Gate Hotel and Casino and Circus Sports. I want to welcome you back to Las Vegas. And in doing so, we're buying a thousand flights from various cities around the country on a number of airlines. It's on us. Obviously, my team and I would like you to stay at one of our hotels. But if you don't, that's all right too. Because Las Vegas needs you, our community needs you. We're just trying to do our share. Keep America flying. Keep Las Vegas rolling. Go to the D.com for more details. So the bad news is that this is over. It's it's already been given away. This is on, on May 27th. Uh, the, it was a first come first serve thing. The first thousand people that went to the D.com and signed up for this got a free one-way flight to Las Vegas from select cities. Now, if this couldn't help you, then I, I, I don't know how it worked, but they're not doing it from everywhere. And it's only a one-way flight. That's the other trick is that you'll have to find your way back. Uh, but uh, these are the cities you could choose from. Appleton, Wisconsin, Austin, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, Boise, Idaho, Chicago, Illinois, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, Dallas, Texas, Denver, Colorado, Detroit, Michigan, Knoxville, Tennessee, Louisville, Kentucky, Memphis, Tennessee, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Omaha, Nebraska, Phoenix, Arizona, Portland, Oregon, San Diego, California, San Francisco, California, Seattle, Washington, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, South Bend, Indiana, and Tulsa, Oklahoma. Interestingly, nothing from Los Angeles. I guess he assumes you can drive from there, though you can drive just as easily from Phoenix. I don't know why they got it, but uh, and San Diego too. It's pretty much similar to driving from L.A. But nothing from L.A. Uh, nothing from New York, interestingly, or anything around there. But I guess that's kind of more the uh, market of Atlantic City right now. As it is a one-way flight, and also you weren't getting this on Premier Airlines. Uh, you were getting the flights on Allegiant, Frontier, Southwest, Spirit, and Sun Country Airlines. <laughs> so, sadly, of that list, the best one is Southwest. How, how often is Southwest actually the best option? How often is Southwest the one you're going, I hope I get Southwest. I, I really hope that's the best airline there. That That's what it was. But still... Uh, a thousand flights were booked within two hours, and the contest was over on May 27th. They, you just drop that there if you happen to see it, and this could help you. Then you could sign up and, and get this. 
I guess you have to buy a one-way flight back. It is cheaper than doing a round-trip flight, especially nowadays it's actually pretty cheap to fly because nobody wants to fly right now, so you can get a cheap flight anyway. And it is cheaper to fly one way than round-trip. There used to be a day when round-trip was uh, only a little bit cheaper than one way. Like like what I mean by – I mean one way – one way was only a little cheaper than round trip overall, not per way, but that if you're only flying one way, you got screwed. And this hurt people who would do an itinerary where they didn't fly back from the same airport where they flew into. So maybe you want to fly into airport A and then uh, drive eventually to airport B and then fly back to your destination. That, that would be more expensive than just a regular round trip. That changed over time. Round trip pricing mainly became – Identical to just adding two one-way tickets for most airlines. So that uh, – it's not always like that, but but usually it is. So you're probably getting about 50% off on your flight, and you can't choose as much as you could if you were paying for the whole thing yourself. How much does this cost them? Uh, Not as much as you think because it's gotten very cheap to fly to Vegas from a lot of places. That probably has to do with where they chose. Also, it has to be served by these different airlines. But they probably got a contract with these various airlines to uh, sell these tickets very cheap. They bought them in bulk, and uh, they probably had a contract to do this. And I, I imagine they did this uh, very inexpensively. It could be as little as like 50 bucks a ticket. So it's very possible this whole thing, despite the fact that it sounds very expensive to fly a 1,000 people, it, it's possible this whole thing will cost them like 50,000 bucks, which is nothing for a, a large casino marketing. So this is actually pretty smart. When he says you don't have to stay at the D, yeah, there, there's – see, there's uh, – first of all, they don't want the complication of that to police this uh, and uh, because then they'd have to force people to book and they, they just they just want to make it simple. It's not worth it for them to police this and people would realize very quickly that the value of these free flights isn't – especially being one way, it isn't worth that much compared to what the hotel room is going to cost. So he just said, we're going to do it for goodwill. We're just going to we're going to get the name out there. And look, I, I just put it on this show. I wouldn't be talking about the D Las Vegas otherwise, but here I am talking about the D Las Vegas and, and people are staying there. So that's – I guess it worked. I guess, <laughs> I, I guess that the marketing even worked on me. It even tricked me into talking about them. Keep in mind, if you did take advantage of this, it's too late to do it, but if you already have the flight, don't feel pressured to stay there. This was a marketing thing. Don't feel bad, like, oh, I'm using the D's flights, and I'm not staying there after all they did for me. It's it's just you taking advantage of a promotion, and if you want to stay there, stay there. If you don't, you don't. Keep in mind, downtown is noisy. Downtown is definitely not as classy as the Strip, if you want to call the Strip classy at all. And and there's a general vibe there where the customers are treated as uh, lower class. I, I really mean it. Like you're you're kind of treated like you're trash, and they're doing a favor to serve you. And that's what I found going to downtown. Some people love downtown. I don't like it. I I don't like when when the attitude is uh, you're trash. We don't care about your business. We don't care about you. And uh, you're lucky to be here. You're lucky for us to be serving you. And, and we don't trust anything you say, and if you, you complain about anything, you're just being a pain in the ass, and we think you're full of crap and trying to exploit us for free stuff. That's the general attitude over there. Where in a strip, it's it's generally much more high-end, and, and they tend to have more of a customer-is-always-right policy. Not always. I've complained a lot where they don't, but, but in general, the strip is way better with this stuff. And even the so-called nice restaurants have an issue with that. It, it's just an issue all around. So keep that in mind. So that, that happened at, with the D. That was 
about four days ago. Okay, final topic, and then we're going to shut this down. Been a long show. I want to talk about the Galfon Challenge. Uh, I've lost interest in this somewhat. That's why it's at the very end of the show. But he beat Action Freak. He beat Action Freak by, like, I don't have the exact total, 133,000 euro. He was ahead of him the whole way. He jumped out ahead and stayed ahead. And Action Freak had a comeback after they switched over to Party, but wasn't able to come back enough. And and pretty much from the point when they went to Party, uh, Action Freak actually won from that point because he was down a good deal. I think he was down 400-something thousand euro. So I think he ended up beating Galphon like 300,000 on Party, which is worth noting. But uh, the truth is that Action Freak came back a lot of it very quickly, and then they kind of spun their wheels from there. So Galfon played him very tough. Uh, without looking at the, at the result between the two sites, it really does look like these were pretty evenly matched opponents, and Galfon ended up on the right side of it. You obviously can't make any kind of uh, conclusion about any kind of rigging there on party. Though, as I said, Action Freak won over there. He lost based upon his early losses on Run at Once. Uh, from observing this so far... I have to say that, uh, again, while I can't be certain, I think that Phil Galfon is just still really good at PLO heads up, even compared to today's greats of the game. So uh, he still can beat people. He's not unbeatable, but he's pretty close. So congratulations to Phil Galfon. I have not much more to say other than that he is now 2-0 and in the Galfon Challenge against what was considered to be probably the two toughest matches he was going to have. He's probably going to beat Perkins. They're doing that one very slowly. He has uh, Chance Cornuth left. He has Brandon Adams. That's going to have to be live. That may wait a long time. And he has Jungle Man. Hmm. I wonder if Jungle Man is going to find some kind of angle with this one. But I believe Phil is a favorite for all three of these. Remember, they're not playing No Limit Hold'em. They're playing Heads Up PLO. And that that's really... Phil Galfon's main game. That's that's where he's the best. So even uh, against a, a great no-limit player like Jungle Man, uh, hits a PLO, <clears throat> it's going to be in uh, Galfon's favor. So he could, he could easily sweep all of these. He could go 6-0. and But uh, what does that do for his poker site? Not much. <laughs> I, he wins money. That's good. He gets to walk away and say, I'm still the best heads-up PLO player. Even many years after I stopped playing actively, that's a pretty good thing to say. But is it going to make Run It Once Poker a success story? Not necessarily. And I, I still don't feel positive about the future of that site, especially once the coronavirus thing passes and people start returning to live poker and start getting away from online again. Before we shut this down, I want to read a text from one of our few black listeners. This guy really is a black listener. He lives in Las Vegas. I want to read you what he had to say about this. I can only speak for myself, but I've never felt like race stopped me from doing anything I wanted to do. I feel a lack of education is more of a disservice. A lot of poor people act in an irrational way due to lack of education and self-awareness. Now, I do feel I was lucky in that my mom stressed education and staying out of trouble. She even had me in private school for a bit. I understand where people like Andrew Barber are coming from, but I feel like telling someone that they're at a disadvantage and disenfranchised will cause someone to behave that way. Telling someone they're stuck makes them feel like they shouldn't even try. 
I think donating to schools and educational resources is a better investment versus investing in people already in the system. So that's an interesting perspective, especially the part where he's saying, don't tell everyone that it's so unfair to them, they're so disadvantaged, that they're going to have such a hard time succeeding. They're just going to say, well, okay, why even bother trying? The system's stacked against me, I can't succeed. I agree, sometimes not knowing that something is more difficult for you can actually make it easier because you're not dreading it. You're not afraid to fail. You're not thinking it's likely you're going to fail. You just think, okay, I've got to do this. Let's see if I can. And that's a lot better attitude to take than, oh man, this is going to be a huge uphill battle. I don't know if I can do it. I think there's already too much stacked against me. I can totally understand what he's getting at here. And this is from the perspective of a black man who seems to have done pretty well for himself. I don't know that much about him, but uh, he seems like uh, he's holding it together very well. So it's always important to get perspectives like that from people actually live in America as a black person, and that's an experience I don't have, and that's an experience most of the listeners here do not have. So thank you for that text. Thank you for listening here. I always appreciate people wanting to join us. Our ratings have gone up, and I'm not sure why. But our ratings overall live, at least. It's harder for me to check the archives, but uh, the ratings live have gone up, and uh, I'm not sure what caused that. But maybe the show had some more exposure. If you're a new listener who found the show in the last few weeks, please let me know how you found it. And uh, like I, I just kind of want to know where the extra listeners came from. I don't know, maybe if some people are returning to listen to the show who have been gone a while just because they're bored nothing to do with the coronavirus out there but you would have thought that would have happened already we did get a bunch of new followers when I was in the Bill Perkins thread and mentioned that uh, I like invited him on the show and then people followed Poker Fraud Alert I'm like okay sweet like, uh, I didn't mean for that to be a marketing thing but it kind of accidentally was I really just wanted him on here I didn't expect we were going to get uh, new followers of, of the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter account but remember, the Poker Fraudler Twitter account will announce when the next show is, but in general, you can expect it on Saturday, except for next week. Next week, it actually is going to be on Friday, June 5th. It's going to start about five and a half days from right now. Friday, June 5th, probably around 8 p.m. And uh, you may wonder, what happened to Dutch Boyd? Why didn't we have him? That was my choice. Uh, I thought we had too much to talk about this week. Given everything going on with riots, I decided to delay it another week. So we're going to have them on next week on Friday, June 5th. Do not look for the show on Saturday, June 6th. I cannot make it. I will be doing this on Friday. And uh, that will be the day of the show. We're going to return most likely to Saturday after that going forward. Wherever you are, I hope you stay safe from the coronavirus and safe from the riots. Remember, whatever political or social opinion you have, make sure it comes from the heart and not just because it's what the crowd thinks or what makes you feel good about yourself. But try to have the opinion of what the right thing is, not what makes you feel like you're a good person. Because often they're two different things. That's all for tonight. We'll talk to you in five and a half days. Shalom. <laughs>